Hey! We dumped some of their kind here. What? The droids. They left a wait outside. We don't want them Welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host of the show, and this is episode 16, Rumble in the Internet Jungle. Joining me are the usual Rebel co-hosts. First up is an R5-D4 collector who thinks that the ATAT driver is rarer on Trilogo than Boba Fett. It's Dickie Hutchinson. Good evening, Rich. Evening, guys. Rich, what is your favourite poncho figure, Luke or Leia? Leah. Right, next up is a TIE Fighter Focus Collector and a vintage Star Wars completist who's recently had a bad ear infection. It's Grant Criddle. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Stu. The bad year is in the future because that's why I'm not in the LA section. Grant, if you could remove your ears right now and replace them with either Max Rebo's or Yoda's, whose ears would you choose? Max Rebo. Also joining us is our market expert, a fanatical layer stalker who collects all variety of items from vintage to modern. It's Peter Davis. Good evening, Peter Weedy. Hello. Now, Pete, do you prefer the packaging design for Power of the Force or Tri Logo? Oh, Power of the Force. What? No. Yes. Yes. Junk. Yes. Burning yellow bubbles. <laughs> and finally, a man who is a glutton for punishment, having done a hundred k cross-country run up and down valleys and hills. Partially in the dark. He's a Luke X-Wing focus collector and generally a bit of a madman. It's Jez. Good evening, Jezebel. Hello, everyone. Hello, Stu. Uh, um, a fantastic achievement, your 100k event. Can you tell us what you did and why you did it? I, I did it because I haven't done it before. And you're absolutely right. I ran uh, 100 kilometres over hills and dales. It was the South Downs Way in a team. It took us, oh, it took us about 16 hours. And it was, uh, yeah, just cross-country. But we raised... Just shy of £5,000 for Oxfam. Now, you love these events, don't you? Have you got anything else in the pipeline? Yeah, it, it is good fun. It's, um, it's a challenge. I love it. I did the London Marathon earlier on this year. I've decided that if I do get the London Marathon next year, I've applied. Um, I want to do it dressed as a stormtrooper. So um, I'm going to be, if I, if I do get it, I'm going to be uh, putting the feelers out there to see if somehow I can manage to um, blag myself a stormtrooper costume for the build-up and for that weekend and i'm sure i can raise some serious cash for a charity of someone's choosing that's quite a weight to be lugging around london isn't it? yeah it'll be good fun though i've been i've i've spent the day in one before i know what they're like i know i know how difficult they are um to move around in but let's face it i'm not going to be climbing ladders i'm not going to be you know going over stiles and fences this is just a flat little nice gentle run all right, there's 26 miles before the finish, but it'll be good. It'll be good. It'll be Star Wars, and it'll be charity. And, uh, yeah, another challenge. Bring it on. And, Jez, which uh, which vintage figure do you prefer, Forlom or Zuckus? Forlom. Right, let's move on to our acquisitions then, and let's go to our horse-loving northerner. Uh, Rich, have you been buying much? 
No, obviously I said last month I wasn't going to, but it's going on holiday. So, quite a short list for me. I bought a Star Wars mini-action figure collector's case, uh, which came with around about 20 loose figures inside, which was a bonus. Uh, a minty white Wampa, which I've been after for quite a while now, to complete me beast's fun. I got a full set of blue and red UK Tops trading cards. I got some 12-inch uh, vintage accessories to go with Han Solo and Leia. I got a Sigma Darth Vader mug. I've upgraded one or two loose figures that have needed upgraded for a while now. I just bought them because I was bored. An R5-D4 Kubrick for me folks collection. I bought a second R5-D4 77 back. An accidental purchase today from Vectis. It's the same one that I didn't realise I already had. And I've started a payment plan for future pur- purchase, which I'll talk about in a month or so's time. How long have we been recording for? It feels like hours. <laughs> Jez, what have you acquired? Well, it was at farthest from. I managed to get myself a tri-logo hand carbonate mint on card. Love it. I said I was going to get one of those by the end of the year. Yeah, delighted. It was Scotty Boy, Dave from the forum, who took one along. And uh, after hearing that I was in the market for one, and uh, we, we came to an agreement. And yeah, I've got it. It's an AFA 81. Not that that bothers me at all. I just wanted the uh, mint on card hand and it looks great was that, was that one do... thing off your list Jez that we when we all named something yeah yeah oh so that's two of you that have completed your uh, items interesting sorry Jess, carry on no actually I don't think it was was it we all had to name one item to get within a year I'm sure I'm sure that wasn't your item Jez yeah it was Jez while yeah. you carry on talking I will just check my notebook because I did write these down okay yeah. oh, it could be another apology from Rich well, it might be, but I must admit, Jez, that's a bit of a wimpy item to choose, mind. I'm sure we were told to choose something that was a bit... Something that you can't, you will realistically get, so in fairness to him. Well, uh, Rich, what was yours? Was it some accessories for Han and Leia? <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> Mine was the sand crawler, the remote control sand crawler. Jez, tri-logo hand carbonite, yes. And was that the one you got, the tri-logo one? <laughs> Where have you been the last couple of minutes? Still a wimpy choice, Jez. I think you I think you need to give another one. I need to man up a bit, don't I? I really do, Rich. <laughs> I need to do some more manly stuff. Like me, get an Ewok battle wagon. <laughs> <laughs> but, so that was my purchase, uh, but I managed to do myself a really good trade. Mark, who took all of his proofs, he was... Uh, he was good enough to do a straight exchange for me for my Luke Bespin revenge proof to a Luke X-Wing revenge proof. So I'm delighted to add a revenge proof Luke X-Wing to my focus dead chuffed. Grant, hit me with what you bought. A couple of carded figures, I think, mate. Um, trying to finish off a, a run of Jedi figures and uh, got two carded figures there. So it's about nine to go to finish the run. And finally, Pete, what have you been splashing your cash on? Splashing my cash, which I don't have. Just the other day, I actually got through a Squidhead um, Return of Jedi mock with a, with a non-yellowed bubble. came from Slim, who was selling off his Squidhead focus, which is very sad to hear or to see, but people like me take advantage of it. Ha ha ha. I also got part of my... Well, I got my... Off your list, you. I got a Luke uh, X-Wing Return of Jedi carded figure, which I wanted a Luke Skywalker of some sort, so I have achieved it's that. another one completed, just me and Grant left on that little one. Exactly. Run. And that came from Ian, that was that was very nice of him. At Farthest From, I picked up, which I'd already pre-purchased, sort of, with a bit of trading, uh, Chewbacca Empire Strikes Back uh, Mint on Card, which looks really nice. Just a couple of little dents in the bubble, but it's really, really nice. A bunch of Marvel comics. I'm, I think I'm about... 40 away from the whole run of just the comics so that's all the Empire Strikes Back Return of the Jedi Star Wars comics so I will have to move and try and finish that off from Dan uh, Son of Django 
I got a Luke Poncho to be one now away from my loose collection. Who's missing? Just the A-wing pilot. Oh, with a blast. Really annoying. Oh, <laughs> oh. And uh, and I got off him also a little land speed as well. I was going to buy a snow speed off him for someone else, but sadly my friend decided to buy one, and uh, I had to let Dan down. So sorry, Dan. What are you, Stu? What have you bought? Well, last podcast I did mention that I bought something from Vectors, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't really remember what it was. <laughs> but it has arrived now, and it's just a, a <laughs> counter display for Return of the Jedi, and it came with. Uh, seven stationary pieces which are all different glue sticks scissors razors that kind of thing so that's alright that's boxed back up and put out in the garage oh is, that, is, is it blue with a dark head on it it is mate yeah yeah I got yeah nice man nice piece I look, I look lovely in your garage in a box brilliant <laughs> when, and last month I mentioned that I picked up two ESB Shirashi I'm not sure how you say that Shirashi flyers from Japan and I asked the bloke who got me them if he could look out for the the three Star Wars ones and the two Jedi ones and the same night we recorded the last podcast, he came back to me and he had found two of the Star Wars ones and two of the Jedi ones, which he has sent me. And uh, Mr. Lee Kamiyosaki is now a listener of ours. Been listening back, he's listened to about five podcasts, so we do have a nice new listener in Japan. And he sent me a free one of them of Caravan of Courage, yeah. Not bought much Sigma this month, I have bought five of the figurines. Klaatu, Bifortuna, R2 and 3PO, Leia and Luke. To get them wow. out of the way. I'm not overly keen on them, to be honest with you. Yeah, you said that they were tacky and you were going to bother. The Wicket one, I'm not too keen on. No, and um, so, yeah, I've now got half of them. So they, they look lovely on some acrylic steps, I reckon, though, mate. Yeah, yeah, I'm just, just going to go with them anyway. Forest Rom. Now, in episode 7, I said I would never own a loose Dianoga without the Death Star, so I bought one. Loose. <laughs> I bought um, a pair of the Force A-Wing Pilot mock. And I also got off Mark Hockley um, the Star Wars Canadian Transition carded TIE Fighter diecast, which is nice. The car's a little bit frayed on the edges, but it's uh, in nice condition. But um, that's it. I went, and after our discussion last month of not owning a Klaatu, I did go out and get one. £22, uh. and it is mint. So, there you go. Has everyone got a Klaatu now? Well, I thought I think I might have, hopefully, if that Vectors auction actually recorded my bid. Um, but yes, I would also own one. Okay, thank God. Moving on. <laughs> so that is it for acquisitions. So some. Uh... I can't move on. I'm distracted at the moment. I what? want to know what's more manly, a loose mini rig or Jez? Blow my mind. I'm looking at an MTV7 and thinking, you know, would that have went for a handcob night mock, or would have chose something more manly? Are you genuinely calling a man test on me? <laughs> <laughs> this Can is I... a challenge. Right. So let's move on for the acquisitions. Then. So Pete, I believe you have this month's question. I was thinking, well, it's summer, let's go, it's a bit sporty, let's have a sporty question. But I thought, well, I can't really uh, have a sporty question and Star Wars, so I thought I'd combine the two. So, basically, I have got a number of names of figures or sports persons, and you have to tell me whether it's a genuine Star Wars person or it's a sports star. Yikes. Hang on, there's a catch. The, uh, The names come from anything in the Star Wars universe. And I'm talking computer games, because uh, I thought, well, you know, Rich is going to win this, because he's just, you know, Rich and Grant, they're sort of like those types of people. But I thought, no, let's let's really widen it out a bit. So it's anything, computer games, films, cartoons, comics is the lot. Okay, cue the music.
Question one, Rich. So all I want you to say is Star Wars or sports. And if you say sports, you get an extra point if you name the sport. So, Rich, number one, Jetsy Extrano. That's got to be Star Wars, surely. Incorrect. <laughs> it's sports. Anyone want to guess what the sport is? American football. No, incorrect. Wave racing. <laughs> you know where you, you stand on the beach and there's like a wave comes and you run so you don't get wet? <laughs> it does, it's named, that name does sound like that. It does sound like you should be in that sport. But no, all incorrect. It was baseball. Okay, Jez, for you, Kento Marek. Star Wars or sports? I'd say Star Wars. You have succeeded. Well done. One for Jez. Grant, Hope Solo. Hope Solo? Yes, Hope Solo. Oh, but it's got Solo in it. That's Trixie. <laughs> That's the point. I Sport. Well done. Do you know which sport? Football. Well done, you got right! Bam! She's American, which, isn't she? Which football? She was in the World Cup, wasn't she? She was. Well done, she was. She was indeed the American goalkeeper. Bam! Did I get... Rank is two points there. <gasps> Stu. Rugned Odor. <laughs> that, that's Star Wars. No. It's sports. Anyone want to guess which sport? Shot put. It sounds like a shot put, to be fair. <laughs> is it line hunting? <laughs> no, it was baseball again. Okay, round two. So, at the first round, Jez has one, and Grant has two, and Stu and Rich have nil. Right, round two. Rich, Quinton Jammer. Star Wars. No, incorrect. Sport. <laughs> Anyone want to guess which sport? Javelin. No, it was the NFL. Jez, Mo More yes. Nadon. Mo More... Mo More Nadon. Star Wars. Uh, well done. I thought it'd be an easy one for you. Isn't that Hammerhead? Yeah. Bam. Did I get a point for that? No. Oh. Grant. Yariel Poof. Oh, that is uh, that's Star Wars, mate. Ah, that's easy. That's from Episode One, isn't it? That is well done. Hang on, that's an extra point, isn't it? No, just just extra point for sports because that's the hard bit. Oh, you should there. Stu, Joe Yowza. That's Star Wars. He's in Return. Oh, he's got it. That little annoying thing that sings. That is. Is that that was the easy round? He's like an easy round there, and Richard failed miserably. You didn't get. You haven't given me an easy one yet. Baseball. I don't even know if baseball and American football count as sports. Are they the same sport? They might be. There's only there's only one country in the whole world plays them. Rich, can you just check your broadband feed? All I'm hearing is me. <laughs> Not very manly, is it? <laughs> Whinging. Okay, so Grant's in the lead with three. Jess has two. Stu has one, and Rich has yet to score. Now, come on, Rich. Concentrate now. R- round three. Come on. Zemgus Gergensen. Right, I'm ready. Come on, start. Give us it. I'm just giving you it. Oh, I thought you were clearing your throat. Ah, oh, Zengis Gergensen. Gergensen. There's a bit of Swedish-Norwegian in that. I'm going to go... Well, I've said Star Wars twice now and got them both wrong. So I'm going to go Star Wars. Incorrect. It's sports. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone want to guess what sport quickly? Was it ice hockey? It is. Well done. A little point Ooh, for, okay. for, um, what's his name there, Stu? Well, because Richard's had all the American sports, I thought I'd go with it. <laughs> his next one's going to be basketball. Jez, this is an easy one for you. Go on, Luke Skywalker. Or is it? <laughs> or is it, is it the double header? Firmus Peart. Uh, or is it? Firmus. I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's a double bluff. I'm going to say Star Wars. Oh, he got it. He got it. Too easy for him. <laughs> Grant. Kazen Moore. Kazen Moore. God, that sounds like something off Clone Wars or something. 
Um, not Clone Wars. What's the new one? Rebels. Kays and more. I say Star Wars. It's true, but it was actually off the video game Rogue Squadron. Really? Ah. So you get minus one for saying Rebels. No. Oh. Stu, this is a good one. Sicknarf Loopstock. Ah, Sifnar Loopstock. He's a sports star. He is. But any, any idea what sport? Uh, sailing. No. <laughs> if anyone writes down the word Sicknarf, it's quite a giveaway. Sicknarf? Does he do narfball? Netball? <laughs> Competitive being sick. <laughs> it's actually baseball, and Sicknarf is Francis backwards. His father was also called Francis, so he called himself Sicknarf because he thought it would be his more interesting How name. How does that Francis. give it away? It's baseball. Oh, that right. makes all sense. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? If you say Grant backwards, it says Tanag, and uh, that exactly. basically means mountain climber. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> or beautiful gazelle. Okay, after that round, then Grant has four. Stu has three. Jess has three. What's oh, Rich have? He doesn't have any points, so I didn't. I thought he was the favourite. He is the favourite at the moment. Okay. Round four, Rich Casio Tag. <laughs> that, that's me watch Casio Tag Casio Tag right, I'm going to go sports star this time anyone else want to help him out there that's General Tag you know in the in the film Rich that's, that's just his first name zero for Rich <laughs> Very Rich you as, as Grant would say you need to like Star Wars more I know you do yeah. especially episode 4 Jez Coleman oh. Trebor oh he's gone for sports incorrect oh. Star Wars <laughs> I like Rich <laughs> then trying to get a sport after he knew it was sports was wrong Rich was like nah it's Star Wars <laughs> anyone know what he was doing uh, episode is a, he's a prequel character he is a prequel character do you know what he did something to do with mints no he was killed by Django Fett ok Grant Sequoia Stone Cipher Sequoia sounds Star Wars so I'm going to say Star Wars incorrect sports oh. anyone want to guess is she a, is she a clay pigeon Unfortunately, it's baseball. You, there's a bit of a trend here of comedy names in baseball, but there we go. Right, Stu, finally for you. Carlist Recon. That's Star Wars. Oh, well done. He's not falling for the first name job. So, sadly, we have Grant and Stu on four each at the moment. Jez has three, and Rich doesn't have any points. Okay, Rich, last round. Time for you to redeem yourself. You can get a point here. Tion Madon. Star Wars. Well yeah. done, young sir. Any idea which film? Episode two? Close. <laughs> it can only be four out Grant? of the most rich. It, it was uh, the local administrator of Utapau and Revenge of the Sith. Oh, right. So, Rich has a point, Jez. Nadam oh, Kong Su. Dan Sport. Wild no. Which sport? Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should have left you there. Table tennis. Is it sumo? It is not, but probably the size of him, I'd imagine. It's NFL. Grant. Arum Ekblad. No idea. I'd say sport. Well done. Which sport? Football. Unfortunately, no. It was ice hockey. Right, and finally, Stu, you can equalise Grant, or you can take over Jar Jurgens. Oh, yes. I know, I know, I know. But I think Grant's throwing me out here because he wouldn't know a sports star. Ah. <laughs> so I'm going to say Star Wars. It's not sports. <laughs> <laughs> I'm denied there because I reckon I would have uh, got the sport as well. Go 50 metres freestyle in the pool. <laughs> no, anyone else? Skydiving. No. It was baseball. Grant wins with five points. Jez and Stu both have four, and Rich has just the lonely one. Well done, young sirs. Impressive. Most impressive. You know what, though, Rich? It doesn't matter about winning, it's just taking part, son. <laughs> Rich, you are the attack of the clones of this quiz. <laughs> uh, you, you, can't, you can't win them all. Let's move on to Star Wars in the news.
Vinyl samples put Star Wars collectors in a spin. Engineering pilot DT Ben and Vader make their touchdown. Star Wars Celebration London taking fans for a ride. Force Friday Midnight Madness Vintage Ventures. No place to hide. The Rebel base is on the moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. So then, vinyl samples put Star Wars collectors in a spin. Rich, what's the story behind this? Yes, Joe, so Bill Wills posted on Facebook last month an exciting find of vinyl samples that him and other collectors uncovered together with some DT inner sabers. But we'll talk about the DT sabers in a second. First of all, let's talk about these samples. So what he showcased online was a hand-cut vinyl cape for a Jawa, an unfinished hand-cut cape for a Ben, some excess material for Ben and Leah capes, an uncut Vera vinyl sheet, and some photocopy templates. Now, by all accounts, these samples were used to create the capes for the early hand-painted internal figure samples. So, guys, how are these early capes from 1976-1977 still turning up today, especially ones that aren't even cut yet? But people from the past, I know plenty of them, keep stuff in boxes, and they put them in their loft, and they don't touch them. So this doesn't surprise me whatsoever that stuff is kept for years and years and then gets uncovered. You'll be amazed. I mean, when I was talking to the old owner of the shop in in Leamington, he said that a, a parent and a family would come in, they would buy two or three of everything, and they would keep it, and they would give the child one to play with and they'd keep the rest for, for later on so I'm sure there's tons of it out there you know grandparents and people keeping this stuff knowing that, that things would possibly worth things in the, in the future my gran used to keep coins thinking they'd be worth millions in, in the future and we ended up throwing them away so you know it does happen do you think there's a possibility that the plastic stroke vinyl was so expensive back then that whoever was using these materials even as much as five years later thought no way am I throwing that out it cost a fortune I can't see it. I don't think it was worth that much. We're not talking like the 1920s. I think when this is just hit on it, really. When I was young, I had boxes of Star Wars, He-Man, Transformers. And you put them in boxes and put them in the attic, thinking I'll get them down in a couple of months to play with. And they probably just sit there. You never get go back to them, and they just sit in the attic for 20, 30 years. It's easily done. I reckon maybe these people just haven't moved much, because um, I've moved around quite a bit work-wise, and whenever we have to move, we end up with bin bags full of stuff which we've just hoarded over the last few years. And and maybe it's just not moved. Maybe it's just slipped the net, you know? What do you think the purpose of this template was uh, on a photocopy sheet? I have absolutely no idea, Rich. No? Well, neither did I, Grant. And so I contacted Bill and asked for his thoughts. And what he suggested was that the photocopy template was placed on top of the vinyl. And then it was cut out um, using, obviously, standard pair scissors, such as the evidence what he's got left over suggests. So these were very, very rough cuttings, which I think is fascinating that this has still turned up so many years later. Rich, on that uh, on that vinyl stuff, I, I can remember when someone I knew had a vinyl cape and he wanted to swap it for my cloth cape jar because the vinyl on all the figures used to rip really easily, especially if you played them a lot, and no one really wanted them. When we were kids, I always take my vinyl capes off because they just get damaged so easily and the cloth cape jar, I, I remember, just used to be a, you know, a much more popular figure. And uh, I think when that when that happened on the cards, when it, when they disappeared, um, it was seen as a triumph. <laughs> That's why I guess they're now worth stupid money. But at the time, it was like for kids playing. Remember, you know, in the eighties, I was a kid going, oh, "I don't want that. It's rubbish." That's a very good point, that Pete, because the vinyl 
that uh, Bill has showcased is actually in really good condition, considering that a lot of it has already been pre-cut. There doesn't seem to be any stretches or tears, so wherever this has been stored, it's been stored in, in, in a drawer that perhaps hasn't been touched, um, such as what Jez said, you know, perhaps these items have been put away in a loft, or perhaps just stored in the bottom drawer that nobody goes into. And also, not one, not two, not three, but eight DT inner filaments and one DT bent out I was found in this Bill Wills find. I mean, that crazy, and I can't remember who put it online now, but imagine if those DT Luke inners were actually DT bent inners. You're talking gold findings there. So, guys, um, have you seen these DT Luke inners, and, and what do you think of them? Crazy photograph. Yeah, absolutely. I, I saw it, and I just thought, it doesn't look real. When you look at these photographs like that, all of these inners... You just see that and you just think, oh man, they're just all repro, but it's not. It's just, that's the real deal. $675 each these are going for, which I think is an absolute bargain, considering that these are untouched, is mint is what you're going to find. No bending, no warping, absolutely mint. It's a scary price for a small piece of plastic. Yeah, I suppose when you put it into its relative complex, it, it is. Yeah, there have been a few criticisms about the price, but honestly, when you think about what these are, you could probably pick up, how much would a DT look now with a Ben Saver cost you? £400? Came up with Vectis, times by 10. One sold on the forum about two years ago with a Ben, and it was, in fact, the inner was about one mil short. It was, it didn't quite go all the way down to the floor, and I think that sold for 180 I think that's a good price. What are you um, paying for a complete DT figure at the moment, Luke? Well, it depends what you're talking, Luke, Ben or Vader. Each of them? I would say Luke, if you're talking decent condition, Luke's are probably £500 now. Vader's, you're looking at two and a half, three thousand, 3000 And I'd say Ben, if you can find somebody who would sell you on, four to 5000 now. The moon with the Rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. Right, Rich, the engineering pilot DT Ben Invader story. Now, I believe you spoke with uh, Matt George about this. Last month, we looked at an auction from a former Kenner employee, and I'm delighted to say that this evening we are joined by the winner of the prototype DT Ben Invader. I don't believe it. That is why you fail. A prototype DT Ben Invader. Good evening, Matt George. Hey, Rich, what's happening? I'm looking forward to this interview, Matt. So can you briefly tell us what items you won in the recent Max Webster auction? Sure. First of all, I want to apologize for my funny American accent, but um, I was uh, lucky enough to walk away with what I thought were the kind of the two true gems of that auction. It was uh, both are engineering pilots. One's the, uh, the Ben Kenobi that has a clear translucent prototype DT Sabre, and then there is a Vader with uh, it's a Type 1 Circles prototype DT Vader. So... As soon as I saw these advertised on Facebook, I was going to do whatever I took to win those. So focusing on the DT Bear in a second, you've crossed over into two of the grail areas for most collectors. You've hit the pre-production and you've hit the DT collection. Which of the two areas most interest you and why? I've never really been into the uh, the pre-production part of it. Um, I would so I would definitely say that the uh, the double telescoping aspect of it was was the most intriguing for me. I've always wanted a full run of, of the double telescoping figures as long as I could remember, but just never saw them up for sale. Uh, so whenever I saw this auction again, I kind of had my mind set on and doing what it took to, to win these two. Last year, I had the chance to get a graded AFA-90. Uh, it was a production Ben Sabre, um, but uh, for whatever reason, wasn't able to close the deal. But um, that's as close as I've ever come into owning a, a DT till this auction and wound up getting them. I've got a DT Ben that I think would probably grade an Alpha 5. <laughs> we save as in seven pieces, unfortunately. 
So what exactly is the DT bin and what assurances you've been given that this is the item that you claim it to be? Well, as far as anyone can tell, this is the only one that anyone's ever come across. I think before this auction came to light, I don't think anyone knew that this clear prototype even existed. Bill McBride and Tom Derby both had a look at this. I think Bill looked at it through uh, through pictures, and, and Tom Derby examined it up close. And it was just a very early production or a pre-production mold of the double telescoping saber uh, that they cast in clear plastic. I guess it was you know Dewey Shoemate was head of testing for Kenner, so I'm sure it had to do with with uh, testing the mechanics of how the the double telescoping saber was going to work but uh, this particular version has a little ball at the very end of the inner filament which um, hasn't been seen on any other example of any type of dt saber before this came again right from the dewey shoemate uh, estate so i'm coupled that with the fact that bill and tom had a look at it and gave me a uh, certificate of authenticity that makes me feel really comfortable that that this is a, a legitimate item yeah, I think there's no further uh, credence needed on that. And if Bill McBride says it's fine, then it's fine as far as I'm concerned. Yes, sir. So what's special about the DT Vader, then, and how does this fit into your overall collecting goal? Well, the Vader's also a pre-production uh, example. This was uh, cast very early on in the pre-production stages, um, not quite as early as the mushroom tips, but right subsequent to that, uh, the mushroom tips. The again, the figure itself is an engineering pilot, so it's not a first shot. It would come right after the uh, the first shot stage of the the figure's production. Why is the saber of the DT Vader not clear like the DT Ben is? Probably to save me a lot of money, because I'm sure I would have got into a bidding war with Bill McBride on it. <laughs> I I don't know why. I'm I don't know if they just cast one clear saber and that was enough, and that could apply to Luke and. Vader and, and Ben all together, but uh, for whatever reason, it ended, it ended up in Ben's hand and not Vader's. Now, I've seen a post that you've put on Facebook, and there's a little bit of questioning about the capes. So some people are saying capes, others are saying no capes. Firstly, from my point of view, who cares? <laughs> the prototype DTs. Yeah, I was really surprised to see the fact that I just put them on to display them would cause such an uproar. Vader, without a cape, to me, looks like one of those poodles that people shave down except the fur on their heads, and I, I just think they display so much better with the capes on. So I think Chris Georgilius raised that question on the, the, the limelight form that I did on the, the Facebook groups, but they've still got the capes, and they're going to hang on to the capes until I decide to sell them, because I... I wouldn't be right for me to sell them with the capes uh, since they didn't come with the capes. But, uh, you know, the engineering pilot stage of development, some of those figures did have capes and some of them didn't, so I don't think I'm completely in the wrong from a technical point of view. Are you going to track down a prototype DT Luke to complete the Trinity? You know what? Someone had one for sale on the uh, the Facebook group a couple weeks back and I missed it. Um, so, yeah, by all means, I'm going to get one. I've got a production version on hand now to kind of be a filler until I can go ahead and complete the Trinity. I was offered a, a DT Luke Saber only. I did, wasn't the figure. Um, I kicked myself. I passed on it $700 about a year ago now. I think the one that just sold on Facebook went for 2000 Oh, don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> and finally, for the benefits of listeners for future auctions, how was your experience overall as a buyer of a large ticket item over the Internet? Um, it was from a reputable source. Uh, Max Webster Auctions was, you know, a legitimate auction house. Again, we had the, the COAs from Bill and from Tom. I really didn't have any concerns in dealing with this particular auction house. 
I know a couple of the users on the Facebook groups, uh, I think Sean Lemkiel was one of them. He went up and, and, and saw the, the Vader in person, so we know it existed. And I know that a couple of news segments were done on this particular auction around uh, where Max Webster's headquarters are. So I don't think that that ever crossed my mind that, that I should be afraid of bidding on these because, you know, Max Webster not following through with uh, his end of the bargain. And everything was packaged fine and arrived, no problems? I wish I still had the box because I'd show you, but uh, it was probably two feet high by 18 inches across and, and wide, and it was in the middle of that. So it was uh, packaged to the nines, and he said that he wanted, uh, you know, if, if the end of the world were to come, he wanted these to survive the trip down to Texas. So no complaints there. Well, that's what you call a quality service. Thanks very much, Matt, for joining us tonight. Great find, and I'm really pleased that you've got these two items in the collection, the two items that you were going for. Ain't no problem, Rich. I appreciate you having me on. So, guys, you've just listened to that interview there from Matt George. So what we've got is a DT Bane with clear translucent prototype saber and a small ball at the end of the inner filament. A DT Vader with Type 1 Circles prototype saber, which is probably the iteration before the mushroom tip version. Now, add this together with the vinyl samples, the DT inners that were discussed with Bill Willis. How is it possible that former Kenner employees still have so much stuff especially amongst all of the Star Wars hype that we've had recently. Is it a case that some of this has come around from, from an estate, that actually one of the one of the chaps has died? That was the Jewish show me it one, yes. That was the DT Ben and DT Vader. What you said before, it's probably some guy who's taken his work home with him, or as Stu said, it may be a box that's just been thrown in the loft. But then for a second Kenner employee to turn up with these vinyl capes and these DT inner look filaments and the DT Ben out there as well, two so very close to each other, I just find it absolutely bizarre. Maybe the kind of employees of the past just aren't that interested in making, you know, like a quick quid. And they actually kept these things to keep and, and show in the future. I mean, but then again, I guess they probably haven't got their finger on the pulse of collecting, have they? It's just unlikely that they're going to be suddenly going, oh, look, look, things are going for loads of money. Let's, let's sell the thing we've got. Someone might contact them and say, do you know how much this stuff costs or is going for at the moment? They're probably completely oblivious to it, to be fair. I think you've got a really good point there when you say that someone's probably just contacted them. You know, we live in this connected world now where before people thought that it wasn't worth anything. And very much like buses, one person starts selling something and then, you know, someone else hears about it and then they think, oh, well, I'll sell mine and then so on and so forth. And suddenly all of these people who are now you know, ex-employees who are getting on a bit and think, actually, this is worth a lot more than the sentimental value for me. Yeah, why not? I suppose what we also need to take into account as well is that America is such a big place when you compare it to the UK. It's very difficult to find anybody who hasn't heard of any of the Vectis huge auction items that have been sold because it's been so advertised heavily on the national news. But in America, I'd imagine that the case may be slightly different, especially with so many guys living in the what we call the backsticks. So following on from the story then, does this give you hope that there is still Palatoy and other European licensed products still waiting there to be found? Yes, definitely. If you think that that Frank Beach shop was found recently, untouched for 30 years, and just sat there, then there's got to be other places on this planet of just kind of full of stuff. You know, old office blocks that sat there with the, the rent not being paid and they can't be knocked down. There's got, this, you know, houses and stuff just untouched, especially in America, where people kind of don't tend to, to move around as much as maybe we do in Britain. We're, we're all over the shop. I think there's more to come. 
I've, I have heard whispers that there's still big fines ready to happen in France in particular, probably because of the, the warehouses that they've got over there that appear to have been abandoned in lots of places. No, but I'm no. very interested in that. Very. <laughs> yes, let's go on a road trip and just go and attack uh, barns and warehouses. Come on, let's go. There was that find in France a couple of years ago, wasn't there? And the, the Meccano yeah. Return of the Jedi cards, they were all taken up by a store, what was it, Lulu Baloo or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Is that right? And, and they're still for sale now, aren't they? Because they, you know, they got sold at a very good deal. And now, I, you know, I've seen that they've got a Luke X-Wing one in there, which is going for considerable amount more than I've been recommended it should go for. Because again, I mean, you think of it, you know, it's a big country, France, big, big landmass. And there's got to be some village, you, you know, some toy shop just boarded up and sitting there, you know, there's a warehouse full of stock with some box in the corner that, that someone's going to find that's going to be just full of, you know, untouched Star Wars goodies. Yeah, I would like the Meccano R5D4 to be brought out into the light. But but not just France. I mean, has anybody heard of anything from, like, Italy? I've never heard of a big Hobart find. I've never heard of, you know, many big Trilogo finds either in Netherlands or Germany or anywhere to go at all. I often search on the, on the eBay sites of you know, all those countries, but not a lot comes up, really. I mean, you, you get the occasional thing, but that tends to kind of end up in America or, or is American find or whatever. But, yeah, just I'm, I'm surprised not more has come out, but I don't know. I mean, maybe we just don't hear about it. I don't really search the auction houses of places in Italy in France, really, because it's quite hard to, to search on those places. But I guess it's going to... I mean, I would think the next six months we're going to get some, some big things coming up because people are going to be searching high and low for this stuff. Death Star approaching... Estimated time to firing range, 15 minutes. Star Wars Celebration London, taking fans for a ride. I'm sure a lot of people know what this is about. Can you explain? Well, I posted on Star Wars Formula UK quite a while back now, and it's been pointed out to me many times in this last few days that I've done this, that there was really no need to panic buy hotels and 3D passes. And I have to say I'm shocked that these have sold out. I've been unable to find out how many were available for sale, but at Essen... They were certainly available just a few weeks beforehand for Celebration Europe 2. And the advice from the Star Wars Celebration guys is to purchase three single-day passes, which works out as £20 more expensive, excluding VAT. What do you think's going on here? Were there just not enough of these passes available, or is it really selling out, as we're being told it is? Money-making. It's money-making. It's just... it's. Uh it's typical of us over here. We'd love companies that come over here, they see London, and it's just cash because, let's face it, people were buying three-day passes or four-day passes because it was four days in Anaheim just a couple of months, you know, maybe even the kind of like, was it a month before the thing started? That's just nonsense. Like, they, just, they just saw, saw a cheap way to make money and I'm really annoyed by it because the, the difference between three, three, you know, three days and the pass is, is quite a lot of money. Uh, especially when it's summer and there's lots of things going on and all that sort of stuff. And they're forcing people into buying the other passes because everyone's gone, oh my goodness, it's all going to sell out. So I bet there's been a surge of, of purchasing. So now we're going to have people with these passes and it's oh, just so ridiculous. And it, you cannot tell me they've sold like more than a few thousand of these things. Can't. You thought they would just keep them um, being sold until the um, actual event was sold out, wouldn't you? But, I mean, who cares whether it, it's, well, it's three days, though? I mean, if there's some kind of problem or issue with, with a three-day pass, then you can still buy three days. So it's nothing more than money-making because it's, it's not a capacity issue, is it? No. Do you reckon they might be having a rethink? I mean, if you say it's all about money, do you think it costs money to set it up and it will cost money to close it down? So actually to chuck an extra day in the middle isn't going to cost them a massive amount of money. And if it is money, they might be thinking... 
let's turn this into a four day. So we'll keep selling tickets, single tickets, that's fine. And now we're just actually having a rethink on this whole three day pass and might need to turn that into a four day somehow. Can't see them turn into a four day yet. Well, yeah, if they've announced it. I know it's still years ago, but they've already sold tickets and VIP pass and stuff. They're, they're going to lose all that money, aren't they? Because they can't suddenly expect people to pay for another day if they've already bought a ticket. I just, I just think it's a, it's a typical kind of like London-y type thing that they've gone, right, we're going to make a couple of thousand available and we're going to make people pay for the days. If they were selling out, surely they would have put a comment on saying, sell in, you know, sell them out fast and actually just engage in more, communicate in more. I disagree with this because I think the capacity for XL is 30,000 and I think what they've done is they've probably said okay we're going to make 5, 8, I haven't got a clue what the number is but 5, 8,000 passes are going to be 3 days um, and all the rest will be single days to cover the people who only want to go on a Friday or only want to go on a Saturday and I think that number whatever it was was set too low and they're, and they're gone and there's still 3 day children's passes available which is interesting which seems a bit odd doesn't it because uh, surely kids won't be able to rock up on their own so I'm not bothering him. I reckon you get in. If he puts his shorts on. <laughs> I'm very disappointed. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but Amazon.co.uk and eBay are selling 3D passes for Celebration London. You see, I don't understand how they can do that, Amazon. I guess that's not eBay. Well, I guess it's individuals, but that's annoying that, that that's happened. It's, it, they've suddenly appeared on eBay, which means it's even fishier now. They're on Amazon. I haven't seen this. Yeah, How it's in. Selling them for on Amazon. It's on the marketplace where you have the second-hand vendors who have little shops on Amazon. They're selling 3D passes. For how much? I didn't actually have a price listed. If you search on Amazon for a 3D celebration London pass, you will see a placeholder for them. I'm probably the least bothered about this, and I think the reason being is, yeah, it's annoying, but there's a lot of annoying things in the world. This is just another annoyance. But on the bright side, we've got a celebration coming to the UK, fellas. So I, I know it's annoying, and our life is going to be littered with people who annoy us, but it's still coming, you know? So let, let's just end, end it on a Oh, positive. my goodness. George Lucas has got to him, and he's injected him. You'll be talking about, you love Jar Jar Binks next? Get out. <laughs> Well, Jez has got a very good point there because I've heard a lot of people saying that's it, I'm not coming over now. Now, personally, if I was in that position, I would just try and look at saving 20 quid, 25 quid on the hotel and then it all balances itself out at the end of the day. Yeah, grow up, lads. I mean, seriously, it would cost so much, you know, to go to these things. For us going to America, it costs a lot. It is called a commitment. It's called your enthusiasm and your passion and your hobby. fact is that when you consider food, booze, room sales, hotels and the tickets, the fact that this is now going to cost us an extra 20 quid or so, all around, that's not a massive amount. Principal, Jez, principal. Yeah, but I'm used to, through life, getting let down by people getting scammed, just having annoying things happening. Come on, let's just get back on the happy wagon. This is happening, it's coming, it's just around the corner from where we live and we have got ourselves a good deal on our hotel. So it's all good, lads. Right, Rich, Force Friday, Midnight Madness, Vintage Ventures, your uh, tongue-twisting title for this segment. What's that all about? Yes, Drew, Dan Curto over at the Wolfpack podcast has put up a list, a very, very cryptic list, so there's no spoilers here, of the figures that are going to be available on the Force Friday. There are some figures from Jack Specific who will now make the 18 and 31 inch line. There are the Black Series from Hasbro, 6 inch figures. But there are also a list of 3 and 3 quarter inch figures. Very, very cryptic. Things like Lead Hero, Secondary Alien. Now, have you guys had a scroll through these and have any of these catching your eye at all? 
Now, I say, um, one thing that stood out was there was no BB-8, but there was like a Chewbacca, because I'm assuming that's the alien sidekick, but um, it seems like it's all going to be kind of a six-inch thing going on here. It's saying that with no BB-8, there's no actual names to any of these, they're just all vague, like Villain Tupa, Lead Hero 1, Lead Hero 2. You can understand what they you are. You can understand, yeah, because there are there no droids listed at all, they are the... Yeah, so you're right that there aren't any droids going to be uh, released in there at all. Any of you even contemplating attending this Midnight Madness, or are you just going to sit back and watch it? I was thinking about it, but I've seen that list, and it's put me off totally buying the new stuff. It's actually made me uh, realise that I don't want any of it. <laughs> I'll probably go, go if there is one nearby just to kind of get some interviews and talk to people and kind of just get a, get the flavour. I mean, it could be a bit of a damp squib, um, but remember, th- these are just the toy lines. There's going to be other stuff like the books. I wouldn't mind getting the uh, Aftermath books coming out on that day as well. But um, I, just wanna, I think I just want to go and join in and, and watch the craziness. Yeah, I agree with that, Pete. I don't really have an interest in collecting any of these, but it's just nice to know that Star Wars toys are as popular as ever, and we're going to see a lot of young children queuing up at midnight to collect their Force Awakens merchandise. And announcements of the stores that will be taking part in Force Friday should be coming soon, but we are aware that many of the larger Toys R Us stores in the country are planning on doing this, so we'll keep everybody posted. Over to Rich, where there's nowhere to hide. Yes, Stu. I mean, obviously, we've been a bit saddened by your post on Star Wars Forum UK recently with regards to a member who's now been banned. But there have also been one or two stories on Facebook which heads back to the dark days of collecting where we had scammers left, right and centre. Now, in this day and age, there really is no way to hide as far as I'm concerned. If you're going to try and pull an eBay fast one, whether as a seller or a buyer, it's going to be very, very easy for somebody to find an email address, and then from an email address to find a Facebook ID, from a Facebook ID to find out what groups you're in, to find friends, to find families, to find home addresses. I really think that the power of technology now is such in a way that you really have to be, you know, 100% honest all the time. So guys, a really sad story on Star Wars Formula UK, and I thought between the end of these days, where it appears an eBay deal has gone badly wrong, in that one of our long-standing members had purchased an item on eBay, and through a disagreement, which we don't really need to go into the details about, he then claimed back on eBay to say that item was not as described, or, or something along those lines. Now, through the power of social media and the forms now, the other participant, who was based in the States, had made a post on Rebel Scum, basically saying, I can't believe the cheek of this guy, I'm done with AB, I'm not going to sell abroad, I'm, I'm fed up with all of this kind of stuff. And one of our friendly forum users then linked it back to store for me, okay, and said, hey guys, have you read this? A little bit of deduction, and one of our members has been outed as being the guy who's tried to shaft an AB guy. Now, in this day and age... I don't think anybody's faces anymore. Scammers in the past were just using computers to, to sell, to, to, to scam people who they were never ever going to meet, but that's not true today. You know, we've all got Facebook and Messenger and our mobiles, but we're never away from the internet 24 hours a day. There's still people, I, th- I still think that Facebook is, is full of holes. Um, I think using eBay and stuff is getting less so. I mean, there's still ways around it, but getting less so. But I, I love the fact that this, person has been caught out by the community and I think it's great that the community actually stands up for itself and isn't afraid to go to the forum for example and it'll go cross forum and say hey guys this is a guy you might know 
he's done me, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think it's great that these people are getting shipped, and I think they should be ostracised from the community. I and mean, it's great. I and mean, if they want to come back into it, they've got to either pay up, apologise, you know, do something if it was a genuine error. But if it's an absolute scam, then they're gone. Because we're four men and Jez on this podcast, back in about four years ago, we would have turned up to these people's houses, knocking on the doors and saying, hey, what's going on? You know, I want my money back. But obviously with us dealing a lot more with America and and Europe, that's a lot more difficult. So, Jez, are you much more comfortable now purchasing from the States and purchasing from um, four places such as Europe and Australia because of the fact that we can track and trace and, and find evidence and trails and things like that? Yeah, I think so. Going back to the whole UK thing, though, a serious amount of keyboard warriors going on as well. That there's a lot of people get quite comfortable, quite confident behind a keyboard, and uh, they can say and type whatever they want. And actually, when it comes down to it, no one actually goes through with anything. I mean, case in point, look at the whole Toy Tony thing. You know, people know where he lives, people know his shop, people have got all this information. Is that guy still trading? Yeah, a matter of uh, speaking, yeah, he is. Has anyone got any money back off of him? So the fact that, you know, we're talking about something now in America makes no difference. An interesting point that, Jez, although I am aware that he has been challenged a couple of times by different members of the community, so I wouldn't want it out there that nobody has done anything. But he's been challenged on, he's been challenged what? Uh, on a keyboard? No, no, he's been challenged face to face. There are guys who on the forum have said that actually have been up to see him uh, and have exchanged words with him. I don't want it out there that nobody has done anything about Toy Tony, but I do agree. I certainly think that if, if I was on Brighton's doorstep and if I was out of money, I certainly would have been playing holy hell. And maybe it's a sudden softy thing, I don't, I don't know, but there's certainly not as much action down that way as I would have hoped. Grant, do you think that because we are such a community now when we are going to cons up and down the country, such as Father's From, the guy who's been banned from Stars From UK, he he was one of the ones that we perhaps would consider inviting into the fold and, and having a good chat. Does that make this case that much more bitter to swallow? I think people make bad decisions all the time, don't they? And um, when you get a massive group of people, bad stuff will happen at some point. So good luck to him. Star Wars is about redemption. What I think is interesting about this is the fact that through the evidence supplied by somebody who we don't know and the, and the quality of the evidence that was supplied, we've really looked at that and invited this other person actually into our community. So where we've lost a member, hopefully we'll gain the better one and somebody who's going to strengthen. Basically, Rich, there's nowhere to hide.
Yeah, my camel can handle anything with a handle. Blaster gun, a lightsaber, anything. He's the son of Vader. But do you think it's a gamble, like playing Sabacc with Lando, to put Luke up against the new generation, of course using bad folk? Nah, I got faith. You know I just can't wait, and I find your lack of it so disturbing. 'Cause Luke is a king and the Sith are vermin. Churning in the twisted sermons, Obi Wan was so discerning, but only Luke knew he could turn him. Man, it's good that he's returning. Geek me all knowing boxes stay open May 4th. I'm hoping Luke gonna be, gonna be. hot as before. 'Cause Ren looks hardcore. I don't want Sith running the galaxy. My May Fourth musings. When the good guys are losing, the hope still lives on. That empire strikes back, proving rebels are the ones who keep choosing to do good when the galaxy's not grooving. And we should back them to stop Ren. Hey, what do I know? I'm just a super fan with the flow. Star Wars freaking might explode in the cinema when those trumpets blow and the yellow writing fills my soul. I'ma cry tears, scream and lose control. Carry vision for a foe to fight with that lightsaber glow. Rumor has it that Kylo is taking over sand and snow. Mark Hamill can handle by Chris Cape. Please download the track by searching Chris Cape on SoundCloud. There you will also find the great lyrics as well as Chris Cape's other work. Many thanks to Chris for contacting us. And if you guys know of any Star Wars music you would like to hear on the show, please contact us on Facebook or at our usual address, swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. A long, long time ago, in a galaxy far away. No, no, no! Ah, lower! Join me, and together we can rule the galaxy as father and son.
Welcome to the Star Wars Vintage Rebellion Podcast Roundtable on how Facebook is impacting on the vintage collecting community. With me tonight to debate whether Facebook is a threat or an opportunity for the community is my regular co-host, Stuart Skinner. Good evening, Stu. Evening, Rich. Joining me again as an instigator of this debate with a post recently on the 1221 Back Collectors Facebook group. Welcome back again to Matt George. Good evening, Matt. Good evening, Rich. How are you? I'm fine, mate. First time on our podcast, and I'm sure it won't be the last, we have Darth Bill, Bill Horvat from the Star Wars Bounty Hunters Collectors Cast. Good evening, Bill. Good evening. Bill, if anyone hasn't checked out the Star Wars Bounty Hunters Collectors Cast, where do they go to find you? All they have to do is go to swbountyhunters.com. That'll direct you to our Facebook page. And then uh, we also have iTunes, so you can look us up on there. So. And finally, like a rash that never goes away, no matter how much cream and ointment you use, making his 47th appearance on the show, Ross Barr. Good evening, Ross. Dickie, how you doing? Okay, lads. So Facebook has over the last year grown to arguably become the most popular medium for vintage Star Wars collectors to interact, showcase and debate. It has had a clear impact on the traditional forums and the volume of eBay sales. It has divided collectors in a way typically seen when discussing new grades and repo items. The purpose of today's roundtable is to perhaps dispel some of the myths of Facebook, give advice on how to use it, and to discuss the roles of the increasingly quieter forums. To set the context for this debate, why don't each of you give our listeners a brief overview of your social networking habits and engagement with Facebook and forums, and we'll start off with you, Matt. Sure, I'm on Facebook quite a bit. That's where I spend the vast majority of my time collecting and associating with vintage Star Wars collectors from around the world. So I find that the best forums uh, out there are the, the four themed forums that Ross and his friends run, and then the, the large group run by Jason Smith. Uh, to me, those are the four best places to, to kind of hang out these days. Bill? Yeah, I uh, I typically do, I'd say, 99% of my interactions with collectors over Facebook. And I'm a member of, I would say, at least 20, if not 30, Star Wars-related collecting groups. Several of them are the more well-established ones, but there's a bunch of just niche ones out there for different uh, focuses, or foci, or however you want to say that. Ross? I uh, got my start in the Star Wars collecting community on Rebel Scum a few years back. That's that's my first home, and always going to be my first love. But I got to start with the Facebook groups about two years ago, a little less than that. A few months after being involved with that and seeing the high pace that involved, I, I thought it seemed a, a pretty good uh, medium for collecting. So Carl Easter, a good friend of mine uh, in the UK, mentioned the idea of starting focus group just on the early stuff, which was kind of what he and I really liked. Kind of blossomed from there. Pretty easy. I'm like the rash that you said that I am. I, I'm kind of everywhere. And Stu. Well, I'm traditionally a, a forum boy, as you well know, and uh, but I am a member of many, many Facebook groups. I still prefer the forums, but the forums are getting quieter. Obviously, that is an issue which we'll no, long, no doubt discuss this evening. Okay then, so moving on, some introductory questions for those who are unsure about Facebook, some of the forum guys who are perhaps a bit wary of dipping their toe in the water. So we're going to start off by giving some advice out. Bill, Facebook is a daunting place for a new member. Searching Facebook for Star Wars groups can return hundreds of results. Even today, I've just added a guy to one of my groups who, who was a member of 488 Star Wars groups. So how should a new collector identify which groups to join? I think it's pretty easy to figure out which Facebook groups are worthwhile for you if you just look at how frequently they have updates. Because once you join a Facebook group, you'll see that the more populated groups with better content 
are going to be updated with better content more frequently. The groups that aren't worthwhile or aren't your focus, I mean, I've joined a group several times that I've, I wanted to try out and then got rid of it just because it didn't have anything that really interested me. Um, and I've narrowed it down to about 20 of them now that I, uh, check out or even frequent. And of those 20, there's probably only about five of them that I really keep up with on a daily basis. Matt, I'd like to take a photo of my Star Wars collection and post it in a group, but I don't want my friends knowing about my hobby. What do I need to do? Well, first of all, you need to get new friends, and display that collection loud and proud would be my first advice to you, but if you still got that uh, that ex-girlfriend as a Facebook friend or a, a mother-in-law as a Facebook friend who thinks your hobbies are silly, collecting little bits of plastic's not going to amount to anything, then uh, you're in luck, because these Facebook groups are all closed. Uh, so no matter what all you do within these groups, it's not going to appear on your normal Facebook feed. So others can't see what's going on in these groups. Ross, I've joined a few Star Wars groups and my timeline is now full of Star Wars posts and I'm missing posts from friends and family that were of interest to me. Help. <laughs> well, you know, I, I know some people that actually create a separate Facebook profile just for the Star Wars stuff. And actually, in fact, that's how I did things... Initially, in, in my experience with Facebook, I had, you know, separate Ross Bar profile, obviously all same name that was in, in Star Wars, not a fake name, but just Star Wars only, and then a separate Ross Bar profile that was just for friends and family. Now, we all know how addicting the community is and being involved, so I, I found doing that, actually, I was neglecting my friends and family profile. I would never go on. I was always logged into my Star Wars one, so I was actually missing more having a separate profile. So I went back probably about this February February of this year and consolidated everything back to the same profile. But at that time, I was, was kind of like Bill. It sounded like 20, 25, 30 groups. And you know, at that point, I thought, even though I'll, I may be missing something by cutting down the groups, I significantly cut down the groups to 10 or 12 that I'm in now. Again, that's still a lot, I, I guess. But I, I find that limiting them to things that interest me and groups that interest me in places where the people that I, I connect with the most are involved um, was a way to kind of limit the interference, quote-unquote, interference with uh, the friends and family and all the pictures of my friends' kids and what they had for dinner and places that they went and whatever the heck people put on Facebook. So topic one, the fragmentation and early etiquette. Now, Chris Jogulius posted a topic on Rebel Scum back in September 2014 discussing Facebook fragmentation. And in a nutshell, it was a complaint leveled at the quantity of Facebook groups with difficult searching facilities and with the volume of traffic, many comments posted were one-liners or repeated comments from others who quite clearly hadn't read the 20 or 30 posts that were made above. And today there are still posts on forums with the exact same points. Is this still fair? And we'll start off with Matt. Well, I think that kind of the forums that have been around before Facebook but was basically what everyone was used to, and then Facebook came along, it was a completely different format that moved faster, and topics were flying around right and left, and anyone could post it, and the newest parts moved to the top, and kind of everything was forgotten about. But over, really, the course of the last couple of months, more and more people are coming to Facebook, and that's become kind of the, the default place to go. I've been checking out Rebel Scum and some of the other forums out there, and there's just... The posts are so few and far between that I really don't even find them very useful anymore. So everything's on Facebook. And I just think it's it's part of the reality. I mean, people can be, become upset about it because what they're used to is no longer around. But I think instead of becoming upset about it, they need to embrace it. And I would just 
offer up these guys some some suggestions that I think would make their experience much better. First thing is, you know, make friends, especially the with the big sellers on Facebook, because I think it's a very invaluable tool, because these guys that post for sale threads all the time, if you're friends with them, you'll immediately get a notification every time they post something up. And a lot of these items are coming over at really incredible prices, and they last, you know, less than an hour. Some of them are gobbled up in less than a minute. But I think if these people would would maybe embrace kind of all the things that Facebook has to offer, like you can't get sales notifications on some of the other forums, and and I myself have been able to complete a lot of my collection because of these notifications that I get from Facebook. Another thing is Facebook allows you to pretty easily make your wants known to the group. So the more you involve, the more uh, the more you involve yourself with the process the more people on the pages get to know you and what you need. And if something comes along available, they can immediately tag you and you can get a note on your phone and complete the transaction right then and there. And it's just, it's so much of an easier process, I think, than, than some of the other forums out there. You, know, you brought up many great points there, Matt, but as you said, you could get notifications from your favorite sellers, etc. Do you think that's possibly too much on your own personal private time? Certainly in the forums, it's the other way around. You've got to go to the forums and have a look. Do you feel as though Facebook can be that intense? You're connected 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Again, it's just kind of whatever you want to make it. You know, if I've got my family time, then I put the phone away. And and if I've got work time, I put the phone away. But if I've got some downtime, I, I leave it out. And really, it's kind of no harm done. A notification pops up and I don't have time to answer it, then I just choose to not look at it. Okay, Bill, over to you. Same question then. Well, um, I think that Matt had a ton of really good points there, and I tend to agree with him on a lot of them, but I have kind of a different perspective on Facebook anyway, just because as far as social media, I tend to, if I'm going to speak with family, friends, or, um, you know, associates, I would rather do that on Twitter, and I feel like Twitter is more like the target, whereas Facebook has become kind of the Walmart of social media, and honestly, 90% of what I do on Facebook is collecting related because I feel like that's one of the only things it's really good for anymore anyway because a lot of the social aspects of Facebook have just been clogged up with advertisements. Just negative propaganda is kind of what I feel like. But as for the collecting community, I feel like it's really helpful. There's a lot of people on there that you can message instantly and get answers from. Yeah, it might be different than the forums that you used to use on Rebel Scum. I used Rebel Scum for a while, and I've used forums forever, just different video gaming forums or or whatever else. But I didn't actually get to Rebel Scum until after I'd already been active in the groups on Facebook. But I, I just feel like uh, it's a really positive thing. It might be taking away from the forums, but I feel like it's what everybody's gravitating towards, and uh, I don't necessarily see a negative to it. So is your advice then to boot your family off Facebook and tell them to use other communication? <laughs> uh, maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, I still talk to my family on Facebook here and there, but, I mean, as far as, like, most of the people that I have intelligent conversations with outside of collecting, it's on Twitter. <laughs> Ross, do you think that some of the criticism of Facebook in that there are too many groups, too many one-liner comments, too many people not reading the comments above, do you think those criticisms are still fair? Just to step back for a second, Rich, I hope you, hope you don't mind. When Chris Jorgulius posted that thread on Rebel Scum, which was a really, really, really long one, I spent a lot of time 
kind of championing Facebook as a, as a medium that was very good for collectors for a lot of the reasons that Matt and Bill said, and I won't repeat them. But at its core, Chris was right. Facebook, to a large degree, with the, the proliferation of all the various groups, has kind of fragmented the community. You know, like I said before, I've whittled down the groups that I'm in, and there's a lot of other groups that are out there that I just don't participate in, and I don't know what's going on. Yesterday, I saw on Jason Smith's group an advertisement for a Bubba Fett focus group. Guess what? There's already a Bubba Fett focus group. Do we need two? I don't know. How many? I think there's two bootleg groups. I think there's three micro groups. Um, it just, to a certain degree, is kind of getting out of hand. But at the same time, you know, going back to the basic premise, is Facebook fragments the community. I don't know if the community was ever really united. There was always Rebel Scum, Star Wars Forum, UK, TIG. You can't really ever say that everyone was all together. And the beauty of Facebook is that we've brought all these new collectors, people that are otherwise interested in the hobby, that were never on the forum. Brought all these people out of the woodwork that kind of augmented the community. And, you know, in certain respects, as much as it's kind of spread the conversation out, it's brought a lot of people kind of together. You know, do I wish that every single day there wasn't a new 150th general subject matter vintage collecting group created? I most certainly I do. You know, but at the same time, Carl Easter and a couple other guys that I started some of these groups with, we started the groups when there was already a handful of groups out there. So far be it for me to be a hypocrite and say that people shouldn't create new groups. You know, getting back to some of the points you said before, there too many one-liners in inane comments on Facebook as opposed to the forum. Go back and look at the forum. There's always been guys that say awesome piece or excellent or great one-liners in the forums. It, it just took more time to do it, so there was fewer of those similar type comments. Um, and I, I think Facebook as a medium has matured, and we've kind of understood better how to use it, whether it's the search function to find old threads that people a year ago said were buried in forever forgotten. Now, myself personally, I've bumped several threads that are a year, year and a half old, easily searching in the Facebook search bar. So, point being, we're still kind of figuring out how to best use Facebook as a collecting medium. I think there's a lot more to be discovered. You know, again, I don't know that we'll ever be able to stop the proliferation of all the groups, but I certainly am one that thinks that there's more positives to it than the negatives. Matt, going back to a point that you mentioned before and was just brought up about focus groups, do you think it would help some of the guys on the forums to think of the focus groups as really sub-forums of one big forum? Yeah, I've never really been a big fan of the super focus groups on the on Facebook. I just think that the kind of more established groups that have, you know, three, 4,000 members and more are really where you need to focus the majority of your time. Um, that's where you're, most people are going to post things on there. I follow Facebook quite a bit. I mean, I'm on there as much as anybody, if not more. And I really don't pay much attention to kind of these microsite groups. I just saw where, you know, Taras's point earlier where there was another Boba Fett group. I'm like, why do you need this? Because plenty of Boba Fett stuff appears on, on the larger groups. And I think a lot of the uh, one of these smaller groups are just really not needed. Bill, do you think the mods have a bigger role to play in making the Facebook groups better? Or do you think that's part of the appeal of Facebook in that the moderation is quite relaxed? It kind of depends on where you are. There are more group, there are some groups that have more hands-on moderators that like to 
really control everything and kick people out on a regular basis or <laughs> whatever. And then there's the more relaxed groups where they're like, we don't even care if you curse in here or do whatever, you know. And I, I think you just got to find what's comfortable for you. I, I think that going back earlier to uh, what Matt was talking about, too, as far as the groups themselves and what's going to be um, more productive with your time, a lot of these focus groups that are being kind of like the niche creations, sometimes those are created by people who may have been removed from another group, and you can kind of find that out right away just because of the way that people interact on there sometimes. I mean, if you just use common sense, if you're in one of the larger groups, a seller who wants to get something sold or a seller who wants to get their item, the broadest audience is obviously going to post it in the group with the largest population because they want the most eyes to see it and they want to get the best price for their item. So I spent a lot of time in the past worrying about being in every little group, but then you just come to realize that if something good comes along, uh, a seller is going to want to get more eyes on it. So you don't necessarily have to be in a lot of these focus groups unless there's something like a Darth Vader group that you're going to be really interested in and want to see, like when Bob from New Jersey gets this cool new 12 back, which is fun too. It's not all about selling and buying. A lot of the collector of the week or collectible of the week posts are a lot of fun to see just to enjoy what other collectors are posting up there. Okay, um, Ross, last one for you before we move on then. Do you think that a lot of the negativity towards Facebook are from disgruntled vintage collectors who've perhaps built up a big reputation or have you know 10,000 post counts on their forum, have been members for 12, 15 years or more, and then have to rebuild that whole reputation on Facebook? I don't know that it's as much as they're disgruntled, but that certainly was one of the benefits of the forum, right? XYZ person has been on for 10 years and has you know, a designation based on X amount of posts. That made it a little bit easier to whose who's viewpoint you should take a little bit more seriously and you know who perhaps if they said something you didn't agree with, maybe their opinion didn't matter as much, although that's not necessarily true. They could be a, a new poster and uh, just hadn't been around. But you know, there's certainly a concern on Facebook that everyone can be an expert. Right? Certainly everyone should have a view, but most have been around the hobby for a little while. Know who the big names are. Know that, you know, when a, when a Chris G or a Ron Salvatore or a Todd Chamberlain come on and say something, that there's someone that should be listened to and they have a pretty valuable insight based on many, many years of collecting. So, frankly, the, the fact as well that Facebook includes real names and pictures of what people look like, I think that kind of counteracts the fact that on the forums, folks hide behind, or can hide behind, not everyone does, but can hide behind a fake name or an avatar. I think getting to know the people and seeing what they look like and knowing their actual names and creating a better bond with folks certainly outweighs whatever possibility that, that you don't necessarily know who to go to because everyone's kind of on the same level playing field because you don't know if someone's a moth or a an emperor or whatever the designations on Rebel Scum and, and Star Wars Forum UK and others are. Ross, do, do you feel like the community is closer on Facebook than the forums then? Because I've always found that the forums are, you get to know everybody that's in it because it is a smaller community where Facebook I find there's so many groups of so many different people that I can't 
get that sense of community on Facebook like I do the forums. I think it's kind of a mixed bag. Again, there was folks that I knew on Rebel Scum for quite some time that once folks moved over to Facebook, and something as simple as Facebook Messenger, just the ease of communication with people that I knew on the forums that I you know, I liked their posts, or we would send a, a PM back and forth, but PMs are clunky, and it, it, I mean, you can't have a real-time conversation like you have on Facebook Messenger. I actually think, as simple as it sounds, Facebook Messenger is a big part of the reason that I've become closer friends with people that I knew already from the forums. So, yeah, there's more people on Facebook than there are on the forums, and the forums tend to be more of a tight-knit community, and you can you can know more people. But I think the, the medium of Facebook itself, and, you know, again, something as simple as Messenger, has allowed me to have more meaningful and easier conversations with people, and as a result, get closer to the people that I already knew from the forums. So to wrap that up then, I think what we're generally seeing is we can dispel this myth. Perhaps it was fate in the early days of the Facebook groups when there were groups getting set up left, right and centre, but I think some of the bigger groups have evolved into this is where the vast majority of the intelligent conversation is going on, and people are gravitating towards those groups. I'd say so. I think you raise a really good point that, that I hadn't thought about. The, the Facebook medium kind of matures, that all the groups would kind of come together and create some peace treaty or whatever it would take to <laughs> consolidate all of them into seven or eight groups and eliminate all of them. But that's, that's not really ever going to happen. And I, I think they would require way too much coordination and cooperation that, that ever would be possible. But the, as the groups evolve over time and, and people's use of them, I think you're right. Certain groups will solidify as the top 10, 15, whatever it is that people are kind of paying most attention to and other groups that are proliferating. Hopefully people will get that we shouldn't all of a sudden join those groups and just spread the conversation out further. I, I, I hope that happens. I hope as things continue to mature that that's the way that it goes. Kind of the, the way I've seen it over, evolve over maybe the past six months, Facebook is becoming the place to sell product. And the, the forums, to me, are really good places for, for, like, repository of information. And Facebook is becoming kind of the place where you make friends and sell some stuff because it takes a lot less time to sell something on Facebook than it does anywhere else. And obviously there's no fees. So fast forward a year from now, I think at some point the forums are going to maybe... As more people get into the hobby, forums are going to probably take on more of a life of, okay, I need to learn about things in this hobby because I haven't been in this hobby for 20, 30 years. I'm just now getting into it. So I think that that's probably the direction that the forums are going to head, and Facebook is probably going to be more towards the friendship aspect of it, and I need to sell something pretty quick. I need to get the most money for the in the least amount of time when we go to Facebook. Matt, to pull the conversation full circle, when Chris G started the, the thread that Rich referenced on Rebel Scum, in the, again, maybe this was a year or so ago, whenever it was Rich, that's almost exactly what I predicted, or at least what I said, that I, I personally use Rebel Scum forums, what have you, and Facebook for. Facebook is more for showing off acquisitions, selling stuff, creating friendships, easy conversation, and the forums were more the highbrow archiving more longer, more substantial, lasting conversation. And I, I don't think it's one or the other. I think, you know, as, as time evolves, people will learn, I hope, to use each of those mediums or what they offer the best. Yeah, I think that's right on. I know that whenever I want to sell something or buy something or or converse with someone, like Ross was saying, the messenger just makes things so much easier to get a hold of that other collector 
and have a long conversation with them or even a short conversation about an item and just kind of feel things out as far as are we seeing eye to eye on this deal or would you be interested in maybe making this trade or and you can send photos back and forth in an instant on your items and get you know more detailed photos on an item from a collector instantly rather than waiting for someone on a forum to get back to you maybe in a day or so. But I still use the collector's archive to look up, you know, historical information on items. I still, from time to time, go to Rebel Scum to look at items and old forum posts about certain collectibles I might own or want to own someday and just seeing, you know, the history of those items. And I think that that's always going to be there. People are going to want to read about and learn about where this item came from and how it was made or any vital information that you're not going to get just from talking back and forth. So, Kind of in, in summary, just as, as we're kind of closing this segment up, I wanted to give just kind of a, an overall just impression of kind of what people that are not on the Facebook bandwagon, just, just highlights that they can take away from this conversation and maybe give a second thought about Facebook. So there's so many more features that I, I don't think people are aware of that have been on the forums for the last 15 years that I think that if they were just to kind of stick their toe in the pool and just maybe sign on to Ross's 12, you know, 12 back group, because I think that's the best run group. It kind of self polices itself at this point. There's very little drama, which is really, uh, I think whenever people think of Facebook now, they kind of think of drama and some of these larger groups, if you were to just give them a try first, stick your, again, stick your toe in the pool there and just meet the people, kind of get to know the, the big sellers, get to know what people are looking for. Learn how to use the technology at your disposal to, to really make your collection better and kind of further what you want to get out of this hobby. It's an invaluable tool. It's not the end-all, be-all. It's never going to supplant the forums. It's never going to supplant the uh, Star Wars Collector's Archive. But I do think it's a tool that need to, needs to be in everyone's tool belt that's a star, vintage Star Wars collector because there's just so many more positives than negatives. Topic two, the quality of Facebook groups stroke posts. Now, a repeated point made from the forum posters is that Facebook does not lend itself to a deep and meaningful discussion. Multiple comments suggest that the majority of posts are mail call and look, another mock type posts. Is this really fair? Well, I think that just to generalize in that sense, it's, it isn't very fair because there are a large variety of different posts that happen every day. Yeah, there are a lot of posts out there that are just hey, look at this, I just got it. But number one, this might be a new collector that just joined the community. And uh, rather than putting that down, why don't we kind of raise them up and say, welcome to the community, and you got your first, you know, Return of the Jedi Chewbacca Minton card. It's the first one I've ever got. I'm excited about it. Every one of us was that collector at some point. I mean, if you have patience with that person, even if they're the 13th person to post that this day, you know, you never know where that person's coming from. And they might just be really excited because they're, they found this new hobby and let's celebrate that and, you know, help each other out and, and encourage each other. There are a lot of, Oh, look at this 12 back or this is for sale or mail call posts. But then there's also a lot of really cool posts where you get to see items that you would probably never see in your life <laughs> put up there and i would just say for instance uh, i know a couple of weeks ago there was a dt darth vader that bill mcbride was selling and i believe it was like a early 
an early production uh, D- DT Darth Vader, and it sold for like fifteen thousand dollars. It, it was a circles circles DT saber, which is a, a yeah. prototype saber. Very cool stuff. Yeah, and I mean, I just followed that post all day and was watching it and reading all the cool comments that went along with it. And that's something that uh, you just ne- you never would see or even you know hear about if you weren't a part of these groups. So there are times where sure there's some stuff to wade through, but then you know this this circle DT saver pops up and. Wow, that made my day. <laughs> At least that's the feeling I get anyway. Matt Bill's brought up some good points there, um, a couple of them. One about welcoming new people into the community, which has always been a criticism of the forums. Certainly one who's championed uh, new members in the past. And secondly, he's brought up about quality of, of debates. Now, two I can think of the top of my head is the Jordan Hembra triple DT looks. That, that led into quite a long debate. And also the Jewish Shoemate auction that was on Facebook. So, do you believe that that criticism is really unfair on how the majority of the Facebook is just look at me type of posts? That's what it started out as. And to me, I love the look what I got mail call posts because it lends kind of a depth to the groups and kind of brings some humanity to the groups. It's not just words and black and white words on a screen. It's It adds some substance to where you can't really get anywhere else. And to the people that don't like those, just it's kind of like, the people that complain about the total number of college football bowl games after the season, just don't watch them. If you don't like them, just don't watch them. And with these posts, when they come along, just scroll past them. It takes a half second. But I like them because I always try to comment on them whenever they come up because we need more people in the hobby, and it's just the more people in the hobby, the better. And we've got too many people complaining about, look, another MOC post or a mail call post, and it's just going to discourage people from getting going in the hobby. But I think just it started there, and now it's just slowly built up over time. Once some established sellers have made Facebook their home, it's become more and more of a place that people can sell products really quickly because we've got such a niche group, and they've got such a, a devoted audience. And they know now that this is the place to go, and buyers and sellers both know this is a place to go. So they have to react fast, and because someone else, there's going to be someone else there ready to snatch up the product if uh, if you're not first to, in line to get it. So that's kind of evolved from we got a new mail call, new MOC thing going here with Facebook, and then it, all right, people started selling more and more stuff, and then people became established in that part of of the hobby. And you know, Zach Tan's a great, he's kind of the poster child for selling on Facebook because he's built up such a great reputation that he does almost all of his sales on Facebook now instead of eBay and the other forums. And kind of once that success had been established, more and more people started selling their higher end stuff as, uh, on Facebook, and Facebook became kind of the the first place they thought of. I uh, PM'd Ross after the Jordan Hembro sale, saying, I think it's absolutely amazing that Jordan Hembro, A, chose Facebook as the, the default place to go for his big sale, and that, B, they sold in less than four hours. And to me, that was kind of the breakthrough sale that we've seen so far on these groups, was that Jordan Hembro sale, because he's obviously, you know, kind of the, the poster child of the Star Wars vintage collecting community out there in the greater uh, kind of realm of pop culture collecting. To me, that that ad, that was like the single most event that added legitimacy to the Facebook community as a viable part of the vintage Star Wars collecting experience. Because 
he could have easily just gone to, uh, to eBay, made, maybe made a little bit more money, maybe made a little bit less, but I guarantee he would have sold them in four hours. And then since then, you know, Bill mentioned the uh, Bill McBride DT Circles Vader that came and went in two hours, and I think there's like four, there are three or four of those in existence. And again, he he thought of Facebook first, so I think it's now kind of accepted among the, kind of the power brokers out there in the in the community that this is this is the place to go if you got a high ticket item to sell really quickly. Both Bill and Matt, I think, use a wolf stitch to be up here, and I think you're both keeping Chris Jogulius happy because he's anno- he gets annoyed when we refer to MOCs as mocks, and that knows you've both referred to them as MOC. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's the way I've always, I've always said it anyway, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right, Stu, I mean, Matt brought up some great points that we discussed last month about Jordan choosing Facebook over probably Rebel Scum, which is where we would have expected him to take these items. Really suggests that Facebook is the, the way to move forward. But going back to the forums, what was the last meaningful discussion on any of the forums and have people really engaged in it? Is it most likely that the SWCA has actually killed the forums off because most of the information that's out there is all in that one place and there's less to talk about now? Well, first of all, regarding Jordan Hembroke, I think his DT sales really moved the goalposts when he sold them on Facebook. I think that was a massive, massive milestone in the old Facebook groups. Regarding the stories, I think you're right, Rich. I think the problem with the forums is you get new members coming on and they bring up the same topics that we all talked about a year ago. So it becomes repetitive and the older people don't then post, which consequently there is never any new real topics. It's a great question. Off the top of my head, I cannot think of the last topic that was worthwhile that I springs to my mind. Yeah, I think probably the most interesting topic that's come on any of the forums actually originated on Facebook and spilled over. Yeah, I think the most interesting ones that come up on Star Wars from UK is probably things like, oh, have you seen Jordan Hembrough sold these on Facebook or have you seen the latest story on the Star Wars archive? It's, it does stem from those things, sadly, at the moment. Hey, guys, one more point that I kind of want to add on to the Bill McBride discussion whenever he sold that DT Vader a couple days ago. He put it up there, and in the comments section, there was a tremendous amount of information being shared about that particular item. And I'm not quite sure we would get that in the forums, and I'm definitely sure we wouldn't get it if it was on eBay. Well, certainly you wouldn't get that discussion on Rebel Scum with the, the non-transactional comment rule, which basically says that you know, there's no discussion other than if you want to buy the piece, you can say PM sent or ask questions about it, which coincidentally, when, when we first started the 12-back the Facebook group, we had that non-transactional comment rule for probably well over a year, around a year. You know, again, I, I got my start on, on Rebel Scum, and the guys that created the 12-back group with me did as well were active there. So to some degree, we tried to moderate Facebook group like some of the forums. For a while, it worked. But, you know, after a while, we, we realized, A, it was very difficult with new members coming on all the time. They didn't know, you know, every other Facebook group, you, it's, a, it's a free-for-all. It's the Wild West. People can say whatever the hell they want and oftentimes get away with it. Uh, we wanted a little bit more of a civilized group and the 12-back group. But it, at some point, we realized that the interest of letting people want to do what they want to do and, and having the groups be about collectors. Remember, you know, the, the, the forums are great, but they're, for a large part, at least rebel scum is it's a business as well and you know it's it was started by a collector but you know they make money these groups the admins of the various facebook they don't they don't make money it's a you know, no compensation to be an admin or to start a group 
So they're, you know, in my mind, they're always, it always are and always should be what collectors want. What's, what's the best thing for the group? So we got rid of that rule. And as a result, there's a lot of good conversation that come from, uh, sales posts, things that are posted that someone has never seen and it happens to be for sale. And to get back to Rich's initial question, is there not a lot of substantive conversation on the Facebook group? Yeah, there's a lot of mail call and look at this and look at that and this is for sale. But you also have to remember too that the difference between the Facebook groups and the forums is that it's pictures. Really, it's pictures. Facebook is much easier medium to post pictures. So not only have I seen pictures of, of rare stuff I never would have seen, whether it's for sale or for show as part of the collectible of the week, I've also seen pictures of collectors getting together at someone's house and taking a picture of them all together. I've seen that way, way, way more in the year and a half on my time on, on the Facebook groups than I have in my time on the forums. And, you know, I don't think that anyone can say that that's a bad thing. So is it all highbrow intellectual conversation all, all the time on the Facebook groups? No. Is it always highbrow conversation all the time on the forums? No. But, you know, I, I think Facebook groups have certainly brought people together in a different way than the forums. So there's there's certainly value in that. But the discussions you say about like Bill McBride's Darth Vader, if I want to return to that story in, say, six months, I know you're saying there's a search function on Facebook, but people aren't aware of that. That story's kind of lost, isn't it, where on the forum you can just scroll back two pages and it's there and the conversation's there. I think that's the biggest uh, issue for Facebook. For absolutely me. not. Actually, I, I, I disagree pretty wholeheartedly. I actually think that, again, I don't, I don't know what the search function is on, on Star Wars Forum UK, but speaking from experience on Rebel Scum, I, I think that, again, now you, you'll have to remember which Facebook group that particular post was in. That's the limiting factor. But assuming that you did, there's a search function on your PC. It's, it's a little more clunky on mobile, but on, on PC, there's a search function. Again, you remember that it's a circles DT. Put the word circles in there. In five seconds, you'll find that post. I don't care if it's three months ago or a year and a half ago, you'll find it. I think there's a misconception from folks that just because things get buried quickly in Facebook, and I agree that they they do, that a, a good substantive post will quickly get buried by all the mail calls, look at this, 15, 20 collectible of the week posts or whatever whatever else is going on. People would learn how to use the search function. We've, we've really pushed people to do that in the 12-back group, and I'm I'm, I'm a little disappointed that more people don't do it, don't don't bump old posts. But if, if people started to play with that and you know, search for whatever search term interests you, Vader, Luke, whatever, you'd be surprised to find how quickly you'll find old posts. And frankly, I think the search function is, is preferable on the Facebook groups than it is to the forums. Perhaps that's just because it isn't that commonplace. I don't think many people, obviously yourselves excluded, but a lot of just general Facebook users probably aren't aware of that function. And going forward, maybe if it becomes more commonplace. Well, Stu, to your point, a majority of people that use Facebook use it on their mobile devices, and you can't search on your mobile phone right now on these Facebook groups. So that's hopefully something that will be rectified in the near future, but... Actually, you can, Matt. There's a there's a function that you can search on your Facebook on the on the mobile. It would probably be too difficult to explain it on the phone. You'd, it'd be helpful with pictures. But the function allows you. If you look at your just general Facebook uh, app when you when it's open, there's a search search function that'll essentially search every single group that you're in and every single post. Now it's it's limiting in that sense. But if you're looking for a very particular term like DT. Your your friends, your non-Star Wars friends, posts probably aren't going to have the word DT or if you put double telescoping, even better. Um, so it then searches all the groups you're in. So you actually can search on mobile. So it's less precise than it is on PC, but it's still possible. One thing I wanted to add to that is 
the searchability of these groups is only going to improve once people start utilizing the technology that is there. Because I know that you can tag and create hashtags or even keywords that um, in the future, um, if you want to go back and look for a post, maybe you're a seller and you put hashtag Bob's Vintage Sales or whatever, um, you can use that as something where you could keyword that post and then all if you ever wanted to find everything from that seller, you just put in that hashtag and then come up in that group. Also, you can go back and, like you were saying, search for a certain post. And as long as you're in that group, like you were saying, Ross, um, and even if you're just looking for something by a certain seller, you can search for their name and all of their posts will come up. If anything, I'd say that it's just as usable as a forum would be. Is there a fear of having any kind of deep and meaningful conversation on Facebook due to the ease of deleting threads and posts? That may be in the back of some people's minds, Rich. That's certainly happened. There's been at least one thread of note in the in the pre-production group uh, that someone deleted a, a post, and there's been one or two in the in the twelve back group where that's happened. But it's it's really really rare. You know, that's one that you've identified one drawback to the Facebook medium is that anyone that makes a post can delete it. I can say personally that due to that fear and due to that fact, we made it rule and well back group and its sister, Empire, Return of the Jedi, Empower of the Force groups, that anyone that deletes a post after it's been made and some comments are on it is suspended for a month and then give a warning and do it again and they're gone. Uh, we take it very, very seriously that you know once you come into the group and you make a post, it's no longer your post, especially when others take their time to contribute to it, provide meaningful conversation and, and things that we hope that can be referred to down the line. Um, if someone doesn't like the way that the conversation goes, they willy-nilly delete it. It's, it's an incredibly selfish activity. It's something that we've tried to counteract through this rule that we've implemented in the group. To wrap that up then, it sounds as though that the mail call photographs are certainly there. They should be encouraged. Think back to the time when you first got your mint on card or your, your first play set or you've completed your loose collection and how much you would have liked to have celebrated that with a few fans out there. Line lighting's always going to happen. So maybe an idea for one or two of the groups to perhaps for the collection of the week to keep it limited to one thread as opposed to setting 15 separate threads going at the same time. We actually, I think we tried it one week as well in particular, but it all got really jumbled and confusing that someone wanted to talk about someone in particular's post, and then there was 15 other posts behind it, so that you'd have 10 different conversations going and competing with one another. So notwithstanding the fact that, you know, Collectible of the Week will bring out 15, 20 different threads that'll push everything down, you know, as I said before, things are still there. If you want to find something still find it use your thumb and scroll a little bit or use the tap on pc and find the search functions well it's certainly something we consider though and you know maybe we'll find a point to kind of come back to it and figure out a way that we can make that work maybe we're always thinking and we you know again I, I think that's any good admin of any group thinks about and is always trying to change and, and consider what the members of the group want because it, the groups belong to the members they don't belong to the people that happened to create the group you know a year and a half ago it belongs to everyone in the group and as both Matt and Bill have said tonight, without much thought, there are deep and meaningful discussions ongoing. We've just got to learn how to use the search tools. Yes, sir.
Right then, let's go over to Jez now for this month's latest acquisitions. Jezebel. It's been a brilliant few weeks for, for people showcasing what they've got. I'd like to start off with some shout-outs, and typically to Star Wars Forum UK. On page 1722, sub-level studios, a.k.a. Mark Daniels, he's shown off a cinema ticket, which is really, really nice bit of memorabilia there. Now, I said when I first started doing this that one of my interests would be doing stuff from £5 up to £5,000 or so. I don't just want to be mentioning the big hitters. And it's stuff like this. This little bit of memorabilia, which I think is, is awesome. Now, he's got this off a chap. In fact, he bought two, and he only paid um, £21 for the pair. Look at the size of that thing. It's massive. It looks like the golden ticket from Willy Wonka. This is 9.5 centimetres by 16 centimetres. So a little bit bigger than what we get now. It's a great bit of memorabilia. Crack on. What I find most impressive about this ticket is it has the date, uh, sorry, the time of when you have to go and see the show because the doors open at a certain time. <laughs> Remember when cinemas would, you know, no entry whatsoever until 20 minutes before. And queues, Rich, queues. This would mean there was a queue, which you don't see anymore. You just kind of wander in. I mean, I remember queuing for Empire Strikes Back all, all the way around the block. I mean, you don't have that anymore. How strange. It's, it's odd that as someone who's used to queuing, particularly in Anaheim, we're now actually hankering after more queuing. That's the feeling oh. I'm getting from you there, Pete. You, you I'm want wanting, I, I am prepared for monstrous queues. We seem to be made to suffer. It's our lot in life. That's one of the things I'm looking forward to in 2016, is, you know, six or seven hour queuing. I'm, I'm up for it. Bring it on. And let's move on. Page 1724, Hooch. Now, I like the sim- simplicity of what he's done here. He's um, got a bit of a low-grey thing going on, and he's just got himself a new low-grey coin. He's just displayed it next to a loose figure, just stood in front of a Troy logo and a Return of a Jedi mint on card. It looks great in his cabinet. He's really chuffed with his new coin, and the whole thing looks really, really smart. So, uh, nice one, Hooch. Page 1725. It was Benny 100 had the first 12 display. You know, he's got his now wrapped in an acrylic case and I've asked him who's made this for you and it's actually a UKG acrylic case it makes it look like a museum piece it's fantastic Rich you were interested in this yeah um, well, I don't have a 12 action display stand but I will pick one up and I've always been wor- worried about how do I display it um, do I have the figures sit- standing on the pegs in which case it's going to be easy to knock them over especially if you've got uh, small children with grubby hands so putting it in this kind of a critic piece really protects it well and I would certainly be confident putting it on a shelf inside this case yeah I think Benny you, you've done a, a great job and I'm sure there'll be a lot more sales being generated there really really nice nice one Moving on to page 1730. Now, we mentioned Poncho last time because he did that fantastic job on his VCJ last month. He, he restored it. Well, this time, he's given himself a Han Hoth variant. And now, I've not heard of this. He refers to it as the Werther's original variation because of the colour of the legs. Now, apparently, he's been waiting two years to get hold of this one which seems um, patience has definitely gone your way, Poncho. Now, Pete, you were um, speaking about this earlier. It's a stunning condition, because I would have thought 
that um, old men and grandpas would have been sucking on these legs for some time because, <laughs> you know, it, it does look like um, a German, famous German suite that we all know and love. So I'm amazed it's in that great condition. <laughs> Excellent. There's quite a few foreign to the UK loose figures being put on the forum, which is always great to see. Once again, Hell Hippie on page 1724, he's got another great pocket, this time a Lando. Now, where's he getting them from? Where did you dig up that old fossil? Where is he getting them from? Because he's just coming up with them all the time. He's also put it on page 159 of Rebel Scum. It's just really, really good. So keep it going. And by the way, can you get me a Luke X-Wing one? Moving on again. Walkie. Now, he's put on an Uze 3PO and a Leddy Klatu. I've always loved the Leddy Klatu. I don't have any Leddy figures myself, but I think the Leddy Klatu skirt is just cracking. And he's got some PPP loose figures. Really, really good. And uh, yeah, good on your walkie there, quality. Moving on again, it's a Leddy Yoda, which Crazy Hazy's got. Now, I spoke to him about this. It's on page 1726. He'd been looking out for one for ages, and he saw that Seller had one in the States, but then he needed a cane and a snake, so he had to buy another one. So he's now got two of the regular Leddy Yodas, but combine them, he's got all the accessories he needs. He says it's worth it. He's dead chuffed with it. Crazy Hazy, good on you, mate. looks awesome. Page 1732, Stu, you think you've got one of these, haven't you? Savory 100 has shown a hand bootleg, which is the original Han Solo Polish bootleg. And as far as I'm concerned, it's one of the better likenesses I've seen with regards to bootlegs. What's yours like, buddy? Yeah, it's spot on. Mine's a bit grubby, but it's absolutely spot on for the likeness of it. Yeah, I've got several bootlegs now, and uh, you're right, it's mimics the same one i actually bought myself a chewy to stand alongside him because he was a one of my favorite bootlegs i've picked up nice he, he said to me he just said that he'd built up a few mexican and polish bootlegs he'd never had a hand one even though he was building up his hand um, focus and when he limelighted it suddenly a hand uh, a hand original bootleg just came up and and he managed to snag it from ebay so he was dead chuffed of that and it's what he's he's wanted for a while at a reasonable price so uh, yeah good on you mate it's, it's good to see and i'm glad you got your chewy for your hand mate very nice hold the phone page 1730 kavik oh my word my eyes popped out of my head when i saw this it's the absolute business it's an awesome mint on card, Pock Han Hoth. It's absolutely fantastic. This is a breathtaking carded figure. It's just awesome. In fact, what I like about it is the horizontal back is, is just awesome. I've never seen that before. It's, uh, it's really good. Oh, it's beautiful. I've never seen it either. I've never seen that before. So it's all new to me. I want one now. He got it from a Spanish collector he's known for years. It's a 3741 Seabax Spanish POC. Seabacks don't have the POC logo on the front, but often have the big offer on the front and the back. But it's just the fact that it's it's a horizontal back is really, really cool. And the yes, fact that... Um, got... How much do you pay for it, do you know? No, uh, I do not know. Some, some of these guys I have asked, some of them, you know, they've just told me, not that I intend to necessarily uh, talk about prices and stuff without someone's permission i don't know how much you pay for it uh, maybe we'll have to invite him on soon because he does show some fantastic some fantastic pieces uh, the fact that this one's got a spanish figure inside it as well makes it really quite special so you guys must check it out and and anyone listening just page 1730 
it's an absolute treat really really good so that's Star Wars Forum UK moving on to Facebook first of all I saw the Empire Strikes Back vintage collecting group been really really active recently and it was Andy Davies almost completing his Empire Strikes Back proof run Rich you were looking at this and uh, what can you explain about this buddy yeah the, his initial post was wow Ron completed uh, I think it was the FX7 was the last item that he acquired and he thought that was the lot uh, but this really shows the power of the community because within a few hours, I think it was Bram or Steve York identified that he was missing the Hoth Rebel soldier. So he's now going to have to hunt down another one to see that his run's now complete. Now, apologies to Andy, I was intended an interviewing you this month, but it's been entirely my fault. And we will have a follow-up story to this one next month. It also gives Andy, of course, an extra couple of weeks to find that missing Hoth Rebel soldier. Good luck, Andy. Couple of weeks, no worries. Go on, Andy, crack on. Yavin 4, the UK group. I just thought that this was really nice. A guy called Darren Bolton put a post up saying he's just completed his loose run. Now, this is pretty much you know, where we all started again. He said it's, it's a nice achievement for him, as much as it's a sad one. He had great fun collecting them all. The last figure he needed was the last 17 R2-D2, which he had been put off buying for ages. Is in a way, he didn't want to finish collecting them. He, he loved the hunt. He loved the chase. And now it's like, oh, I've got the last one. But you know what's going to happen now. What's it going to be next? Variations? Mint on cards? Who knows? But Darren Bolton, congratulations. It's a great looking loose run. And you can check that out on Yavin 4, the UK group. Now this is a big one. This is, this is the big one. 12 back and early vintage collecting group. Daryl Johnson and Brendy Burton. They showed engineer and pilot Boba Fett's. Not just one, but two. Both the engineer and pilot Boba Fett figures were obtained together back in the early 2000s from a former Kenner engineer. Now, these were never offered for sale on the open market until he was very lucky enough to negotiate a deal and purchase them several months ago, only just showing them off. Now, one of the Fets he's got exhibits number 21 on the bottom of his foot, and the other exhibits K12. Both are written in black ink. Rich? Yeah, it's very striking that one of these Boba Fets, you can actually see the slot on the back where the plastic has been used to fill the, the the gap where the slot was. I believe that one or two of these have appeared on eBay very, very recently and they've been denounced as fakes because some of the very, very early Boba Fett's, the plastic that they used to fill the slot up was very thin and obviously that's starting to thin over time. And then with a squiggle on the bottom of foot and pain, some of these are being passed off. So this guy's done exactly the right thing and got the provenance on these uh, to make them, you know, exactly what they are. The fact that he knows exactly where it's come from. He's had the opportunity to examine pictures of a couple of different painted rocket fire and fets from the private collection of a well-known collector. And the paint schemes and plastic shades seem to coincide somewhat with that of a painted L slot. This piece also exhibits a divot or indentation in the flat backpack area, which is sometimes seen in very early production pieces. The most interesting thing about this piece is the missile. It exhibits the heavy seam that is found only on prototype firing missiles and not on static production pieces. Also, the missile seems to ride slightly higher than the regular production static missile. There seems to be some type of transitional piece from the missile firing to the static missile. Both of these are very cool pieces of Kenner history. Yeah, that, so, seam, that seam on the rocket is really thick, isn't it? You, if somebody had made that, you give them a back and say, do a better job. 
Yeah, he, he's, he's delighted. He just said to me yesterday that he's just verified it today that these two and one other owned by a very well-known collector in Ohio are the only three EP FETs in existence at this time. He's still trying to figure out the odd missile on one of the figures. And he spoke with Brian Rachval, who is an authority on rocket FETs, and said that he'd never seen one like this in a static missile figure. So it's a great bit of history. It's fantastic that he's been able to show it off, and I really appreciate you, really appreciate him giving me all this information. So thanks very much, Daryl. It's, uh, it's been great looking at this, and uh, best of luck with the rest of the hunt. So and finally, from the shout-out point of view, Luke Skywalker Focus Group, which is obviously one of the groups which I'm checking out quite a bit because of my focus, I've seen a truly stunning grail piece owned by Ahmed Bukhara, which is a PPP, a Luke X-Wing, Trilogo hybrid. It's just absolutely fantastic. It's stunning. The amount of people commenting on this and commenting for a very good reason. It's a transitional piece, possibly the first of eight, and it's the only one which he's seen. No one else is saying that they've got one or, or they've seen one. So it's, it's fairly unique, this. So it's got the Trilogo front, and what makes it even more special is the Made in Spain sticker, which has potentially just doubled its value. But as well as being Trilogo on the front, it's a 65-back El Roteno del Jedi on the back. It is just really, really cool. And it actually has the correct figure inside, so it's got a true PPB inside as well. So all around, stunning piece. Uh, Ahmed, mate, thank you very much indeed for uh, the information which you've been giving me. It's it's a grail piece to uh, to be sure. Fantastic. So that's it for the uh, shout outs. I just wanted to move on to a couple other bits, a little bit more in depth, and keep on harping back to this whole thing about nostalgia and and the reason we do this. And it's just I've noticed that this month, particularly on Star Wars Forum UK, I've been seeing blasters. They're not the blasters which are with the figures, but the blasters which you would have had as a kid. Uh, and these these are just awesome. Now, first of all, it was Ian, Ian Sanderson on page 1724. He showed some. He, ha- he had had an Empire Strikes Back one for ages, and then he ended up getting a Star Wars one, a Return of a Jedi one, and then the Biker Scope. And then a few pages later, Colin, DB94, he added the uh, three-position rifle. And then... Same page, sub-level studio, again, showed a rifle, to which I just thought, wow, these are fantastic. Now, I've only seen these on Star Wars Forum UK because I don't see them on the Facebook groups. First of all, is there a Facebook group where you'd be able to see this sort of stuff? Yes, uh, Jez, I saw quite a lot of blasters as well appear on the Facebook groups. Um, I think it was probably the Empire Strikes Back group where I've seen a few appear, but certainly in the last two or three weeks, there seems to be blasters coming out of the woodwork. Yeah, they just completely take me back to my childhood. I would have always loved one of these. I remember there's definitely, there was one kid who didn't live that close to me, but I remember going to his house for a birthday party and just seeing this hand Solo blaster. Oh my word, I don't think it left my hand. It was just the coolest thing ever. So much wanted one of those. And now this has just fired me up that... I am convinced that within the next couple of months, I'm going to have myself one of these. Has anyone got one? Um, I used to have one. Uh, sadly, it got mangled in someone's bike spokes when I was a kid, and I was really annoyed. And I, and I was so upset that, you know, my parents were never going to buy another one because uh, it was too much money. But, yeah, it didn't last very long. 
Jez, we've talked about the three position laser rifle before. Um, what I like about the one from, is it Colin? Uh, the loose one? His actually has the D-link that's always missing at the back. Um, even the boxed one, the Paratoy one, um, is missing that link, so that's an absolutely cracking uh, condition for a loose blaster. Yeah, he's um, he's delighted with it. It obviously doesn't have the stock. Neither of the two ones, the uh, rifles, have the stock with them. We'll, we'll come on to those in a minute. But these these pistols, they are just the business. Now, what I like looking at Ian's one, first of all, is because he's got them all lined up. He's got, as I say, the Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back, Return of a Jedi. And naturally, to get myself some more information, where do I go? I go to the Star Wars Collector's Archives. Now, I had a little look, had a look at some of the pictures which they've got there. First of all, you notice that with the Star Wars one, the pistol, it's got the special button. Now, who, Rich? No, in fact, I'm going to go to you, Pete. You had one of these. What was this button called? Oh, goodness knows. Mine didn't even work. (laughs) (laughs) It was second hand, mate. (laughs) We didn't have new stuff. I have no idea what it did. Well, it's really cool because it's obviously got the trigger. Now, this is a, a, a blaster with a massive sight on it and um, so it's got the trigger but on the Star Wars versions on the packaging it said it's got a secret button okay now that's the early edition of the Star Wars ones which had the LP next to the Kenner so this was a secret button now you had to depress the secret button whilst putting the trigger to activate the sound now it was a two two sort of two speed sound you you would either have a, a short or a long press depending on what the sound was but you had to press the secret button first of all now when they changed it and they dropped the lp it was no longer a secret button the the, the secret was out they called it the action button and it was the action button from then on I looked into this again, and it wasn't pointed out on the SWCA. The Star Wars one, the secret button and the trigger, is black. Now, on all the others, the action button and the trigger is red. So, if you see these, and there's no decals on it, there's no stickers or anything like that, and you see one, some sort of flea market or farthest drum or wherever, and it's got a black trigger and a black button, you know that that's the Star Wars one, the early one. And if it's got the red, it's the later. Simple as that. These things take two C-cell batteries, and they are just the business. Now, I got some more information from Ian earlier on, because I have to say, with regards to the lasers, there's not a massive amount on SWCA. When Ian showed off his Kenner one, his Empire Strikes Back and his Jedi, what was interesting is the, the Empire Strikes Back one had a picture of Luke Skywalker walking out of the dig of a swamp in his Luke X-Wing outfit. Now, that would make sense because it's the Empire Strikes Back one. The Return of a Jedi one also shows Luke on Dagobah, but not a Dagobah scene from Return of a Jedi. It was the, the early Dagobah scene in Empire, which I just thought was really weird and a, and a very strange, maybe, an omission on Kenner's part that they had that and they put in an Empire Strikes Back image on a Return of a Jedi bit of packaging. Jez, that's an uh, Empire Strikes Back one. It's going to fit into your Luke x pilot focus because it's got a picture of him on there. You're uh, going to have to get one. Absolutely, I'm. I am going to have to get one. Is he? Is he wearing the orange flight suit as well on the packaging? Because no, uh, no, on the on the Empire Strikes Back one, he's wearing his uh, flight suit. Mm-hmm. On the Return of the Jedi one, he's wearing his sort of uh, Bespin rig from from the Dagobah scene. Right, swamp. 
so for the Empire, sorry, for the Jedi one, it's unlikely that they were going to show him in his Jedi robes on a laser pistol. Yeah, yeah, fair one. Yeah, so he didn't want any spoilers. The fact that he didn't actually use a blaster. Maybe, maybe it was just the wrong one. Maybe it should have been Han. Maybe it could have been any other figure. I guess. Who knows what? But I think the fact is, the fact that it was Luke is because, let's face it, you know, we all think Han's cool now, but I know as a kid, I wanted to be Luke. So maybe that just answers that. Sorry, also, also the Return of the Jedi is, is technically about Luke, isn't it? So maybe that was part of the thing. In 1980, the Empire Strikes Back line, Kenner did a Han and a Luke version. Um, well, the box was either a Han or a Luke version. So there, there are a few variations out there. Um, so keep an eye out for the black triggers, the red triggers, and whether you've got a Han or a Luke box. Um, but poor old Palatoy appeared only to have the Star Wars line. But I love them. They bring back such great memories. I'm just really dead excited to look forward to getting one. Well, do you reckon yeah, he's going for on eBay? In, in the box, they don't, they don't appear that much. And, well, I've seen them go for silly amounts, you know, 150, 200, loose. People can, you know, in bad conditions, they seem to be going for about... Some lunatics put them on for 50 quid and, and they can go for more. It depends on condition, but, yeah, they're not cheap. There's currently a working one on... Uh, Return of a Jedi working one on eBay... For £50, buy it now, with about 16 watches. Why you'd be watching, I don't know, but but there we go. I just noticed tonight, Savory 100, mention him again, he's just shown off a Star Wars one, which apparently was one of Ian's spares. So, uh, oh, I wish I'd known that Ian had had a spare. Um, Ian needs to tell us these things. <laughs> he does. Oi, Sanderson, nah. If anyone's got a spare loose blaster, because I don't want it in a box, because I'd just be annoyed you won't be able to hold it. Oh, you know, let me know. Ignore Jez, let me know. <laughs> I think that these blasters, it's one of those clear items that it's much cheaper to buy from the States and ship them over than to buy them in the UK. And um, there's so many of them available. Yeah. Ian. Uh, Ian has told me that there are loads in the States. I just wish that I had, I had thought about these before going to Anaheim. Pokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side. So move on to the three-position laser rifle, which we had seen as well. So, as I said, you had Colin demonstrating his, or showing his off, uh, and it's an absolute treat. Now, what, what I really liked about his is that he said he got pretty emotional. It's one of his favourite childhood toys. He had so many adventures with it. He used to love recreating the detention level scene um, at the top of his stairs leading to his bedroom. He'd stand at the top, and he'd pleased to say that not a single stormtrooper managed to get up those 14 stairs. I can't hold off forever! Now what? Not rescue! You came in here, didn't you have a plan for getting out? He's the brakes, sweetheart! He said that the toy itself was the only Star Wars item that he, he ever gave away. And he gifted it to his then-girlfriend's younger brother to try and impress her. So he was essentially trading Star Wars to access the ladies. Now, clearly it worked, because he married her. What's happened now is she's bought this for him to replace the one that he gave away. Now, he's been able to have a quick look at it, but they've put it away till their sort of official anniversary. There. But the fact is that in order to snag his now wife, he gave, he gave that away. Talk about the circle is complete. So she's managed to get that for him. And he's just dead chuffed. Can you imagine that? Yeah, but it's, it's also a bit dangerous because she must have researched Star Wars items on eBay. 
and it should, would have been in danger now with finding the true value of some of these items. So the next time a mock arrives in Colin's uh, letterbox, she may turn around and go, actually, that didn't cost a tenner. I know exactly how much that costs now. Oh, I mean, it's great the fact that, you know, he's had this and he just gets the same nostalgia I do. He said that this laser rifle is mint and he just absolutely loves it. Just putting the batteries in it brought back so many good memories. You can just see that he's absolutely delighted and that's the whole reason why we, why we do this. It's just, it's just really, really cool. There's one. Set for stun. We had sub-level. He showed his off. The Palatoy one. The one which Mark Scott doesn't have the D-click or the stock. But it's in the box, which is one of the best condition Palatoy boxes seen of, of recent times for absolute sure. Anyone seen this box? I have seen this box and it doesn't look right to me. And I know he says it's legit, but that purple... Uh, the purple background just doesn't it doesn't see Star Wars. Yeah, it's it is really, really weird. I've looked into this and again I, I've accessed the uh SWCA and had a little look at it. Now first of all, the Kenner ones would come with a red background. The uh, the Star Wars ones. And then the Empire Strikes Back ones came with a yellow background. Now the fact that this one is is really crazy because it comes with a purple one and as you said, it just doesn't look right. It doesn't look right at all. Now, he had to check this out because these were nearly always red. So he thought initially it might have been a repro. So he contacted the seller before he bid. And the seller told him that it had been with him stored away for the last 30 years. But, you know, I'm sure lots of people have been duped by stuff like that in the past. So Mark goes on to contact another Palatoy collector who confirmed that these purple inserts were indeed legit. But in his 25 years of collecting, it only ever seen one before. So after receiving the rifle, he can confirm it is indeed legit. Now, the question is, when did these purple inserts appear on the product? Was it at the beginning of the production or towards the end? Now, Mark's feeling is it was towards the end of the Palatoy run with the rifle. And they used whatever cardstock they had left over that would suffice. Another reason for this or another note is the Palatoy rifles always had, always had plain backgrounds. They didn't feature any graphics or text, whereas, again, the Kenner versions had photos of how the rifle worked. Discussions in the past of why has that been? Is that just, again, Palatoy shortchanging us and trying to keep the production costs down? Very much like with the Death Star. I think that's exactly what it is. It, they probably changed the colour from the red to make it stand out more on the shelves. Like you said, we didn't have the graphics that the Kenner ones had, but still purple. I like the idea of the fact that what card have we got left? Oh, I've got some purple ones. We'll just use that. Said so he's paid £125 for that, for the rifle, which is in lovely condition apart from the missing stock and D-ring. But the box included the original instructions and the cellophane window. He said the box is one of the best he's ever seen with just a small tape tear at the end and these boxes due to their size and construction are fairly hard to find in decent shape so he has said if anyone can shed any light or any more details on the purple insert he would be really really grateful and it would be great for us to get some feedback on that one as well so if anyone knows any more information about the palatory rifle and why it had purple that would be really really good to hear this next thing I was going to save until the end of the year reason being is what I'm going to talk about now is the Millennium Falcon. You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? It's the ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. And of course, I wanted to wait until the end of the year 
because I'm sure we are all looking forward to seeing the most iconic ship on the big screen again. She's the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy. So I, I wanted to do a big thing at the end of the year, but no, I, I couldn't help myself. I, I simply must talk about these next two. First of all, Dr. Ball, MD, on page 1728, actually managed to unwrap for his birthday a Millennium Falcon. He, like me, like I'm sure most of us, didn't get to have one of these as a kid and always wanted one. And now, 30-odd years later, Dr. Ball has managed to get himself a Millennium Falcon, wrap it up for his birthday, and then unwrap it. It's brilliant. He, all he said to me is, check this out, because this is cool. There's not much to say about it, except I've got the most amazing girlfriend. I knew that she got it off eBay. She's very thorough and does plenty of research on the forums and made sure what she was getting me was complete. She knows I've always wanted one since I was a kid. She's done it before on here with a couple of last 17 figures when I was collecting loose vintage. She even tried to find me a vinyl cake jower because she wanted to see my face when I opened it. But I've told her to be extra careful because of all the fakes out there. I just replied, put a ring on it, mate. Because, um, I mean, what, what a top chick. And when I think to all the stuff that I get bought of my girlfriend, it's just Star Wars crap. In like Sainsbury's corkscrew openers and bottle top poppers and all this kind of junk. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. But then there's another one who's done lots of research, so Dr. Ball MD, I hope you've been honest with your prices. Um, you, you said Sainsbury's. Other supermarkets are available. Have we got away with that? Is that, is that okay? Other supermarkets, yeah, other supermarkets are available that don't tend to uh, sell as much Star Wars crap as Sainsbury's does. <laughs> if I was him, I'd probably just say to her, yeah, I've gone off Star Wars now, I quite like Fifty Shades of Grey, and see where that takes me. Yeah, yeah Jez, is there anything special about this one? Is it, is it your typical Kenner box? No, it's, it's the Meccano one. It, it's the by logo. It's completely complete. And it's even got the ball as well. So they've done extremely well, but no, to get that box, yeah, top score. Really, really good. You came knocking? You're braver than I thought. Nice, come on. Again on the Falcon theme, it was on page 1733. I'm sure you've all seen it, Twisted Metal. He, he got himself a right bargain. So he's bought himself the original Star Wars box Falcon. Go on, tell me how much. Go and rate for a Star Wars box Falcon. Oh, now, now Twisted Metal's a bit frugal with his money. I'm thinking he's going to have this for around about the £200 mark. Pete? £175. Stewie? Uh, box is open, isn't it? With no inserts. Yeah. £150. £75. Bucks. Damn! Yeah. Yeah, boy, boy don't well. Oh no, it's 70 Hold him off. Angle the deflector shields while I charge up the main guns. <laughs> Just must briefly talk about the Falcon just before we go because I just, I just, this made me crack. I just checked it on Star Wars um, Collector's Archives. Tells you a little bit about it and how it was so amazing. What was the sound? You know, we said this before when we did the, uh, the TIE Fighter. Yep. What's the sound? How does it describe the sound on this one? It's the battle alert sound. Battle alert sound. Now, Pete, you're really good with sound effects. <laughs> What's your battle alert sound? I, I, I seem to remember it was really rubbish and the sound. It was like something like an eh or something. It was yes, awful. Yeah, that's very close. In reality, it sounds like this. 
so, yeah, it, it goes on to say that the landing gear folds up, the cockpit canopy opens, the entrance ramp folds down, the radar dish swivels 360 degrees, the rear deck area lifts up to expose a laser gun with a, uh, a seat that swivels 360 degrees, and guess what? The seat clicks. <laughs> that just made me laugh. That was one of the, not the selling points, but that was just a highlight. Yeah, the seat clicks. It's got a games table, a secret floor panel. Boy, it's lucky you had these compartments. Use them for smuggling. I never thought I'd be smuggling myself in them. And a remote force ball for lightsaber practice. Age five years and up, $24.77. So this was one of the first ships to come out. So obviously they had them the first issue, which is what Scott's got. And they came out again with the Empire Strikes Back packaging, two different versions of that, and the Jedi. Various different countries. Rich? Yeah, they may have came out in 1979, but mine were still this day, drums didn't they, me, that it took until about 1983 to find them, because they were so popular. Every Christmas, you know, any Millennium Falcons in stock? Nope. <laughs> Try again next year. Check out the Kenner Canada Sears exclusive on the SWCA. Um, it's the business. Now, it's, it's got a great variation from the US version because it was printed on all sides, French on one side, English on the other, whereas the others just print sheets on white cardboard boxes. Furthermore, check out the Empire Strikes Back exclusive one because it's got two free figures and two extremely well sought after version. So, Falcons, yeah, absolutely love them. Most iconic ship there is. And good on you, lads. Cracking. She may not look like much, but she's got it where it counts, kid. It was only about a year ago that I realised that... Did you say that it was a, a rear deck that lifted up to reveal the smuggler's compartment? Yes. There's a small clip inside of there that's being theorised to design to hold Han's pistol. Have you noticed that? And, and I certainly know when I've mentioned that to a few guys, they, they went, really? And then they've they've took that rear deck up, flipped it over, and, and there does seem to be a little clip in there designed to hold a gun. I have my Manelian Falcon on my lap. Ah. What do you think? And if not, what what other purpose could that little clip be for? Rich, what am I looking for again? <laughs> you know that little... <laughs> the little deck that lifts up? Yeah. Yeah, turn it over. There's a little clip on the other side. I quite enjoy having my Falcon in my hand again. It's in the piece that you lift off. You know, the... Um, the semicircle of the of the top that you lift off, flip that over, and there's a clip on the inside. W w what are those clips for? And if you notice, it's the same shape as the deck. You know, the deck piece. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the actual, the roof of the Falcon, which lifts off, not the floor panel, but the roof. Yeah. Yeah, that was my mistake. I thought okay. it was something on the floor panel, but it's not. It's the roof. The sort of a shape of the floor panel with two clips that seem to want to hold something into place. Right, I'm just doing some experimenting now. <laughs> and... <laughs> I reckon that this could hold your smuggler's compartment. In the roof. <laughs> yeah. When, I wonder what, why they've done that. Why would you want to hold the smuggler's compartment in the roof? Let's stop it moving around when you're, when you're playing with it, I expect. Yeah, the, uh, you take that little discount, you clip it into the roof, so when you're flying around Astro Fields, you don't get that little floor smashing around everywhere. She's got a few surprises left in her sweetheart. Yeah, that fits. That totally fits. 
<laughs> I, I, I can edit this. <laughs> Good afternoon. Okay, you guys got yourselves a ship. Well, thanks. <laughs> you obviously learn something new every day. I didn't think there was anything more to learn about the Millennium Falcon, but you've just pointed out those clips. I figured out what it is. Let's move on, and, and we won't tell it. We won't tell anyone, Richard. Be our little secret, otherwise it'd be quite embarrassing. Um, so there we go. I've got to say, right? I, I thought the, uh, the million folk. I, I didn't realise how robust it was. I mean, we had a family down uh, last weekend. There was five toddlers in the house, and they were all, three of them were Star Wars mad. They're running around the garden. This old million folk I, I got them to play with, and they're running around with all the ships in the air and the stuff. And one little, one little kid's at three. He's launching the Millennium Falcon down the garden. I'll take good care of her. She, she won't get a scratch. He's actually launching it into the ground. And it, it survived. It didn't, it didn't lose a single piece. It's amazing. And considering that's a 35-year-old, 30-year-old toy, and a 3-year-old is still smashing the crap out of it. Brilliant. Genius. What a toy. What a toy. Some seriously amazing acquisitions there then, guys. Um, and a note to all of our listeners, if you see something that you think we need to discuss or simply big up, please tag Jez or TVR on the post. Send us an email at swtvrpodcast at gmail.com or PM Jez directly. You never know, it might be your next pickup highlighted on the show. Give me Darth Anakin and Ben Kenobi. Han Solo, Luke, Farm Boy, and a solid Doma too. Hey everyone, find out about which three packs they did do by asking the question on www.starwarsforum.co.uk. Peace out, man. Welcome to this month's event section. Uh, coming up on the 4th of September, we have Force Friday to celebrate the release of the first of the Force Awakens memorabilia. Now, here are some of the Disney shops and some of the Toys R Us's will be open. Pete, any information on this? So, um, General News have basically revealed the places that the Toys R Us shops are going to be open for this uh, Force Friday. Uh, Brent Cross, down in Landon, Glasgow, Helen Street uh, branch, uh, Oldbury, which is in Birmingham, uh, Bristol and Warrington, which is interesting. 
So none of those are going to be Disney stores, and it's only Toys R Us in the UK. That's the Toys R Us ones. I don't know if other stores are doing it, but nothing's been announced as yet. Ah, uh, right, that's not that many then. Anyone a bit disappointed? Uh, no, because there's one near me, which is great. So are you going, are you, Pete? I will. I'll go the the Albury one in, in Birmingham. All right. Are any of the rest of you Star Wars fans? Yeah, two and a half hour drive. The Mania restore corner of that list. You don't like Star Wars enough, Rich. Clearly. Whilst Rich is driving to that Toys R Us, listening to Star Wars, you know, um, storybooks and stuff like that, to actually get his no- knowledge back up to where it should be. Indeed. Um, he can have a really good night. Well, I'm going to be at the Bristol one anyway. I think it's going to be a blast. I've got, you know, uh, Pete, if only me and you are going to go, mate, it's going to be the first night there. There's going to be a bit of hype. Are you going to purchase anything? I think it depends on the, the crazy queues, but there's supposedly going to be some exclusive stuff. Really? Yeah, so um, they're going to be, you know, to make it worthwhile, obviously. So I'll probably get that, and then, if I can, and probably buy a figure. I mean, I'm not going to be frenzied because... We know what Star Wars stuff's like. It's going to be everywhere. So uh, I'll just buy something because I've been there. I might have a look at the London one. Oh, look at it now. See, they're all falling in line. Jed, are you (laughs) thinking about Bristol now? Bristol could be on a card to me. It's a bit of a drive, but unlike our northern fellow, I'm committed to the cause. It's not, uh, like, it's not like we're flying to Anaheim again, is it? I'm sure we can... No, I was thinking that if we go to the Bristol one, and if we do the Bristol one, uh, we want to keep an eye out for some uh, potential listeners in that neck of the woods, and you never know, we um, we might be able to get ourselves a couple of interviews on the night. Yeah, that's, that, that would be a great idea. No, just to see if we can record the, the event. I think that would be great. I believe it was that we did have an email from a listener um, in Coventry, so I would assume that he's going to go to that one, and I'll, I'll meet up with him and try and get a few words. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm so glad that Jedi News have put that out, actually, because I was convinced it was going to be a lot more, and there was going to be me stood outside the Red Inn uh, Toys R Us at midnight going, come on, they're a bit late. Looking like a hobo. <laughs> I think I can see a light on in there. All the staff leaving, the night the night staff coming in. What are you, what are you doing, mate? What are you doing? The window. S- security walking him out off the premises. No, it's mate, not- you can't see it all night. Okay, the events as we move into the fall. As always, type any of these event names into Google or Facebook and you should be able to find them relatively easily. August 22nd and 23rd is Collector Mania in Glasgow. August 29th to 30th is Bournemouth Film and Comic Con. I'm going to be there myself, so I'm really looking forward to that event. September 11th to 13th, Autographica in Heathrow in England. September 12th, Blackpool Comic Con. September 19th. The London Film Convention in Westminster. September 26th, Valleycon in Pontypridd. October 10th, Field of Force Day. October 17th to 18th is Invasion Dublin. October 17th is Fantasticon in Hull. October 24th, Chippenham Sci-Fi Convention. Also on October 24th is our Disappearing Planet Charity Autograph Convention in Blackpool. And finally, October 24th, Cardiff Film and Comic Con. Facebook is a major contributor to the rise in prices and flipping. Now it's been argued that eBay and auction houses are heavily advertised, 
Many collectors naively purchase items with a view to make a profit, and the many examples of items purchased from forums or Vectis and then offered for three times the price on eBay or Facebook. Sadly, many of these sell to newer collectors coming into the hobby. Again, is this a Facebook problem or is it a user problem? It's funny reading kind of the people that have been in the hobby a long, long time. Like, I was in the hobby for since the mid-80s, and I'd collected all the way through 2010 and then had to sell my entire collection because I got divorced. But um, I recently started to collect again, so I've kind of been in kind of the, the old camp where prices were really sane and then kind of in this new group where prices have just kind of gone up astronomically really over the last 6 to 12 months. And it has coincided with the rise of Facebook, but I'm not sure that they're kind of one's the cause of the other one. I do think that as technology advances, people have more access to what they're interested in, and they have more tools at their disposal to really pursue the, their hobby. And Facebook is, I think, the easiest way to use, as we've outlined here over the last hour. But if someone wants something they're, and they and it's for sale there and it's listed for a price that, and someone's willing to buy it for that price, that's what it's worth. And whether that's on Rebel Scum or Star Wars Forum UK or Facebook or eBay, it's it's controlled by the market. What the market dictates the price is going to be. Now, if someone is looking for a 31 back Bosk and they're very few and far between, and someone posts one on Facebook for two thousand dollars because it's an AFA 80, and someone buys it, and then that's up to that person that bought it. And I think the people that have been around for a long time are usually the ones that have kind of the idea in their mind what the value should be because that's historically what's been paid up until really the last six or twelve months. Maybe a 31-back Bosk, they got theirs for $100 back in 1995, and they can't understand or process why all of a sudden now that's worth $2,000. And I think it's just part and parcel because these items are so much easier to find now. You don't have, Before eBay, I never saw a mint on card. I mean, I had to go to a toy show once a year in Dallas to just find a mint on card. Now it's obviously they're everywhere, but that's only because eBay came along and then these other technologies came along, which made it easier. So I don't, I don't think that Facebook is the reason why prices are going so high. I just think that it's items are so much easier to find now than they were 15 years ago when when some of these hardcore collectors who are complaining about the prices bought their items. Bill, do you think it's really fair to say that Facebook is contributing to the price increase? Or we're just seeing a new generation of collector with deeper pockets coming through? I would say that a lot of the reason why a lot of these prices are going up, I would say that Facebook is definitely part of it. You could say that ease of information getting everywhere, you know. You've got all of these new collectors that are jumping into the hobby because of the new movies coming out, and then also because of the fact that all media, it's in the news, it's... uh everywhere that vintage collecting is is kind of taken off it seems like recently once again and uh it, it just i'd say that facebook definitely is a factor but i think the closer we get to these movies and then as soon as they start coming out it's only going to get crazier because we're going to have a whole new generation of fans that are going to be seeing their trilogy you know and then the anthology movies and then you've got all of the older collectors and then the collectors from the 90s and so on for the prequels so you've got you're going to have three real generations of of uh, Star Wars fans with their trilogy that really are going to be enjoying the vintage line 
But yeah, I'd say I'd say Facebook is definitely a factor. I, I'm not going to deny that. There's a lot of people out there that are these new collectors that don't know what things are worth, and I think there are a lot of collectors who jump in too soon and buy something for a price that probably was more than they should have paid. And I'm not going to say that I'm not guilty of doing that when I started out either. I know there are a few items that I probably paid more for them than I should have, but I'm still glad to have them. <laughs> Stu, Matt said before that items on Facebook can sell within minutes uh, sometimes. And I've had a look through some of the forum for sale threads and some items have been there for weeks and weeks and, and not selling. Do you think that's contributing to the fact that more people are jumping off the forums and heading towards Facebook? I think a lot of our sellers that were large sellers at the time are now on Facebook anyway. I think the things that come up on our forum, a lot of them don't move. Sadly, the, the sales threads are another thing that's taken a bit of a hit on the forums. Things sit there, but I'm sure not everything sells on Facebook as well. That's, you know, to say that things are just sitting there on, on the forum and then moving on Facebook. I'm sure there's as much not sold on Facebook as there is on the forum. Ross, many of the Facebook groups have a no-bashing rule with regards to prices, but I am absolutely convinced that if I stuck a Return of the Jedi Klaatu mint on card up with a buy and over £200, it will sell. Should the Facebook groups really care about this, or is it just buy up away all of the time? I, I wasn't aware that there was a no-bashing rule on some of the groups, but I'll certainly take your word for it. You know, I think price transparency is, is in everyone's best interest. Again, we used to have the, the non-transactional comment rule in, in the 12-back group, which was similar to what they had in Rebel Scum. That's fair game now. In, in fact, I myself personally uh, posted something a couple weeks back, a pretty rare shipper for a Bubba Fett Playbell. I put it, I think it, like, thousand dollars something like that and i got laid into by a ton of people you know it, it was a it's a very rare hard to price thing and for me i i probably would have paid what i asked to, to put there but people laid into me it was probably 30 40 50 comments and i'm i'm the admin of the group so i you know a i would i would never abuse the power to delete comments that people said that was contrary to my interests I found it engaging. It was good, and clearly it ruined my sale, and I wasn't wasn't too thrilled about that. But perhaps folks were right. It was kind of the I guess market research that I needed to know that I had overpriced something. There wasn't a lot of transparency around to figure out how to price it. It's unfortunate whoever has that rule has it because they're similar to what Bill said. There's Facebook is partly responsible. I think absolutely it is. There's a lot of folks on Facebook that never grew up in the forums, never were smacked around by uh, John Alvarez for saying stupid stuff when they first came on. You know, it's very easy to come on and because you have a lot of money, all of a sudden you're buying lots of stuff and posting it. You're an authority on something. That's not true. I absolutely think Facebook is one of the reasons that you're seeing higher prices on stuff. It's an unfortunate side effect of the Facebook experience, but Bill said there's also the movies that have drummed up a lot of interest. You also have the fact that most of the collectors are now in their late 30s, early to mid 40s, and are in their peak earning years. I think that's a big part of it as well. But you should never stop any conversation. In the groups that I'm involved in, we've increasingly gone towards fewer rules, you know, making the experience better, and keeping scammers and people that charge way too high prices, even idiots like myself, uh, keeping those folks in check. I was just wondering, just out of interest, whether these three um, think that the wheels will come off and the prices will crash a little. Do you think this is what, what the future is now? This is These are the prices and it's what you've got to pay. I, for one, 
don't see them coming down anytime soon. I, you know, about a year, year and a half ago, I predicted that it, at this point in time, around the July, August, September period, a few months before the movies, that all the various fly-by-night collectors and speculators and people coming in just to profit off the hobby would be doing mass sell-offs at this time in advance of the movies, just to fight off the fact that in case the movies bombed and the market kind of fell off, that cash in and, and get all their gains now. I don't think we're seeing that. I think there's one or two big sell-offs of, of someone that I, in particular I know that's selling off a big run. But other than that, I don't know anyone else that's really seeking to profit big time off of the, where prices are. And I think, frankly, they hope that they don't continue to rise. But I don't really see the demand stopping at this point. Bill, you mentioned before about improvements to Facebook over time. And with a lot of new of the sales features on Facebook, do you think we will see something like feedback like we get on eBay where we can rank a seller with regards to sales? Well, I think the first question you have to ask is, is there the potential for Facebook to make money off of this? And I think the answer is yes. They're already starting to implement that with the selling feature. I'm betting that it's only going to be a matter of time before they start instituting fees the same way that PayPal does for transactions. Right now, I'm trying to not use the sell feature as much as possible just because I really don't like the idea of uh, Facebook keeping track of what I'm selling and what I'm not selling. I know that's probably not what a lot of forum admins want to hear, (laughs) but... I just feel like I like the way that uh, Facebook lets you do transactions free for right now and allows you to post things up uh, for sale without having that whole mess of where you're on eBay and you're paying so much percent to them and then you're paying so much percent to PayPal. And even PayPal right now, you can get around it with friends and family, which is if you're really trusting and you know the person you're buying from and you've made transactions with them and, <laughs> you know, but I feel like there's definitely definitely going to be a lot of improvements as far and developments on Facebook as far as transactions as well as creating more functionality within the groups. It's just a matter of time. Right now we're kind of at the uh, beginning phases of this and those uh, programmers and all of the developers out there are going to try and make the experience more immersive, uh, make the experience better for everybody that's involved and make the functionality better. To Rich, to get to your point about feedback, in fact, similar to what you find on the forums where folks can create their own feedback thread, a gentleman named Paul Armory, at least a year ago back, created a, a feedback, quote-unquote feedback group, where for each seller, you can create your own searchable file, and then folks that you trade with can go on and, as a comment to your file, leave your feedback for you. So it's not Facebook implemented itself, but it's a collector-driven function, that, that this group that exists for feedback. So that, that already exists. It's, as far as whether Facebook's going to charge fees is, was just discussed, I personally think that they're making the experience better and easier for folks because they want to stay relevant. They want social media, MySpace, Friendster before that. They died off because they didn't change, they didn't stay relevant, and they didn't make the user experience as good for people as possible. I think Facebook making the seller's tools and allowing folks to exchange through a debit account, which is the, the selling feature, the the ability to trade cash with no fees. You know, I think if, if Facebook started to add fees to that, folks wouldn't do it. They would just go back, back to PayPal. I, I really think that there's not some big play. There's not a big brother involved. I, I truly think that Facebook is just trying to stay relevant and trying to keep people engaged. And finally, Matt, 10000 15000 $20,000 items for sale on Facebook. How can we help keep ourselves safe with these huge transactions going on? 
Well, the number one thing would be to make sure that obviously the seller is reputable and has a history of selling on Facebook. Um, I would be very uh, hesitant to, to give over any money, particularly some of that size, to, to anyone that hasn't sold on the forums before or doesn't have some kind of a reputation that's verifiable outside of the uh, the Facebook groups. I know Jordan wasn't really involved too heavily in the Facebook groups before his big sale, but I think everyone knows that that was him and has a idea of who he is and that those items really existed. Uh, the second thing would be to make sure you're using you're not using the gift feature on PayPal. Uh, you do have more recourse when you use the uh, the actual payment method. I think you got to pay three or four percent more uh, to make sure that you have some kind of a recourse if something goes south on the transaction. But please don't use uh, the PayPal gift feature. And then uh, number three, make sure that you provide feedback to the uh, to the group once the transaction's done. And you know, if it was a success, make sure you call out that hey, I bought from this guy and he's reputable and. I really appreciate a smooth transaction if it was, in fact, a smooth transaction. And if it wasn't, um, you know, don't be afraid to, to call out the seller and make sure that other people are educated on who is and is not a, uh, a worthy seller. I do have a thread on Paul Armory's buy-sell feedback thing, but nobody's added a comment for me, so please, will somebody add a comment just so I can see I've got one. <laughs> <laughs> Topic four. Whatever happened to MySpace and Bebo? Whether you like it or not, Facebook is here to stay until at least the next platform arrives. Forums will be around for a few years too. How can they coexist to the benefit of the vintage Star Wars community? And we'll start that one with Ross. Going back to the thread started by Chris G, where a lot of the comments that I made were encouraging people to use both the forum and Facebook for what they do best. Forum's great for long intellectual highbrow conversation with paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs. If you want to limelight a run uh, that you've worked on for a long, long time and want to have it there and easy to pull, you know, you can put it on, on one of the forums as well as Facebook. I think we've all established in this conversation that Facebook is now the place to sell if you want to sell quickly and reach a, a far wider audience. It's also a, a much easier and better place, certain degrees, to, to connect with people and have quicker conversation. You know, if you want a lot of, hey, great job or pats on the back when you when you acquire one particular piece, that's also a way to use Facebook and you can get that. So I, I, I would tell people, use both. You know, keep the forums around. The forums have a lot lot to offer um, and, and certainly get involved with the Facebook groups too. But at the end of the day, people got to do what they're comfortable with. And for some people, they don't like the forums, never will. Some people that have been on the forums, they'll never like Facebook and, and you know, haven't to date. So, Everyone's got to do what, what makes you comfortable. Um, you can't just go to Facebook because every Tom, Dick, and Harry is doing it. Bill, thinking about Facebook users for a moment, do they need to bother with the forums? You've got the hassle of signing up. It's harder to access some mobiles. It's really difficult to load images. Why flog a dead horse? <laughs> well, I think it just depends on how much you want to learn and how much you want to immerse yourself in the hobby. I, for one, think it is a great idea to go to places like the Star Wars Collector's Archive, to go to Rebel Scum, to go to the Imperial Gunnery, and at least just browse them and give them a once-over every couple months, at the very least, just to kind of make sure that you're keeping up on different items that they may have added or different collectibles that you have in your collection just to learn more about them. I know that on our podcast the other day, 
we used the uh, collector's archive to uh, learn about an item, and uh, it was the vintage yak face, and and we read straight from their website on the podcast, and said, told everybody, hey, we're using <laughs> the collector's archive as a uh, as a reference. But I, I think it's really great for people to at least go out there and and use it as a tool. I mean, it's not necessary if all you're going to do is worry about flipping items or if all you're going to do is try to get a certain figure. But even if you're just going after one thing, you can still learn a lot from those websites. So I would never discount them. Some of the great conversations on Facebook have continued on at the forums and they've evolved into another beast. Does that need to continue or why can't we have these deep, meaningful discussions on Facebook all of the time? I think it's great that it spills over to the other forums because it involve it, it engages people that aren't on Facebook into what's going on on other parts of the hobby. Like I know the the Dewey Shoemate kind of reaction thread that was started on um, on uh, Rebel Scum. I think now has like 98 replies to it. It's one of the the most viewed threads. So again, not, not all of those comments were able to be found on Facebook. So I think it's fantastic. I wish that maybe some of the the discussions that were started on Rebel Scum would carry over onto Facebook, and I just maybe think that's part of kind of where we are, that big discussions aren't being started on Rebel Scum, they're being started on Facebook. But for those people that just solely use Rebel Scum, I can, just looking at that Dewey Shoemate thread, a lot of them were like, I would never get on Facebook, and I'm glad that, you know, we're having this chance to talk about this uh, on Rebel Scum. So hopefully that trend continues, and um, if those folks aren't going to go on Facebook... Obviously, major goings-on, and I would be remiss if, if they weren't able to participate in that, that discussion. But I would also, people on Facebook, I do think that we should educate other people that are on Facebook about other areas of the hobby. Like, uh, we've talked about the, the Star Wars Collector's Archive. I think it's the SWCA.com uh, a couple times before on this discussion. And that is, like, that's, to me, that's the best site on the Internet because that's where everything lives. You know, you got write-ups and images about any and everything you could possibly want to see in vintage collecting. And, and I'm just going to use this time to kind of pimp someone that's, I think, the best, most knowledgeable, most engaging, most entertaining person in the hobby, and it's Ron Salvatore. And anytime you can look at any of his writing or hear him talk about his experience in the hobby, you'll be better off for it. And there's a lot of stuff on the uh, the SWCA.com that, that he's contributed to. And I don't think that uh, we have that kind of thing on on the Facebook forums, and if we do, it, it gets lost, and we we owe it to the the larger group on Facebook to kind of bump that up every now and then, just so it's it's visible. I know a lot of people that are on Facebook are new to the the hobby and are just getting going and don't really know of these forums and these these websites out there that exist that they could spend a tremendous amount of time learning about the hobby and uh, picking up on things that they might not know about. Stu, got a typical grumpy forum user who absolutely will not use Facebook, such as Matt's just described there from some of the guys on Rebel School, most always from UK. How are you going to convince them to at least try Facebook? I think if they want to stay in the uh, community and have an active part, I think they're going to have no option but to go to Facebook. I think that is the, uh, the way forward. I do think Facebook need the forums still, though. I think things like the Imperial Gunnery, when I buy a figure or something and I'm a bit wary about the weapon, I go to an Imperial Gunnery to do my research on it. That's not available on Facebook. So I think there's got to be a happy medium between the two, and I think those forum users who are... I've not been... I'm a member of many Facebook groups, but I'm not a really active user, but some of the information these boys are given tonight, I would probably go back, take a second look at it, and uh, give it a bit more of a go. Okay, so that's an awesome debate, and we're coming to the end of our topic now. So, final thoughts. Bill, Facebook, 
Sell it to me. You've got 30 seconds. <laughs> Do it. No. <laughs> I would say that if you were going to get started on Facebook, the pros out greatly outweigh the cons because you have the access to Messenger, which lets you talk back and forth with other collectors that are really big in the hobby and lets you get to know everybody. You can get real-time feedback on items from different collectors and different sellers, and uh, also just the way that you can kind of price items on there. There's a great amount of input from different collectors to legitimize and authenticate items. So there's a few. Mark, you want to take the Facebook threads a little bit further and perhaps thinking about introducing a podcast. Sell that podcast to me. Why should I listen to it? I think the goal of the podcast is to do smaller podcasts, but more frequently to kind of keep up with kind of the format that Facebook lends itself to, uh, cause it's just, it's nonstop in your face. But I do want to make sure that we're getting the, the Facebook forum users voice heard in the podcast community. Um, want to just make sure that we highlight whatever happened that week or the, the, the two weeks before, however often we decide to do it. So we're always kind of keeping the, maybe the non-Facebook user up to date on what's happening on Facebook in order to Hopefully, maybe get them to try Facebook out. Ross, okay then, so Star Wars everywhere. I'm seeing on the TV, I'm seeing on the radio, I'm getting bombarded on the internet. Even my family are sick of hearing about it. How do I start to interact with Facebook? Uh, how you start to interact with Facebook? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think choose, I would come on and, and search from, for some collecting groups. You know, again, you'll, you'll find a ton of them. But look for the ones, target the ones that have at least two, three thousand members, if not more, and join them up. It might be a little overwhelming initially, but at some point you'll find ones that suit your needs. Each of them are kind of different. It depends upon kind of the style of the admins that run the group and the various members that are within it. And everyone will kind of find something that suits them. There's, if you have a particular niche, if you collect baggies, there's, there's a baggy group. If you just like Empire Strikes Back collectibles, there's an Empire Strikes Back focus group you can go to. So, there's really something out there for everyone. I'd also talk to friends of yours in the hobby. You know, at this point, most people know the handful of groups that really have a lot of substance and have lots of good guys and girls in the groups that uh, are members. You know, I'd ask a few friends, which groups do you recommend that I join? But if you're reluctant to join, all I'd say is that better for worse, Facebook's kind of here now. This is its moment in the hobby. This is where a lot of really interesting sales and really interesting conversation and perhaps most importantly, really, really great connections are being made. I feel like if you're just crossing your arms and saying, no, 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 you're missing out. And finally, Stu, isn't Facebook just for Americans? (laughs) (laughs) No comment, mate. I'm not at all. You're leaving it there, are you? Not at all. (laughs) Okay, then. Well, thanks very much to Bill Horvat, Matt George from Ross Barr and Stuart Skinner for a fantastic roundtable on Facebook. I hope that if I haven't changed anybody's minds, I've at least made them more open and go and check them out. We'll put a list of Facebook groups up that we recommend on our Facebook feed. Uh, I'm sure Bill will as well on the Star Wars Bounty Hunters Collectors podcast, which you must check out on iTunes. Come visit Ross and Matt on the... Actually, Ross, do you want to tell me what groups those are? Yes, I'm uh, I'm an admin on the, the Star Wars 12 Backs and Early Vintage Collectors Group, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back Collecting Group, and the Return of the Jedi Collecting Group. I'm not admin of Power of the Force, but I recommend that one as well. It's kind of our sister group. And Matt, are you in any group that Ross hasn't mentioned there that's worth checking out? 
I always recommend the the big group, Jason Smith's group. It's the one in all lowercase letters. That's the one, uh, it's like Vintage Star Wars Collector's Group or something like that. And then Jenny Bennett's got one that's really good. And then the, the Lemcules have one that's uh, that's pretty good as well. If you spend any time in any of the uh, forums that Ross mentioned, you'll find links to those two groups, I'm pretty sure. Okay, so what are you scared of? Come and join the fun. So guys, you've just heard the interview there between Stu, Matt, Bill and Ross. Obviously quite poor Facebook comments coming through there, although a lot of forum sentiment and a lot of forum praise. Has anybody got any comments on that? I'd like to hear some forum guys come forward on this actually, because the one thing I do like is I do like the fact that they have been able to say, you know, how much positive stuff has come from the Facebook groups, and it seems like the best place to sell, certainly. But I'd like to query things like, you know, the Facebook groups are able to do this because they're, they're able to stand on the shoulders of the giants that came before them, where all of this information was. I mean, could Facebook handle the Toy Tony scandal? I don't think it could. I think we're talking tabloids and broadsheets here a little bit, and I'd really like to hear some of the forum guys who have all got Facebook pages anyway. And I'd like to hear some, some of their points of view as well, because I don't think it's about refuting anything. I think it's about, you know, discourse and, and finding out the strengths and weaknesses of both formats. But um, I think the interviews were great, though. I really enjoyed listening to it, and I'm definitely more Facebook than I was a year ago. Pretty much what you were saying, Stu, as well, wasn't it, where some of the points that they brought up, we certainly need to go back and look at, at Facebook and look at its settings and, and figure out how to use it properly. And I, I've certainly noticed in the last week, more and more people are hashtagging posts to make things easier to find. Jez, you've used Star Wars Formula UK for quite a long time. Now, Ross mentioned, and I totally agree with him on this, the searching facilities on Rebel Scum is absolutely appalling. It's very, very difficult to find anything on Rebel Scum, and I think it's partly to do with their archiving. You've searched for things on Star Wars Formula UK quite frequently. It's part of your LA. How do you find the searching on that? Yeah, I find the searching is really straightforward on the forum. Just uh, keywords. You've also got the originators as well. If you think, oh yeah, it was so and so who raised that. But the search function is very good. Um, Ross brings up some, and first of all, I really want to obviously highlight thank the guys as well for coming on because really, really good sports and really, really interesting. And it was it was very interesting and informative to hear about the search function there. Did say that you can't really do it so much on the phone, more laptop and this, that, and the other. I personally am on my phone more than I'm on the computer, so it does appear that the search function for me generally on the forums will be better. But I was definitely swayed a little bit more, so certainly a lot more pro-Facebook than I was beforehand. I was kind of indifferent, but it's just opened my eyes quite a bit more, so thanks for that, and I'm definitely keen to get into some more groups. I'd be quite interested to, you know, I think that that's what they highlighted, that, that you know, there's different strategies for getting different things out of the hobby by using a mix of both the forums and the Facebook groups. But I wonder if the Facebook group could do something like, could they do a uh, a thread on the rarity of you know, 65 back uh, Emperor Offer figures? I mean, would they be able to get that information together knowing that the format uses page where posts knock things up and knock things down. I mean, because they put that information together, whereas on a forum you can actually get those threads and add data and collect data and quote data. Maybe that shows that they are yeah, two different types of medium. Maybe that's the thing is people need to get used to using both Facebook and the forum for the different things that they need out of the hobby. I think one of the most important things to come out, you know, from listening to the, the roundtable that you produced there, Rich, is that uh, it's so easy to blanket. There's so many Facebook groups, and they are afforded the single blanket of Facebook groups. The forums all have their individuality, whereas the Facebook groups are all cast under one big umbrella. And I think that that's important to recognize that not all Facebook groups are the same, and where some of them are, you know, not exactly the greatest, and then others that are essential. 
Now, that is a good point, that, Grant, because we did briefly discuss that. Six months ago, I think I personally would have just lumped all the Facebook groups together. But now that I've engaged a lot more and I've unfollowed so many groups in this last month, I think I was po- I was a member of 25, maybe 30 groups at one point, and I'm down to a core of about seven. And you really need to go and find where you're core interest in is your interest in card backs if it isn't in card backs then what are you in the card backs group for and it's like what you were saying before about using not just facebook all the forums it's about using all the medium that's there using facebook using forums and using the swca and even going back to things like books kellerman book and things like that and any kind of vectors publications it's a much bigger thing than what it was what you said there was quite interesting and a good point there were too many facebook groups Especially ones just covering general Star Wars collecting. And I think some of the, I mean, I know, uh, Jason's got a monstrous group, which I, I very rarely kind of go on because the same people tend to kind of post the same things across the board. And I think it's better, um, that we have the niche, the small niche groups, you know, if you're a Luke Skywalker collector or you're just a car back collector, that sort of thing. I think that's better and more healthier because you also wheedle out some of the, the lunatics and the, you know, the people who aren't actually there for the right purposes, just there to cause trouble or to try and scam people. I think, I think it's gonna, it's, it's gonna get to a head over the next maybe year or so when even more Star Wars fans will suddenly appear from nowhere and join Facebook groups. And I think it's gonna be a healthier thing going forward. So there you have it, guys. Quite the strong pro-Facebook feeling there from our guests. And I think our Stu, a loyal forum user, has been swayed to give it another try. But at the Vintage Rebellion, we're interested in hearing opinions from all parties. If you've heard something in that interview which you are intrigued by, or indeed vehemently disagree with, then by all means contact us on Facebook or email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. Who knows, we may have another roundtable coming up soon, and you could be a part of it. Okay, welcome to this month's Oddball section. Uh, today I'm delighted to have Craig Stevens on, uh, which is an honour for us at the Vintage Rebellion podcast. Uh, Craig, I would say, is a first-generation Star Wars collector. Uh, by that I mean he didn't come back to it with the High of the Empire novels and the Dark Empire in the 90s or with Sand Suites from concept book like many of us did, but in fact has been a collector from the very beginning. Craig, I hope you, you don't mind me saying that. I think of you as more than a collector. I think of you as more like a, a Star Wars historian even. Okay, uh, thank you. Many many people will have heard you know have heard your vo- uh, heard your name this year already from probably selling the most expensive production Star Wars figure when you sold the thirty back Paddy Toy Boba Fett earlier this year. Uh-huh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That that must be the most expensive sold production figure at, at least that I know of. I think it's got record so far. Yeah, yeah. Um, Craig, you're writing a book at the moment about Star Wars in the UK. Um, I've had the privilege to read a draft of this, and I think, actually, that the book itself is incredible. It's definitely defining what I collect and shapes my interests in Star Wars collecting, and I'm sure it'll have the same effect with other people when they read it. Is there any update on the book? How are we, how are we coming along with that? Uh, it's finished. It's kind of Dutch and hell, really. Um, you talk to publishers, um, uh, different people uh, who are interested, not interested. So uh, I'll see how it goes. It is finished. It needs to be released, that's all. Yeah, I'm dead excited, I'm dead excited. Yeah. 
to see a finished version of that. I thought what we'll do today is uh, set up sort of what, what we're going to talk about on this podcast and probably future podcasts as well is um, both myself and you have uh, an interest in the Star Wars items that aren't just the figure runs like the Pally Toy and the kind of figures but actually a lot of the stuff that we coin as oddball uh, these days of the sort of the throwaway items, the items that people didn't, wouldn't have thought to have collected or to keep to one side. Uh-huh. Now Craig, I mean you're interested in this as far uh, deeper than mine but I thought what a way of setting it up from studying it from a UK point of view is to look at with Star Wars changing the world in America what was it like in Britain with the film already out in the States was there a lot of you know excitement being gathered or was there a lot of Star Wars around in 77 to uh, explain today really it's something like um, the Beatles crossed with the Osmonds it's something, the excitement was something you couldn't even describe uh, today, really. The news hit almost immediately in the UK, and in fact it was a, um, it was sold as a British film. It was something us Brits could be proud of, and the Yanks were going completely crazy over and we couldn't see it. Um, it came out in uh, the 25th of May, 77 in America, and we had to wait until December 27th in, uh, in Britain. And that was only two cinemas in London. And so you can imagine the kind of the, the, uh, the craziness that went on in England waiting for Styles to turn up. Uh, I mean, the, um, the disco record by Miko hit the top ten in September without the film even in sight. And so it was, it was a pretty crazy time. It really was, yeah. Was it, um, like, in, in the States they had... One of the first things we're going to look at is the novel that came out in America in 1976. They released The Adventures of Luke Skywalker novel. Now, did we have anything like that? in 1976 or was it did we have to wait till 77 before any sort of merchandise hit the shelves in the UK yeah it was 77 nothing 76 whatsoever uh, we got the uh, novel in uh, in say June um, 77 um, bookshops had their own kind of signage to promote that alongside the uh, the soundtrack, uh, soundtrack album too that was all shops doing their own kind of promotions and signage to, to promote the fact that they had it does a lot of that signage still exist today uh, it may do. I haven't got any myself uh, from the book or the um, or the soundtrack. Yeah, the other big item was the um, Star Wars comic. The American comic came out in um, England in say again about June, but it's priced in pence, not uh, not uh, not cents on the front uh, cover. So that was an early item too. Um, yeah, uh, but the first item was really massive uh, collectible was the uh, Super 8 film. Yeah. I mean, uh, collectors have seen, no, we've all seen those funny Super 8 films on eBay and going for no money. But back in 77, um, that was, was going crazy because, to explain further, in America, as soon as a film came out, say like Jaws, um, the Super 8 version came out at the same time as part of the Hollywood schedule. And Super 8 is just a smaller version of the film cinema. Uh, cinema is 70 mil or 35 mil, and we had 8 mil for the home. And uh, uh, a company called Mountain Films in the UK did uh, imports from America. Uh, they imported in Star Wars. And it went bonkers. They couldn't get enough copies. It was just literally, everyone wanted a small part of Star Wars. It was like 15 minutes or half an hour, or it'd be black and white silent, something stupid like that. But everyone wanted a copy, and it was, it was crazy. Is, is these Mountain Films, I mean, it was only last night when we were talking that I've ever heard of the sort of the Mountain Films release of these. Now, in the States, uh, Ken Films did uh, yes. 20th Century Fox versions, uh, licensed versions of these uh-huh. films. Are these the same as those, or are these unlicensed? Or Okay, it was unlicensed. They just got, um, as far as I'm aware, playing uh, reels of film. It wasn't that, there was no packaging. 
Uh, most of the films had their own uh, leaflets. They did some lovely posters, Martin and three on, to promote the um, uh, the film. And they were sold in what they called home entertainment centres back then. You could go along there and buy 15 minutes worth of, say, Jaws or some other film and, and play it at home. And the other thing to say is the um, the colour projectors were enormously expensive. It was like if I a car or something. It was like the, some sort of wall-sized TV today, you know, that kind of mega bucks to pay uh, colour uh, film at home. And you could get silent uh, projectors and black and white ones, but the real business, business end of it was the, the colour sound ones. And uh, yeah, people went crazy for their 15 minutes worth of Star Wars. And, and this, they were, they would have been able to have got a hold of this film before the Star Wars was released in the UK. Yeah, this was um, probably um, uh, October time. Um, they got them over here, and with all the kind of craziness waiting for Star Wars, if you had a projector at home, oh, what this is? We've got, we've got Star Wars. This is come around, come around. You know, we've got the, we've got the film, or oh, a piece of it anyway. That's, that's incredible. incredible, and to think that something like 15 minutes of black and white would generate that amount of excitement. Yeah, yeah, and the, the car sound ones always ended with the um, yeah the the, um, the gunport sequence right. at the end of the uh, end of the film. And someone I spoke to um, when I saw the film at the cinema, uh, they got off from their seat. They were, they were trying to leave the cinema because they thought that was the end of the film, and then they <laughs> sat back down again. Uh, well, there's more of the film to come, you know that that kind of thing. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, uh, do these yeah. are these films readily available now? Do they ever come onto the market at all? Uh, it's on eBay. You see them sometimes without. Their boxes, mostly they're, they're with their boxes. Um, it's all the same film. It's all the same thing. Oh, amazing, excellent. Okay, yeah, um, just as you you know, around about the same time as this, you mentioned the uh, American uh, Marvel comics that came over. That's right. Yeah, and they were com- converted to from the American ones to pence. Now there was, am I right in saying that there was five or six issues of this? Okay, um, I spoke to a few people on this one. And uh, it's a confusing um, issue. I think what happened in the end was they did a few issues with the pence, and then they kind of gave up and did the best in, 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 in sense. So I've never ever seen anything beyond issue five right. in, in pence. But they could be out there. But um, in all my years, I've never seen anything beyond issue five priced in pence. If, if someone out there is listening to this and they've got a whole run of pence is- issues, I'll be interested because I've never seen them. Have, have you ever come across issue one? No, I haven't. It's two to five. Always turns up, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure she must be out there somewhere. It must uh, be, surely. Yeah. Well, that would be dead exciting, wouldn't it, for something like that to pop up. It's such an anomaly to have, like, a whole issue missing from a run of comics, especially the first issue. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, number one in Pence is my, one of my top ones, yeah. Well, you know, the, a lot of the, the, the first stuff that came out seems to be licensed by 20th Century Fox. You know, coming yes. up, you know, if we discuss like the soundtrack album as well. Now, 20th Century Fox owned the rights of Star Wars, is that correct? Or the distribution? Okay, the um, merchandise uh, was 50 50 split. Lucas um, negotiated um, 50% of the um, profits and they had an equal share on the decision making too, in theory. Although they both kind of pushed and pulled their own ways, as far as I'm aware. This is only my impression of this. Um, you'd have to be a legal expert to go into the whole thing and, and find out the nitty gritty. But, um, uh, yeah, it was 50% each. And, um, I think Fox did some things that Lucas didn't like and vice versa. That's the impression I get without quoting me. <laughs> okay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is, uh, because the, I mean, I remember, um, reading about how big the album was when that came out. Yeah. Now, what you see on eBay often is the, the, the two, uh, record 
version of the album with the gatefold sort of sleeve and the the poster as well now yes is that typically the first album that come out because i've noticed as well you can also get ones which just have uh, a single record in it yeah there was um there was two versions um there, there was the double and, and the single and uh, as you say had the uh, the free poster which was uh, a lovely piece okay. and uh, some have a sticker saying this is the actual soundtrack the real soundtrack because there was dozens and dozens of um you know sort of rip off you know, copies of the of, of the uh of the record and there's nothing to protect the the soundtrack uh, the way that rights are given they're given automatically for any anything if you pay the, the um pay your your dues uh, through the licensing agency anyone could do anything really and right. so poor star wars um had had dozens and dozens and dozens piled high of, of, of copies of the soundtrack and the single it, it was kind of crazy really so people were able to listen to the soundtrack in the UK before the film came out. Absolutely, it was a hit hit record, a hit album before it, it came out. Unfortunately, it didn't hit number one in the album charts because it, it was available for too long. Something like the Muppet movie uh, had its album released just after the movie came out, and that whammo went straight to number one. You see, the Stars was able for so long, it never kind of quite got there for number one each each week. Oh, that is a shame. It's uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's still you know gold started instead of uh, you know many times over. Yeah. As these are you know very film related, the actual sort of um, merchandise collectible stuff started to find its way in. Am I right in thinking like one of the first British companies to get the license was a company called Letraset? Absolutely. Yeah, they were so um, ahead of the game um, as always um, throughout the seventies and eighties. Uh, if something came out, um, they were the first there. They had their scouts there looking for what was new for the kids, and um, they released the, the three uh, transfer packs very early, kind of like um, August, September, and uh, they went, went crazy. And um, it sounds a bit crazy, but they were kind of our video games back then. It was such a hard thing to do. You had one chance to get it right, and often you'd muck it up and get another one because you put those stickers down. That's it. You can't do any more. That, that's it. You've got stormtrooper in the air or some blaster up someone's nose, whatever. You know that that's that's it. Yeah, you can't do any more about it. And um, it's kind of competitive. You take your you know wonderful completed transfer set to school, and it's all in perspective. The small stormtroopers, small catches in the background, the laser bolts are all in line. You can say to your friend, "What, what the hell are you done there? What's that gigantic Chewbacca in the background doing there? What's that? What, what, what are you doing?" It's very competitive. And it, it took a long time to do your, your proper uh, set, you know, make it look good, yeah. Amazing. So the Letra set came out with the, th- the three big sets that are available. Those are the yeah. first issue ones, are they? The first issue, and they came in a very nice um, uh, counter display, which is, is difficult to get. That's the real hard, toughy, get the, the display. Right, okay. And I'm, I'm sure as we uh, as our conversation continues, we'll be revisiting Letra set. Um, yeah. am, am I right in saying that they jumped the gun a little bit when it came to when they should be releasing stuff? Um, not really. They just they were the first licensee to come on board. They just jumped on, uh, you know, sort of August time, even earlier, really. Uh, they do what was what was hit with the kids, and um, yeah, they sold below a million sets before the film even came out. It was just crazy. A million sets. That's an incredible amount. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, one of the, the things you highlighted that you would like to discuss, and I've tried to do some research on it, I can't find anything about it. Rank Organization Coming Soon Booklet. What is that, Craig? The uh, Yeah, they just had a um, magazine. It's actually called the Odeon Preview Time, uh, A5 sized uh, magazine. And each area would have their own, own copy. 
um, you know, and have big local businesses have tires, like local you know, chip shop or something in there as well. And they'd highlight the, um, the films coming up. And the one for um, uh, 77, uh, that, that time, I've got my hand here. It just says the um, bringing news of films coming your way. Right. It has styles in it, has close encounters. And it, it really makes styles sound great. It's like a, um, it's a, a adventure story. It's a um, western, it says, and it's like a, a fantasy story too. And it makes you want to really want to see it. It's a good advert for Star Wars. Amazing. You got that. Uh, you got that free in the in the in the, in the cinema um, quite early in uh, maybe sort of June time in uh, in seventy seven. Oh, okay, excellent. Yeah, so I don't think that magazine existed much beyond that. I've not seen my Empire or Jedi, but just Star Wars. Yeah. Oh, okay, amazing. Um, I'm following um, Letraset. Uh, Helix came on board. As anyone who went to school in the UK would know, Helix. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You know, stationary orientated school sets and things like that. Uh, what could you tell us about uh, Helix and sort of like their unique fingerprint on Star Wars in the UK? Uh, it's something that, that many of us, many of us remember. Really, it's it's the fantastic artwork which was unique, wasn't it? Um, uh, and uh, and the photographs and everything. It was just amazing uh, items to have. Um, and it worked in conjunction with uh, Letcher Set because. Uh, Helix was the things to write uh, with and sharpen your pencils with, uh, etc. And Letraset were things to write on. And so they both had licenses which didn't, uh, which didn't clash. Was, um, I mean, do you remember Helix, Star Wars Helix in the store when you were younger? Absolutely, yeah. There was everywhere. You went to Smith's or, uh, uh, or the local newsagent. Star Wars was something that everyone had to have. And so it was, it was in your newsagents, it was in anywhere that might sell stationery. They had Helix is absolutely everywhere. It's kind of galling right now. You look back and you think, well, if only I had known. <laughs> you don't know as an eight-year-old, do you, really? You know, you're lucky you have one desktop pencil sharpener or one, you know, or one, one uh, sketchbook or something. You know, that, that's, you're lucky to have that. That's like gold dust. And to pick up a display box back then was, uh, was something unheard of, really. Yeah, speaking of, I mean, as a Helix collector myself, speaking of the, the display box, I still haven't found the, the math set tin mass set display box no that yeah that's advertised in the um, Star Wars Weekly isn't it yeah, yeah I've never seen it online or anywhere else um, or reference pictures but uh, I, I suppose it must have been out there it may be lying there waiting for us somewhere it'd be dead exciting one day to actually stumble across it yeah yeah you know just even if it was just ripped up into pieces in someone's attic stuffed in the corner somewhere it'd be fantastic to see absolutely yeah it does yeah. exist uh-huh. um now the the Helix stuff then that's sort of like bridging the gap now into the time of 1978 when Star Wars is actually out in the UK in London you can see it and this is sort of like the 1978 where things are actually starting to gather some kind of speed when it comes to the marketing and merchandise of Star Wars in the UK. Okay, it was still quite frustrating because no one had it in their area. Um, in January '78 it hit uh, 12 big uh, big cities, right? Like Birmingham, in Manchester's. You know, uh, sort of Cardiff, the big cities, but in uh, January '78. But locally, you still had to wait for it. Um, I was lucky; my area was um, Greater London, and my dad drove to the nearest cinema we had in uh, uh, end of February. It's a few miles, but we had to drive to it when we got there. That's Ilford, and uh, we saw it there, and it was just absolutely fantastic. They only had a certain amount of prints. There were copies of the film, and uh, each area had say a few weeks to show the film in. On a Thursday night, they'd pick it up by a van, 
and drive it um, off to some other place in the country. So it got more and more rural as as the year went on. Okay, and uh, believe it or not, it, it took um, until December, you know, a whole year to get to the more, more uh, you know, the, the uh, out the out the way places. There's um, satellite towns to Manchester. Yeah, December seventy um, seven. They finally got the the film. There's a big headline in the paper saying, we've got it at last! You know, big exclamation mark. It's finally got here, you know. There's this thing we've been hearing about and, and learning about. A year later, we've finally got this thing, and it's just arrived. That's kind of amazing, considering now it's like worldwide release on the same day or within two or three days. It must have been, you know, the, the journey to of anticipation must have been so exciting back then, and really, you know... Whereas yeah, now you just yeah. click a button and you, you, you get everything. At a, you know, you miss that journey these days, don't you? In a way you do, yeah. yeah. And uh, local press were you know, instrumental in selling Star Wars. Um, nearly every local newspaper had um, a serialisation of the film over several weeks to help you wait for the film to turn up. And they had um, whole pages of advertising where they had some pretty corny advertising, you know, um, gents you know, star making suits or something silly like that or this ice cream pilot had a star spangled ice cream to celebrate Star Wars it was pretty corny but it was a good spirit uh, you know that's all the, uh, the companies you know uh, local to the, the showing of the film Is there any collectability or value in things like you know the newspaper articles film reviews things like that of Star Wars at the time? Um, absolutely uh, I think it's growing um I've been up here on a few things recently on eBay, which I would never done originally. There's a beautiful set of um, Star Wars uh, tickets from the Manchester uh, Odeon. And the idea was that the um, local newspaper bought the entire first day's tickets for themselves. They bought the whole lot and used them as a um, competition prize. And they had them printed especially with Star Wars imagery on them, which is absolutely beautiful. And a set of four came up on eBay. which hadn't actually been claimed back in '78 for some reason. I didn't want to go and see it. But that went for astronomical sum. I, I got nowhere near that one. And so the, these tickets and things do, you know, they do go for some money. Yeah, I, I, I didn't get any, any of the uh, signage, but I have some very nice uh, bits and pieces, I'd say, from uh, from '78. Uh, yeah, Dwight Smith. They um, uh, they always used to have their um, vouchers on paper, like all shops did. It wasn't a card like nowadays. It was a paper voucher, and they produced a, um, a Star Wars card to have your vouchers in. And inside it says, um, "Get your Star Wars stationery and your." records and things from Dominic Smith. That's quite a nice little thing. It's not licensed, it's not licensed, but it's a nice thing from the time. Regards to signage, I've got a um, quite a nice um, card from Dixon's. It's a semicircular card that went behind the LCD watch, saying the LCD watch here for nine ninety five, and they've got Ash with Fipio on it. Amazing. That's quite a nice thing. And um, the other big thing for us as kids was that Wimpy restaurants had um, um, a big promotion for Star Wars. They had a big Star Wars poster in the window unique artwork. I never got the poster, but someone got me the uh, table standee from inside the restaurant. It's the same artwork, so you could probably recreate the poster from the uh, table standee. So that's a very nice item. Yeah, do, uh, those items, I've never seen the Dixon's LCD display. I've never, never heard of it until we discussed it last night. The Wimpy promotion, like, you know, for people who don't know, that Wimpy was like a much lesser version of McDonald's with a British version of That's McDonald's. right, and it's around it's around today, isn't it, in different places. You might be lucky to find Wimpy, yeah. yeah. Is, it, is it still around today? I've never seen it, it for, it, for, for a long it time. Is it a franchise? Oh, yeah, that's right. UK had a fast food promotion through uh, Wimpy then. That's right, that's right. And uh, and the yeah the, the poster and the standee are unique artwork. It's nothing mega, but it's it's nice, a nice sort of keach thing, yeah, yeah. 
And um, didn't they have um, once again Letraset were on there as well? Didn't they have some some kind of promotion with Wimpy? Yeah, you had um, a burger. You get yourself like a little pack of or shape of stickers with Wimpy on it. That's as, that's as it went. But that was a nice thing to have. And uh, also with the um, let's say you, you must be aware of the um, wolf sausages. They, they they produce wolf sausages for the Wars wrapper. A nice shelf talker as well to have tie and stuff around. Otherwise, if you sent your uh, wrapper with styles on it to a balls, they send you back that sheet of uh, let's chat stickers in the post. Wow. Which is quite nice of them. There's, there's, a, there's a good thing to have. You know, you send it off and get your thing in the post. And I can yeah. imagine that's why there's not many around now. Everyone sent their balls packets off and got your sticker back. Exactly. I can't. I, the only thing I can find about the wall sausage offer is yeah. the transfers. I've never seen the shelf talker that you, that you discussed. I've certainly never seen the wrapper. I mean, these are yeah, incredibly yeah. rare items. Sure, sure. I'll go into food, more food items in a bit, but another thing you highlighted to me, it's another thing I haven't seen, is the sort of the UK Star Wars jewellery that came out, the uh, yes. Greville uh, Pastahurst jewellery. That's right. Um, the, um, the company listed on the Star Wars Collector's Archive is um, Pastahurst. Maybe from my uh, sales list, but the name I have is Greville. Right. Maybe one company bought the other one out or something or took over the license, whatever. I know it was Greville uh, jewellery. And it was um, high class, solid silver, uh, things like pendants and um, earrings. That was high class stuff. They did clones of it in uh, a sort of a base metal, sort of gilts, gilt silver, you know, silver effect metal. Uh, I have a kind of a, a memory of as a kid, a nice big display in a department store looking nice and shiny with a sort of background. I've never crossed, I've never come across the, the thing since then, or any pictures. Uh, but it does exist, and it must be pr- pretty rare. Oh, okay. Because in the notes I've seen, it, it said it came out in silver, various yeah, metals, but I guess you say that those are copies. Uh, yeah, they, they just did the, the high class silver stuff and the more cheap kind of costume jewellery, you know, kind of silver gilt base metal, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. So I've actually I've never heard of these. So this would have been is this in the nineteen seventy eight period where this would have been seventy eight. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And they, they and they got the, um, the the license to do the jewelry over here. And it's nothing to do with the factors jewelry. It's it's completely different. Right. Okay. Excellent. Well, um, I don't know. I think Craig, the best thing we could do is maybe try and get some images of this together and put it on our Facebook for people to listen to. If we can actually find any images of some of this stuff, Cause, sure. Uh, sure. You know, just I, like, I Google that. Yeah, I mean, I Google it as a death. I Google Pastorhurst and Gabriel, <laughs> and you know, you spend forever looking for these things, and nothing came up. But you never know; something might uh, might might uh, arrive. Well, there's, there's uh, I think there's a, a terminology for things you can't find using Google, and yeah, whilst researching some of the stuff that you've given me, that's happened quite a few times. Normally, I find at least something, and I was like, there's there's just no evidence of this. But sure, so it's, sure. you know, it's still exciting to come across Star Wars stuff. It's like, wow, you know, I I feel like I know a lot about the stuff that was licensed out there, but to continuously come across stuff I've never heard of is dead exciting. R two D two bedside lamp. Now, in my research for this, am I right in saying that this was made by a company called Northlight? Yeah, Northlight. It's um, often listed as the American, and it was an American item. But we had it over here. It was um, a bedside lamp. It was pretty. Basic was a, a back form plastic paint, and you switch it on, he glows. It's just like a, a bulb inside a back form really. But it's nice thing to have. It's a, is that yeah. licensed? Because the box looks just generic. 
TV no, characters. It is licensed, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it is licensed. It is definitely, definitely, yeah. Wow. Uh, I'd say one of the poorer items come out, but it's a nice thing to have, you know, for uh, for the time, yeah, yeah. Because it has like a, a sort of generic TV character box, you can imagine they would have like I don't know, maybe Spider Man and Captain Marvel versions or whatever, and R two D two as well, but. Uh, is this an item that you see come up at all? Because I've never seen it. But I would have glanced over it because I wouldn't have even known it existed. Is this something that you've seen for sale ever? Or Yeah, it kind of came up quite often back um, in the kind of um, in the 90s. You saw them at the toy fairs, but um, and you see them on eBay occasionally, so they do turn up. They're not hugely rare. In the States, they're pretty common. So if you're that interested in going from the States, really, they're, they're pretty pretty common over there. Yeah, I'll keep an eye out for it because normally I would have just if I if that was in an eBay listing I wouldn't have paid any attention to it. So yeah, it's yeah, good to know. Yeah. Good to know. I'll try and uh, I think the information I got from this was from the Star Wars Collectors Archive, so I'll probably put a link up to that as well so people can check it out. Now you said that there's um, a silver-plated mirror that was also released in '78 as well. The only mirrors I've been able to find have been um, bootleg ones. Is, was there ever a licensed mirror in the UK, or were, or were they... Yeah, um, it's quite a hard item. It was um, silver-plated mirror by Coltsalt Industries. And it had, as far as I know, uh, a nice a piece of artwork of Artem 3PL on the front, or in the, in the, sort of, in the corner. And there's a big, chunky metal um, silver-plated frame. It's, it's quite expensive. Uh, not something that kids would buy. It's something really, you know, an adult would buy for the house, you know. Um, so, so it's only English, and it's quite a rare item. I saw one on eBay, got quite a bit of money some time ago. So if I saw one cheap enough, I'll buy it, yeah. Well, because it, it seems like with the, the sort of silver-plated mirrors and the um, uh, Pastorhurst jewellery and stuff, that they'd already had sort of like an adult-orientated market in their mind whilst you yes, know, yes, selling for Star yeah. Wars. You know, I'd always imagined that it would have just been very child-orientated, but it seemed to, you know, have the foresight to see that adults would be wanting to... Uh, to have a you know a piece or a collectible from this film. Sure thing, yeah, yeah. Another item um, I'm trying to research uh, is uh, the bedding over here. Um, our bedding was by the House of Ratcliffe, and it seems like it was um, uh, either clone of the American Bilber bedding right. or it was um, just repackaged. Um, it's, it's the same pattern, but we might have had some um, some some things of our own. There's a double-sided duvet or double-sided um, I think it's a sleeping bag over here. Which might have been unique to the UK, but it's the same pattern as in America. Um, but the thing we had over here, they had um, a lovely big sheet of cardboard in with your uh, your uh, your duvet. So as kids cut out these images and stick them around your room or put them in, in your scrapbook. And it was some nice photographs and artwork of the Star Wars characters um, in, with your, in, your, in with your bedding. So that was nice to have over here. And this was this was Ra- the house of Ratcliffe. Yes. Yeah. I was looking in the um, Sand Suites uh, 1994 Tomart book. They have um, listed in there UK bedding by Marks and Spencer and a company called Hayjax. Do you think that could be related in any way? It, it could be. Maybe the House of Ratcliffe was maybe some kind of um, exclusive um, or something. You, you can imagine that happening. Uh, so uh, if this is Marks and Spencer, they're probably saying House of Ratcliffe as their sire. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, it's some, something worth investigating. Is House of Ratcliffe around today? They're not. It's something else I've, I've Googled away and uh, to no avail. Um, Ratcliffe did uh, the Empire Strikes Back bedding over here. Right. But that was that was unique. It wasn't a clone of the American stuff. That was the, you know, was, was truly British. And that was called Ratcliffe Brothers uh, for the Empire Strikes Back. And uh, that certainly wasn't exclusive to anyone. That was, everyone had that one. 
Okay, so, um, but as regards to Googling them, they don't exist, really. Um, so that's something to research. The year is 1978, and Palatoy brings you Star Wars. Here on Death Star, Ben Kenobi combats the awesome power of Darth Vader, while Han and Thea battle for their lives in the trash compactor. Luke evades the stormtroopers with R2, D2, and C3PO, but can he escape in the X-Wing fighter? Only you will know. Only you can create your own Star Wars. Death Star, vehicles, figures, all sold separately. May the Force be with you. One of the big... Uh, things that came out in 77 in the States and 78 over here still popular today was the Topps trading cards absolutely yeah that's a huge uh, you know playground craze you had to do your swaps and uh, get your set together and uh, just the red set over here and the blue set in reverse order blue first then red of course and it was different over here we had um, different printing on the red set because um, it, it went 1A 2A 3A over here in the States the red set continued on from the numbers of the blue set so by the time you get to your green set in America, it's some astronomical sum on your card, some sort of high Over here, it was, um, you know, the red set was 1A, 2A, 3A. So that's a different. Okay, because uh, I'm, and I, I remember uh, seeing the uh, Tops UK sets in um, collectible magazines in the 90s. They were going for astronomical money at the time, like full sets. But I've noticed, obviously, because of the internet, the values of these now have, have plummeted quite a lot. They're not as valuable as they were maybe 20 years ago. Yeah, 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 because people have found them in their basements or their cupboards, sure they have, and they were so mass-produced. They weren't rare items. They were just overproduced, if anything, back in the, uh, in the 70s. So, yeah, they were very nice items. Um, good memories of the chewing gum being just disgusting and uh, <laughs> giving it to your brother. You could have, have the chewing gum, I don't want that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and doing your swaps. One little theory I had is that... Um, if you, with licensing, they would give the license per country to either um, Tops for the cards or Panini for the stickers. Because everywhere in Europe had the Panini stickers, but we didn't have them over here. And they're beautiful things. The Panini stickers have got lovely pictures on, it's a lovely album. But we didn't get that, we got Tops instead. Probably because it's not a clash uh, from, uh, from that point of view. Ah, okay, excellent. The, uh, what I noticed as well um, with the, the Tops wrappers, now they were, did they have uh, a Pally Toy offer or some Helix offer? That's or? right, yeah, that's the main thing, you know, it's a British one, it's got Pally Toy uh, and not Kenner, that's right, yeah, yeah. Um, and the display box has the, the pence, the 5p, uh, you know, uh, instead of the, the, the cents, yeah. Right, ah, okay, yeah, and there, there was only, just to clarify, there was only two sets that came out in the UK, it was the blue and the reds, that's right, yeah. Okay, get, carrying on with, um, from chewing gum, I guess, is a segue to uh, edible Star Wars stuff that came out. Uh-huh. Breakfast cereals, shreddies. Now, I find these to be unbelievably super rare. What can you tell us about cereals in 1978? Okay, the, um, the shreddies I offered was something which was uh, very popular with Mevan uh, I knew. It was something which Mevan uh, was a good gimmick because uh, if you didn't buy shreddies you, you bought no, you, you bought them in 78 for sure to get your Star Wars transfers and your, and your, and your, and your, and your scene on the back of the packet um, I think it's only four to collect and um, the scene's pretty basic on the back nothing too exciting uh, but it's very nice you've got Arthur on the front of the box and your scene on the back and um, I suppose they're, they're, they're hard to get now because cause kids use them really mm. um, I, I, mean, I bought some as a kid I ended up with some doubles and Checks from the cupboards, uh, which is good for me, and uh, so I got my my set. Um, I had one spare to, to swap with a, 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 a few years ago. I should have done a better deal, I think, than I did. 
because uh, the thing I asked for, the guy just jumps and grabs it from his collection within like two seconds. Um, so no, that, that's a very rare set to get, and um, if you see it for any, any kind of money, just buy it because you won't get you won't get it again. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I very very hardly plan hardly ever see them come up for sale at all. Um, once again, the Letra set were there. Um, that's right. Yeah. The, you know, the Letra set were almost like the cornerstone for us over here. Um, with, with the sticker uh, promotions, um, it was um, something that the Americans had nothing like. It was something which was truly British uh, and, and great for us kids to use. It must be, uh, if, if you were a Letra set collector and you wanted to complete the entire Letra set, you know, all the merchandise that was released from them, it must be so difficult with the food promotions, especially things like you know, cereal boxes and the you know, sausages and all that kind of thing, to actually get everything that Letra set did. Yeah, but it's only one um, line of stickers. They never changed them. So if they gave them away with the um, with the, uh, the sausages, it's the same line of stickers. They had the R2D2 um, stationery set, came with line of stickers. It's all the same thing. Right. Uh, it's the same line of stickers all the time. Ah, right, okay, I didn't know that. That's good, good to know. Yeah, sometimes you see them cut. Uh, you can get them in the line, yeah, yeah. What, one of the things that confuses me is the release of the Treeball suites that came out. Yeah. I'm aware of the Empire Strikes Back release with the, uh, the beautiful, amazing Cloud City, uh, Carbonite Chamber, Darth Vader shop display, and you've got your Empire Strikes Back yeah. suites yeah. in there. But I've also seen wrappers for Star Wars as well. Now, is that a separate release to, to the Empire one? That's right. Um, we had the, uh, Star Wars, uh, Chews, and there were, there were two flavors. I think it was um, one was lime and one was a, a purple wrapper. I don't recall the flavour. And like a like a long um, starburst sweet or say opal fruit. So I remember them as a, a kid. And um, you saw them in shops. I never saw a, a box for those. Like I can imagine there, uh, there was one. I might have saw one. We saw them on the shelves next to your kind of your your, your local fruits and anything else. And you'd have your your Star Wars chew uh, on the rack. That's why that's why I saw them anyway. And, um, yeah, nice to have as, as a kid. Um, keep you going along with an Oprah fruit anyway, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they were nice to have. Yeah, I mean, and, and, yeah. I, th- I think the, the Empire Strikes Back one has always been a holy grail for me because I just love the box, the design of it, you know. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I never knew, you know, like you just said yourself, I've never seen a display for the Star Wars ones. So it's always confused me whether they were put together or whether they were separate. That's right. So, um, as I say, it could have existed, but I, my own personal memories of seeing them on the shelf or along the row of different suites to have, along with your other things, you know, other, other brands. And did you ever see yeah. the, um, the badge, uh, May the Fizz Be With You, that she wore? Uh, yeah, no, I, I know of it, yeah. Um, that's kind of the slogan they used to kind of, you know, uh, catch the kind of the tide of Star Wars. Yeah, that's right. That, that's something I found out for the first time today whilst researching this kind of stuff. I thought, wow, that's, yeah, yeah. that's another one to add to the uh, badges and buttons list. But uh, yeah, it looks great. Yeah, sure, sure. One of the uh, most unique uh, Star Wars items to be released anywhere, I find, for the, the first film was the uh, uh, Tavna Rutledge Limited Star Wars Marshmallows. Sure, sure. Uh, hardly any evidence of this stuff exists today. What could you tell us about that? Okay, they were not sold as, as boxes, and I think that's why the boxes are, are so rare. They're sold um, on the counter as a, an open box, and you pay 3p for your marshmallow shape, whether ah. it be Darth Vader or anything else. And so you didn't really get them in a, in a box. 
And that was quite expensive back then. 3P, you know, sounds pretty cheap nowadays, but for 5P, you could get yourself a, a pack of cards. Yeah. For 10P, you could get a Star Wars comic. And so it's like a kind of a, a expensive treat for kids back then, the 3P marshmallow sweet. Ah, so that's why there's so much lack of evidence, you know, of that existing. Is there any advertisement or anything like that that we know that, like a point of sale or anything that uh, could be collected for this kind of merchandise? No, I've not seen any kind of post out, um, and I can't see why they should have been. They were sent to news agents, they plonked the, the box on the on the counter, open for kids to kind of take one as a treat with their mum, and that was it. I don't think anything else was necessary to sell marshmallows back in the day, really. No, of course. No, of course. Um, Heinz also got involved as well. I remember Heinz getting involved again with episode one when that came out, and they did a uh-huh. a promotion with that. But Heinz was also there um, in the late seventies with uh, another offer. This time, Helix. That's right. Um, it's only one brand. It was the Heinz um, can of baked beans with eight grilled pork sausages in the can, and uh, the idea was you ripped off part of the um, the wrapper and you'd uh, save up your wrappers, and you'd get um, something from Helix. Um, I don't recall exactly what it was, nothing that spectacular. It would have been, you know, um, a pencil or something, or uh, something quite small. You, you wouldn't get yourself by uh, a hand salmon tube back a tracery set or something. Uh, you know, it would be something quite small from uh, from the company. This is an, another unique thing to survive, because, you know, would people have saved baked bean tin cans from, from then? Yeah. You know... Have you managed to find any of these yourself? I never have. Um, that'd, be a nice, that'd be a lovely thing to have, um, but uh, I've never seen them. Um, there's a nice advert I've got from um, the same time. We've had a national painting competition All right. in the press, and uh, you had to send in your um, your best styles artwork, and uh, you got, um, I think it was a holiday to the States or some cash. It's like a really big, big prize this time around. Wow, amazing. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. One of the uh, another company that came uh, came into the food market to um, celebrate and then sell Star Wars was uh, Loins Made, which we know from selling ice lollies and, and ice cream. Uh-huh. One of the companies as well that moved over from Star Wars into Empire Strikes Back as well. Um, they were selling chocolate flavor sugar ball ice creams. Very unusual as well because they had um, did were they out in seventy seven. No, 78. 78. 78. Yeah. yeah. And, they, and they managed to keep the license as well for Empire Strikes Back. Didn't come back for Return of a Jedi. Why do you think that was? Um, maybe it's changing times. Um, back in the 70s and early 80s, you had lots of um, kind of, you know, um, franchised uh, ice creams. It, that was the, the thing to have. You had, when you came out, you had your um, uh, your ice cream to go along with it. I think by the time Jedi came out, that was kind of, that, that was our fashion. You, you, you didn't get so many things for a movie, um, if, if you can see what I mean. Um, but they were, they were very uh, forward-looking. Um, uh, they always looked out for the kids were into. And they produced the Star Wars um, uh, lollies. I never had one, by the way. <laughs> I think uh, my taste was for other, other, other flavours. And so my you know, taste for ice cream outweighed my desire for Star Wars back then. So, uh, <laughs> I'm afraid to say. So uh, all my rappers I got since I was a kid. The um, what, what's unique as well about the wrappers, and there is a set of six for Star Wars, six for Empire. Um, Empire, which I found was unique, it seems that in the early days of Star Wars marketing, that they stayed away from the human characters and marketed Star Wars using Darth Vader, Chewbacca, C three PO, R Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Do you because think that's what was different? Yeah, because yeah. everyone's seen 
a cowboy-esque type guy with a gun. Um, Luke, he's nothing special to look at, is he? he we know he's Luke. But uh, compared to Chewbacca or Darth Vader, R2-3PO, you know, these things are... They're, they're the wow things in Star Wars, and the Tusken Raider and the Jawa. Um, that's what sold Star Wars more than the, the human characters. And if you're a merchandiser like Helix, you want your uh, Chewbacca items or lecture set. You know, you, you want things with weird characters on, really, don't you? And... Uh, and that's why it's sold. Even Kenner chose the Cantina Aliens in the film for like two seconds. But that's, that's what's new about Star Wars. It's the characters and the, and, and the, and the aliens, yeah. And do you think that there, there were so many iconic different characters like Jawas and people, R2-D2, that you know, attributed itself to the success of the film, that they could use so many different you know, you know, characters and ideas rather than just a simple you know, one or two? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It was the wealth of characters out there, and that's what caught our imaginations as kids. There were these incredible creatures and uh, weird, weird aliens and droids, and uh, it, it, it was actually it was incredible to see, wasn't it? Really, back then. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, another another thing that you 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 brought up as we were discussing this last night was the the really long thin Odeon sticker. Yeah, um, if you saw Star Wars, if you was lucky. You get yourself a um, I've seen Star Wars uh, bumper sticker or window sticker rather. Right. And so uh, it's quite, it's prestigious because people wait waiting to see Star Wars, and uh, you could put a sticker inside your car uh, that not many people had. So I've seen Star Wars, and that's that's a big thing to have. And so you got that free from the cinema. And so uh, on the paper side, it had details of the cast and bits and pieces, and you peeled it across and just whacked it in your in your car window. When we were discussing the um, the Manchester Evening News or Evening Post, I think it was earlier buying out yeah. the cinema. Is this related to that? The um, not really. No, that was, was a was, that was produced by Twenty Fox as a proper commercial item. Oh, okay. And they also had these uh, T-shirts for Odin staff to wear, um, black, saying Star Wars is coming. Wow. As a nice teaser, and that's that's a, that's a thing to have if I can find one. Um, so it's all teaser for the film, really, and and also with the sticker, a boast that I've seen in Star Wars, and, and you haven't really. The the Star Wars is coming T-shirt. Have you ever seen one of those for sale? I mean, that's something that I have never seen one. I've got pictures of, of staff wearing them, but I've never ever seen one ever since. That's just uh, a norm, uh, Well, it's holy grail. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds dead exciting. I'd love to uh, love to see yeah, one of those. Yeah. Um, as we're moving into the 1979, um, the uh, a lot of I mean, Star Wars is obviously now starting to gear up for Empire Strikes Back. Uh, there seems to be like a reissue of a lot of the stuff that's come before, like the um, Sophia books are, re- are reissued. Now, these books that's were right. yeah, yeah. These books were like, released by Ballantine in America. Is Sophia and Ballantine the same company? Um, that's a very good question. Um, I, I don't think so. Um, Sophia was chosen as the um, uh, as the uh, uh, as the lucky licensee. Uh, Ballantine was a very small company back then, when Star Wars was their first big hit, really. It was a small company. Wow. The Sphere were the, the granddaddies over here. So um, I, don't, I don't think they were uh, linked at all. But as you're saying, um, back in 78, um, shops had their own signage for the books. But in 79, Sphere did their own poster and leaflets to, to kickstart the novel. They had a different cover, with a different wording on the front. Um, it said the, the greatest trouble of the century on the cover. Um, and eight pages of, of full colour to kind of give you an idea of the stuff inside the book to buy. 
they also issued a um, Young Readers edition, a red, a red cover, and a Scholastic edition with a yellow cover. So it's like a little uh, three-piece set to collect. The issue when those two, um, that's white, red, and yellow to collect. Right, okay. Did the, did the first edition have the photos inside? It did, yeah, that's right. There's no indication of it on the front cover. It didn't advertise the fact. And it says, now a amazing film from Century Fox on the front, I think it said there. Yeah. Okay, amazing. Now, um, there was also uh, young readers' b- books, The Rebellious Robot, The Maverick, uh, the, the Maverick Moon. I always thought that these were American only. Can you remember these coming out in 79? Yeah, they, were kind of, they came out over here with an English producer. Uh, I don't know, uh, off the top of my head. Um, who produced them over here, but they were released over here, along with the yeah the activity books and everything. They were quite you know, quite uh, 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 they were obvious on the shelves out there. You know you could see them pretty much everywhere in Smiths and everything else. They they had a different um, artistic style as well. Again, like I, it wasn't just like you know I thought they would have been like Marvel, but they're not. They're unique to themselves, aren't they? Yeah, the um the two young sort of readers books are quite unusual. The Maverick Moon is like a different universe or something. There's no Han or Chewbacca. It's set on some kind of, you know, idyllic Star Wars world, no empire. But it's got Luke, Leia, and the Zeroids, and Luke's going to save them, uh, the rebellion uh, from the uh, Maverick Moon that's going to crash into their planet. That kind of thing. So it's quite, quite, uh, quite odd. The Rebellious Robot is, is quite fun. I'd recommend the Rebellious Robot to anybody. It's um, quite anarchic, sense of humour. The um, even the artwork's quite anarchic as well. Really, uh, they had a lot of fun with that one, and. Uh, you know, Chewbacca being beaten by R2 at cards, you know, R2 has got like, you know, all the aces and Chewbacca's got nothing. And, uh, uh, and at the end, sort of, I've all spoiled it, Chewbacca gets the medal at the end and Hanuk don't get the medal, which is like a little in joke, I think, really. So it's quite a good, 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 good little read. I, I hear this the actual, what they based the script for The Force Awakens on. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that, that'll be great, yeah. <laughs> Um, finally, uh, coming out now in 79, Letraset are back again. This time with, am I right in saying that they are smaller versions of, um, the sort of transfer sets? That's right. They did, um, a, a follow-up set of, uh, transfers. They're probably less than half the size of the, uh, of the old ones. Yeah, probably a third the size. They came in a nice, uh, plain blue, uh, counter display box, which I picked up, uh, fortunately. And there's something like ten in the the set of the small ones, and uh, they're nice to have. You know, they they tell the story from start to finish. So the first one is the attack of the ten T4, and the uh, the finish with the um, Death Star uh, attack. The stickers aren't quite so nice. The, the backgrounds don't quite work so well with the the stickers, but they're nice to have for kids, and we use them nicely and uh, had a bit of fun with those. They're, they're nice things, yeah. Amazing. Uh, this is just like a small sample as well, really, isn't it? Of highlights if you'd like of what was going on in the UK at the time on absolutely top, yeah yeah on top of things like the Marvel comics and especially obviously the Paddy Toy figures which were the major sellers the model kits the jigsaws the electronic games the board games yeah yeah and at the time you must remember we couldn't see Star Wars we seen Star Wars in 78 the one time only and it's something like um, you wouldn't believe today you can watch things on DVD or just on demand from Sky but back then, we've seen Star Wars the once only. Or if you've been older, like a teen, you might have seen it all week or something. You know, some people saw it all week. But us little kids, with our parents, we saw it once only. And that was it. And so everything we had was like a little, um, little piece of Star Wars, like a little piece of little gold dust, really. 
And the first thing we had, really, apart from the story, the story photographer was quite good. There's a big LP and with a narrator with the story of Star Wars. You must know that one with some voices, and it tells you the story of Star Wars. That wasn't too bad. But in 79, we got the um, little tiny um, record and book sets where it all asked uh, you beeps and you turn the page. From Rainbow. It kind of gave, yeah, it, it wasn't the same voices. It was a wonderful production with the uh, the soundtrack and the, uh, the effects, and it was a really adventure. You know, it took you kind of like um, 15 minutes to do the whole movie. It was like a little, um, nice little replacement for not seeing the film. I mean, that's a very interesting thing you've come across there. Do you think that's a, sort of like why us collectors now later on in life are so passionate about collecting this stuff? Because at the time, it was our only access to it. You could only relive the movie by buying these pieces of merchandise, and that's why you've become so important to us. Absolutely, yeah. We were fans uh, without the movie to see. So these things were bringing the best stars back home. You know, you've got this thing on your shelf. It's in your sticker book, you know. And you're probably trying to draw it, trying to recreate it in your mind. Was that, and you, you talked about it with your friends. You tried to go over this plot and, and, and get the plot right because we, we couldn't see it. Um, if you're lucky, in 79, um, so I come back to the cinema. It's, it's quite a big release. The big cities had it back again at, at the um, at summertime, at Christmas time, it came back. But as a little kid, you want to, you know, your friends have seen it once for you, you want to see it again. You know, you've seen it once, that's your luck. You know, that's your luck now. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you could always go and see Kramer versus Kramer instead. Well, yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, um, Craig, wind this uh, down now. I think it would be okay. great if we could come back and do Empire and Jedi and, sure. and the following years after Return of the Jedi. Uh-huh. Uh, would you say, um, from your point of view, that Star Wars had as big an effect in the UK as it did in the States when it came out? Um, at least as much, or maybe even more, because um, it was seen as a British film. And uh, you've heard about um, the woes of America with the Vietnam and Watergate, and uh, and it was a bit there. It was a very downtime, and everyone was depressed. And the stars came, and it's like a fresh air. It's a breath of fresh air, which everyone was was, was desperate for. And in, and in England, it was the kind of same kind of thing. We had the the union strikes were, you know, um, were crippling the country. We had like a, a gas lamp in our house, so we could see uh, during the blackouts. Uh, which might sound crazy these days. The coal miners would go on strike. There's no coal, and so you can't see where you're going, basically, in your own house. And so we had our own woes in this country, with uh, you know, and and lack of prestige. We were seen, we were seen as being um, down the luck, and uh, souls came along at the right time. It was um, it was British, or souls being British, and it was um, something that was ours. I think what we'll do is we we'll come back another time, possibly next uh-huh. month. And see the effects of an unknown because at the time it wasn't there wasn't that many sequels coming out and this was going to be the sequel to the biggest film of all time and I think the dynamic uh-huh. of the uh, merchandise that came out with this changed greatly from what came in the first film. Absolutely, um, we, we, we'll cover it next time around. But uh, Star Wars was like a phenomenon. The Empire Strikes Back was not quite that kind of thing. So we'll we'll talk about it next time. Yeah, Craig, listen, thank you so much for taking uh-huh. the time to speak to us uh, today. And th- let's pick up where we leave, leave off tonight, because um, I think some of this stuff is dead exciting, and it's just, uh-huh. it's not, there's not enough information about it out there, and it certainly hasn't been covered enough, so I really look forward to doing that uh, next time. Okay, great. Right, now I want to welcome Bill Harvard back to this month's Rapid Fire. Are you ready, Bill? Absolutely. 
Your favorite Star Wars movie? I would have to go with Empire, just because it's the best. Your favorite Star Wars scene? Anything with AT-ATs in it. Favorite thing about the prequels? I would just say the battle on Mustafar between Anakin and Obi-Wan. Your favorite on-screen character? Darth Vader. Who would you most like to see a standalone movie of? Anything that would involve a standalone with any of the Rebels characters. Uh, which actor or crew member would you most like to meet? Would be Harrison Ford. Your favorite lightsaber jewel? I think I'll have to just go with the classic Alec Guinness and uh, David Prowse um, in A New Hope. Padme or Leia? Definitely Leia. Favorite figure as a child? Boba Fett, or I really enjoyed my Darth Vader figure. And your favorite figure now? I would have to say die-cast Takara Darth Vader that I got from Celebration 7 from Bill McBride. Which character do you wish they'd made a figure of? Oh, uh, I would definitely say Grand Moff Tarkin. Your favorite toy vehicle or playset? Definitely the AT-AT. Vehicle or playset you'd wish they'd made? Uh, one that would be really fun would be a playset of, you know, when the AT-AT goes up to that uh, end door um, where the shield generator is and that base they've got there. It'd be cool to have like a shield generator assault playset. Your favorite vintage Ewok toy? I always had a Wicket when I was a kid, you know, and I really enjoy that. Your favorite card back photo? I really actually like the uh, the AT-AT Commander, just because it's got the AT-AT in the background. What was your first Star Wars toy you purchased when getting back into collecting? One of the first things I looked for was a new AT-AT. What was the last vintage Star Wars toy you purchased? Just this morning, I made a deal on a Takara 12-back Darth Vader <laughs> mint on card. You grading is... If it tells you anything, there was a U-grader that owns a store locally here, and our Nebraska collectors group declined and refused to uh, host meetings at his store because he had a collection of U-graded items. We told him we would never set foot in his shop. <laughs> so if that, if that tells you our stance on it here in Nebraska. And finally, what is your Holy Grail item? I think that for any any uh, Darth Vader focus collector, it would be a DT, you know. Well, Bill, thank you very much for your time. Absolutely, thank you. It was great being here. The Vintage Rebellion podcast is proud to be sponsored by Vectus Auctions Limited, collectible toy specialists. You can find them online and see forthcoming or past auction results at www.vectis.co.uk. If you have a collection you may want to get valued for sale, then you can give them a ring on 01642 750616 or email them at admin, A-D-M-I-N, at vectis.co.uk. They have two sites for drop-in visits for collections in Thornaby, Stockton-on-Tees, and their postcode is TS179JZ. And they also have a site in Whitney, Oxfordshire, and that postcode is OX281UB. If you are contacting the Oxford office, please use the phone number 01993 Hello everybody, it's Peter, and it's the Market Watch. <laughs> <laughs>
Look, sir, droids. And Star Wars is forever. That's right, Star Wars is forever. George Lucas and 20th Century Fox have plans for 12 more blockbusting chapters to the Star Wars story, and Kenner will be with them all the way. In the more immediate future... This month, I'm joined by Jared Cope, who's designed and built Star Wars Tracker. It's a desktop device where you can consult the online price guide for current market prices being paid for loose figures, mint-on card figures, and power the force coins. Sale data is collected weekly to give a unique view of the collector's market. So go to StarWarsTracker.com to find out more. So, Jared, how old are you, and when did you first get introduced to Star Wars? 38 this year, and so I suppose um, I've, I've always been into Star Wars in, in some way or another. So I had about you know a dozen or 20 loose figures when I was a young kid. It's really just... You know, stuck with me a little bit from there. So had um, periods off through school, but then um, towards the end of high school, I got back into it again because I, I just realised how cool these things were. They sort of stopped being toys, and you know, I started to see them as collectible items. What sort of um, take of a Star Wars did you get in Australia? Because I'm assuming that it, it was absolutely everywhere. But did you have all the figures over there? Or was it kind of a reduced amount, or, or was it pretty much the same market as we probably had in Britain and? The, the Yanks had. Yeah, I think um, so. I I noticed stuff in shops towards the end of the line. So I remember very clearly the Power of the Force stuff and um, things with Return of the Jedi, you know, labels on it. And by then, you know, it was all sort of Kenner. We had Kenner stuff out there. Yeah. And so since being a, a bit more of a serious collector in these later years, I've you know, learned about the the Toll Toys brand, obviously. Um, but I, I was never aware of you know anything exotic like that as I was actually collecting in the shops back in the late 80s. Um, but yeah, otherwise, you know, I, we got most of the stuff um, that you know most countries got. I remember seeing it on department store shelves like Rancors and Jabba the Hut, you know, playset and, and various figures on the pegs. Um, but you know, unfortunately, you know, for me now looking back. Um, my main toy focus back then was actually Masters of the Universe. I got hooked on that. And it wasn't until you know the line was actually finishing in the mid-80s that I thought, hey, actually, I sh- all these wasted years, I should have been going out after the Star Wars stuff. So I'd go around all the department stores and just you know mop up anything I could find Star Wars at the time. Any, um, any figure that kind of became a peg warmer that you remember? I mean, I, I can remember all sorts of Ewoks and Princess Leia's became the peg warmers over here. What about over there? Yeah, well, um, you're probably not going to believe this. story goes that, um, you know, it was about 1987 and I'm in a local toy world, which was a chain over there. And um, I only had about half a dozen figures um, and just wanted to get some more and never had like a Luke Farmboy or an original Han or anything like that. So I went into Toy World and they just had this big wicker basket full of, you know, old stock, you know, end-of-run stock. And so I was just going through it looking for all the, you know, usual stormtroopers, your Hans, whatnot. And all I could find was this really weird creature, which I had no idea what part of the filming it was from. And I read the label and I was like, yak, 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 what? <laughs> no. And um, so this basket was full of these things and they could not get rid of them for 99 cents. <laughs> Um, so I picked him up, turned him over, looked at him and, and chucked him back in the basket and went about my business. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's that bittersweet you know, memory in my 
collecting repertoire that I sometimes call on to remember what might have been. <laughs> a multi-millionaire based on yak faces. Yeah, yeah. So, was there any any figure then that 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 stood out for you? That that you know, was there any figure that was your main figure? I mean, was it, you know, or any character was your main collecting focus? Even as a kid, I think that that uh, that you kind you know, of hung on to. There's um, I've got a pretty good memory of um, one particular incident. So um. Uh, at the time, Mum took me to the store and we bought three or four figures at once. And then over the coming weeks, I was to pay them all off with my pocket money and eventually I could open them all. And one of those was um, the Luke Jedi with the green saber. Yeah. And I remember finally getting him and opening him up. And um, I don't know what it is about this figure, but I just got hit with this plume of like bubblegum um, smell. It was amazing. And um, yeah, I've since found out that some of them do have that particular smell to them. I don't know if it's the factory they were made in or what, but um, sometimes you can get that particular trait with them. And so the other thing about that particular one was when I opened him up, I'm pretty sure, although memory can be hazy, but he never actually came with the lightsaber. And I thought it was, you know, really lucky at the time that I also had the R2 with the pop-up saber. Oh, my goodness. So I thought, you know, the two were meant to go together and they were sold that way. And so I think, you know, in hindsight, I think I probably had a factory error where they just forgot to put the lightsaber in with him. That's crazy. But, I mean, you're not the first person to, to, to mention the smell of the mock. Someone was actually on the forum recently wanting to, to open one up to smell it again, but... I, I can't see that smell having lasted that long. Sure, it must have kind of you know eked out the cardboard or or, or disappeared somewhere. But uh, yeah, well, I tell you what, my um, original Luke still has it as strong as ever. <laughs> uh, whenever you get that fix, you know, you just go in and get a bit of a whiff and it takes it back to 1986. Oh my goodness! So, um, how, how much of that original collection then you had? How much survived with you? Um. um Happy to say all of it, actually. Um, so I actually put it all up in a garage sale in the late 80s because I just wanted to get cash, as you know, kids did, to move on to other things. Yeah. Um, and luckily now I never sold a thing. So I've actually got all my childhood collection. Um, so it's only roughly about 20 figures, but um, they're all sort of prized possessions now. I can, I can still remember the day I sold a lot of my stuff off to buy a computer. I can still remember a friend of mine came around and bought it all and my brother pleading with me, don't do it, don't do it, don't don't sell that one, no, don't sell that one. I can still I can still see it, but, you know, as he said, that's what happens with kids. You you, you sell it off and you buy something else and you move on and, and leave yeah. it. Now, on your website, you, you mentioned you kind of came back into collecting twice. Um, you actually went, got back into collecting in the 90s. Um, was that because of the, the Power of the Force 2 range or just you just started picking up the old stuff? It actually started before Power of the Force 2 came out, so... Um, I guess I'd consider myself one of the, you know, the old school original collectors from the 90s. So back in Australia, I'd be going around the, the collectible swap meets and, and just seeing what I could pick up because there was, I don't know what happened, but it seemed to happen around all the world at the same time. But everyone just sort of realised that this stuff was, you know, highly collectible and people were going back to sort of finish their childhood collections they never finished. And um, so it happened in Australia too, and I got a lot of my loose figure collection going around these swap meets. And I also started what I thought would be uh, an unobtainable goal of to try and get all 96 on an MOC, uh, a mint on card. <laughs> and so I started my collection of those things back in the early 90s as well. Oh my goodness. That's what I'm foolishly doing now myself. 
um, but started only well started last year basically. So yeah, crazy but, crazy to think what's what cash I'm going to be spending in the next year or so. I was thinking about that point though, and um, interestingly, in my experience anyway, it was no more cheaper to do this back in the early '90s than it is now. When you consider a couple of aspects about it, so one, um, you know, the prices themselves were quite steep back then. So I remember the MOCs being roughly about you know thirty Australian dollars for your run-of-the-mill ones, all the way up to you know seventies and hundreds. Yeah. And so with you know inflation, you know, affecting the what currency we'll buy now, and and back at that stage of life, you only had a part-time job. It was actually quite an investment of money to actually buy this stuff back then. And I guess also, um, if you're talking about the mid '90s, you didn't really have eBay, did you? I mean, there wasn't yeah. that global market there is now. You can, you know, I could buy off a collector tomorrow or tonight, someone off Australia, just buy a car back off him and get it, you know, within the next two weeks. Yeah, and there's a bit of, um, you know, a bit of a romantic aspect that's been lost with the internet because I'd been turning up to these swap meets and you just didn't know what you might see that time because you didn't know what the full range was out there. Um, so I'd see things each time that were new and exciting, and I just had no idea existed. So you got back into collecting in the '90s, and there seemed to be—you seemed to mention you had another gap where you got back into it in the 2000s again. So I guess I gave up in the late '90s. So I got about you know 80 MOC. So I got part of the way there, almost finished it, but then um, high school finished, and you tried to decide what you were going to do with your life. And I started university, and and I guess it just got put on hold. Just because of where life takes you, really. And then, um, so as life has it, it brought me over to the UK. Um, and probably about four years ago, um, I had a trip back to Australia and had all these doubles of stuff that I always bought at the time, thinking, you know, I can always trade this away to get something I'm missing or, or what have you. And I decided to sell all my doubles on eBay. And I was really... Um, shocked and you know nicely surprised at how much money i was getting for them i really thought that the market had you know bottomed out and i'd be selling my you know mocs for ten dollars or something but i got some really impressive numbers out of it and it actually rekindled my interest back in it to and and you know to eventually finish off the 96 moc run over here in england do you still have that that run do you still have have the 96 Yep, I do. Um, unfortunately, it's split between the two continents, though. So I've got about a dozen here, which you know officially finishes the run. Um, but most of it's back in Australia, which you know it's I don't know when it'll actually all be together. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's a situation. <laughs> that must be one of those most long distance collections. Are probably probably out there, I imagine. Yeah, and yeah. then you, and then you got into collecting the coins. Which is interesting because that is a tough call to get those coins because they're not they don't appear all over the place. I mean, mocks pretty much come up on forums and stuff, but the coins. Ta- I mean, tell me how on earth did you manage to get such a good collection of those? I thought I'd set myself something that you know would you know conceivably be unobtainable. Which you know, the idea being that it would just hold my interest for ages and ages. So I thought to myself, okay, well let's just go for it and see how far I can get. And I guess this is where Star Wars Tracker came about, actually, because some of these coins are just so rare and so rarely come up for a public sale that when they do come up, you you have no idea how to interpret them, really. So I remember very early on when I'd only got my first handful of coins, I think I saw a Tusken Raider coin exchange on eBay for about 700 US. 
And I thought, you know, who in their right mind is going to pay 700 for a single coin? It's not even a figure. It's not even on a card. Um, you know, what is the fascination about it? And so I went along my merry way and started to collect, you know, more of the common Category 1 and 2 coins. And then it dawned on me that, well, hang on, I haven't actually seen another, you know, Tuscan Raider coin since that one. And so I sort of thought, well, it's going to be a good idea if I start recording these prices so when one does come up, I'll know that, hey, this is actually fair value and I should probably jump on it. Otherwise, I might be waiting another six months or a year to find one again. I'm assuming your background is in computers and databases and all that sort of stuff. My profession is software development. So um, I've got a bit over 10 years behind me now, you know, all the way through you know, designing systems, actually doing the hands-on development, writing the code, all the way through from databases, server, any middleware, up to front-end displays. Yeah. So yeah, I've, I've got a you know, a good skill there to actually make you know, a vision like Star Wars Tracker become a reality. I noticed on the tracker that it was drawing information from eBay and places like Vectus. So does it automatically take that information or are you hand-inputting that sort of information? It's probably going to surprise a lot of people, um, but one of the goals of Star Wars Tracker, I always wanted it to be a quality database of prices. And I don't think you're going to get that unless there's some aspect of manual inspection of what goes in. Every price that goes into Star Wars Tracker has been manually verified as being fully a vintage item, no reproduction parts to it, and um, you know it's, it's undamaged and basically something that you would want in your collection if you're a vintage collector. Yeah. I've refined the process um, quite a lot over the last two years and um, you know, made efficiencies here and there to cut the time down. But um, at the end of the day, um, everything that goes into Star Wars Tracker is verified. And um, you know, because of that, uh, you get a, a really quality uh, price guide out of it. And is that just you putting that information in? Or, or do you have like a, a team of, well, do you have a team helping you? Um, at the moment, it's just me. So um, <laughs> There's a lot of information in there. <laughs> uh, it is, um, but uh, it can all be done in a matter of a few hours each week. Yeah. Um, so it's basically um, I'll do a keyword search for the week of vintage Star Wars and I'll do that on eBay US, eBay UK and the Australian eBay. Yeah. And out of that, that'll probably give you around, uh, depends on the week, but between four and 6,000 potential listings that might go in. And um, from that, you know, once you start getting into it, you can very quickly um, see what is relevant and what's not and, um, and you know, you just put in the hard work and, and you get something out of it. I mean, do people send you information as well? I mean, I see a lot of auctions and we cover that on the podcast. I mean, for example, there was a an auction that we've covered on this podcast by um, a company called Special Auction Services. They had some, some 12 backs and 21 backs and that sort of thing. I mean... I mean, how would you know about information? I mean, do you only search eBay? Are you trying to cover all the auction houses? And even, I know that this is coming up a little bit of criticism, um, what about the forums as well? Yeah, so um, I, um, I've thought about all those aspects, um, so I'll try and answer each one in turn. So I started with eBay um, just because the, the prices are relative. Um, they're, they're just available. Um, you don't have to work too hard to go and get them. Um, they're publicly scrutinizable so 
if anyone you know disputes a price, you can easily point them back to eBay to say, well, it actually did happen. And then, as for other uh, you know sources of raw data, uh, between eBay and Vectus, you seem to get enough to make up a, a price guide anyway. So one thing to make clear is that Star Wars Tracker is not a price registry. It's just a price guide to get you, you know, a guiding price on an item. And so it's pretty complete in, you know, especially for loose figures, you know, there's plenty of prices to draw on there. For some of the mint-on-card combinations, um, there are absolutely gaps. And, um, yeah, I'd fully welcome, you know, if there's a publicly accessible, verifiable price for something that is a gap in the price guide, then, yeah, I'll readily input it in. Um, but between eBay and Vectus, there's there's enough raw data that I don't really need to draw on too many other sources. I was just surprised the the, the amount of depth you go into on the on your um, on the tracker, because you have the images, you have a little bit of text, you obviously have the price, and you have obviously the price loose and the price carded and the mm. variant. I mean, it just seems a lot of a lot of crazy work, but it is, I guess, as time builds, because I think it's about it's a year. It goes back a year at the moment. In terms of prices, um, there's actually a bit over two years' worth of prices in there. Okay. And Vectus goes back um, even further than that because, um, you know, luckily they keep their finished listings hanging around that you can go look at any time. Yeah. And I guess that raises another point, you know, another good thing I found about Star Wars Tracker is that, you know, there's this concept of the eBay price horizon where after 90 days the prices just disappear into the ether. And um, so for the rarer stuff that might not come up very often, you lose that valuable information that you, you know, it's quite difficult to get back any other way. One of the criticisms um, of the tracker appears to be that it doesn't reflect the kind of collector's market, the, the deals that happen on places like Facebook and on uh, forums like SWF UK or Rebel Scum. So um, have you any plans to kind of introduce that to the, the tracker data? The reason why I haven't gone for uh, inputting forum prices into Star Wars Tracker is just the overhead in tracking them, really. Yeah. And um, they seem to happen behind closed doors, so you're never actually sure of the price that actually you know, was agreed and actually changed hands for the item. Like all too often, you'll just see the advertisement go, you know, asking price such and such. Yeah. And then you'll just have a red bit of text saying sold. Um, so there's. No, there's just logistical problems in trying to track all the prices that things go for on forums. And it's a similar problem with Facebook now. Um, I mean, I think that's you know where a lot of activity is taking place now. It's a problem of how to harvest it efficiently, really. What about the um, keeping Star Wars Tracker updated? Um, I'm assuming with all the technologies uh, across the board, I mean, I've got a Mac, a PC, um, you know, mobile phones, iPads and stuff... I would assume you'd have to keep this updated reasonably regularly because of all the changes in the technology that we use today. Star Wars Tracker itself, um, the releases that I do of it uh, are pretty regular and it's just um, you know, drip-feeding more functionality in and um, things that you know, I'd like to, to be in there in response to some feedback that I might get as well. So I plan to keep releasing updates to Star Wars Tracker and... You know, if people choose, they want to try it out and, and use Star Wars Tracker, they just get that as part of the, the ongoing subscription. I mean, is there a mobile version of it? Can, does it actually run on a mobile device, or is that something you'll be doing in the future? Yeah, good point. Um, this is something I absolutely want to do um, in the near future. 
for example, you might be out somewhere and um, you've got a few spare moments, so you might flick onto eBay to see what's going on and you'll see something that might pique your interest and the price kind of looks all right, but knowing that I've got Star Wars Tracker back on my desktop, um, I, I very rarely jump into an auction or, or a sale anymore without first consulting Star Wars Tracker to see what you know the range of prices are for something. And so if I'm out... Um, Ideally, what I want on a mobile version of Star Wars Tracker is to be able to interrogate the price guide and get a price back You know, when I'm walking down the street, but also, importantly, to check my inventory list and make sure it's not something that I already have. Um, so if I could expose at least those two aspects of Star Wars Tracker to mobile devices, then that would be a pretty good start, I think. I think, I, I have to say, I think a mobile version of it would probably be a bigger thing than the the desktop version of it because um, whenever I'm I've been at, I mean I went to the Star Wars celebration uh, this year with the with the podcast guys and uh, when I was around the shop floors I was even though I have a reasonable idea of what things are worth I was still going you know you're trying to get onto eBay and trying to get onto eBay all the time going right what 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 is people paying for this figure or you know that's a real mint one or that's a slight variance and I was thinking and I think about now if I'd had Star Wars Trekker on me. <laughs> I could have probably been a bit better in my negotiations with various store dealers because you know, it was so hard to get onto eBay and also do you know do, do the list of search and of course it only goes back as you said so far, but mm. it wasn't you know it wasn't particularly comprehensive. Thinking, hang on, yeah, is that really a price? I think as a mobile device, especially for collectors who are going around. I mean, I, I know several people who would also use it, um, where your tool would be invaluable just to get an idea because you know because if you are at a show, you know talking to the store owner and doing a bit of haggling. Is acceptable, you know. You aren't you aren't up against anywhere else. You're up against you versus store dealer, and he he wants to sell. So, mm. you know, I can I can see where a mobile version of it would be, you know, especially one that would actually hold the database without having to go onto the internet. That would be really useful. Yeah, well, I mean, it's certainly giving me the confidence to go into deals with you know a price in mind that's based on you know some historical evidence, and it really helped me to. You know, actually get some of the harder power of the force coins that I was after, and so I was, um, you know, confident that I was going in with fair market value, and um, you know, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but more often than not, um, you know, it was more helpful to have this price history to fall back on to guide your buying decisions. Absolutely, I mean, I think I think any anything where you can, you're face to face with the person you want to buy off, and you've got the information, then you are, as I say, having knowledge as being forearmed because. Yeah. You, you you do have that weight behind you that any price you put up you can get a lot you know that's just not going to sell for that it might in the future right yeah. now it's not so um, another aspect is that you know if you can't agree on the price um, depending on what you're looking at you can be assured that you're probably likely to get another chance soon as well and also and if, if you think about a lot of the dealers especially at shows a lot of them don't know the market value of this stuff they have an idea oh it's Star Wars it's worth X amount and uh, if they're asking ridiculous prices for it, something where you've got a bit of, you know, gravitas with the information, you know, say, so look, I'm sorry, but this just has never sold for that price ever. It's not worth that. Um, I think it's, it, yeah, for for shows, definitely a big tool. Um, have you thought about, I know it's already lots of work already, but um, about going into things like ships and play sets and just other things in general, Star Wars related? Yeah, absolutely. Um so I've not done this yet, basically because I've not figured out how to do it properly. So there's two components of this that I could um, pursue. One is 
the inventory aspect, which I guess is pretty clear cut, um, that just needs to be added to the catalogue so people can pick and choose and and add stuff to the their inventory lists. Um, but the other aspect I've kind of dodged uh, well up until now is how to build a meaningful price guide for things like vehicles and play sets and all these things that have so many variables that go into making them up. Um, I just couldn't figure out a good way to record prices for one and then two, inter- interrogate the prices to get something meaningful back. Okay. So idea being that you know you might see a land of the jawas playset sell for 30 pounds one week and then next week it might be 200 pounds and there's such a range of prices you know seen for these things that it's hard to account for all the variation in the you know is the paperwork there is the box in good value uh, in good shape um are all the pieces there so there's just so much variation into building a good quality price guide that I've kind of sidestepped the issue really. If if this grew and grew within the community would um, you kind of accept people to come and help you and, and kind of be, I mean I'm sure there's a lot of kind of guys out there who have a similar kind of working to you I mean me for me personally I'd go mad if I was working <laughs> on this, I'd just, I'd lose the will but that's not my, my how my brain works but I love the, the program and the way it picks information up I mean do you think think you'd you'd sort of make it bigger and get more people involved with this because it could be a a huge tool ongoing? Yeah, I mean it's it's really at the precipice of um, being something that the community adopts and and you know has as a tool for the community to use, or it's you know just becomes something that a few people find useful. So I mean for it to grow and expand, I think I. I would have to get help from the community to maintain certain aspects of it. So, you know, maybe people can take up the responsibility of maintaining the price guide for play sets or, or some aspect like that. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely something um, that I'd be open to talk about. Massive thanks to Jared. And now... Let's see how much current market information you guys know about your collecting focuses using the Star Wars Trekker program. So you need to decide whether your estimate is the average or the highest amount paid. The other guys will then speculate whether the figure you give is higher or lower. So we'll start with Jez. Luke X-Wing. I'm going to go average. Uh, Is this average with weapon? It's it's a complete figure um, paid... To be fair, most of the data on Star Wars Tracker is from eBay with some Vector stuff in there, but they don't do a lot of loose stuff on, on Vector. So you're, you're up against the world of eBay, and we're going... Average loose. Yeah. £11.50. £11.50, guys. So, Stu, is he way out? It's average. I think I think he's I think he's five quid short. I think it's higher. I think it's higher than £11.50. Yeah, probably close out to the thirteen pound mark, thirteen fifty. Cool. I thought I had actually gone. <laughs> I thought I'd overshot it. Actually, oh, I'm glad you said higher. Right. The big reveal is the average price paid for a Luke X-wing loose figure in the last year is twenty two pounds. The highest, the highest, but just out of interest, the highest is seventy eight pounds. Someone paid for a really mint version of it, seventy eight pound. I know. How insane is that? I got carded one for that. I got carded fifty dollars. <laughs> that was that was on eBay, eighth uh, of February, and it was it was listed as a China variant, and it was rare apparently. 
that's what I was just about to say though it's you, you, if you take some of these variants into consideration you, you can understand that the, these prices it, th- this tracker is going to be incredibly difficult to follow for somebody who's just after the average price of a typical figure absolutely but I mean it's you know 22 quid you know for a really really decent mint always apparently a mint condition item so there we go okay not like the 12 I bought in Anaheim for four bugs each. <laughs> no, I don't think they uh, they kind of go down that, that route. Stu, now, you're a bit of a Greedo focus collector, aren't you? Yeah. So, are you going to choose average or high? If someone spent 78 quid on a, a Luke X-Wing, I'm going to go for the average because uh, that's just stupid. Okay. I'm going to say 15 quid because if you're talking about variants... The PBB one tends yes. to sell for about thirty quid. So yep. about about I'll go average seventeen pound. Oh, interesting. So guys, uh, Jez, do you think he's, he's a little bit over the top there, or should go lower? I'm gonna say he needs to go higher. I'd say the figure is higher. Okay, and Rich, uh, I'm gonna say a touch lower. A touch lower. Well, you'd be right because the average paid over the last year on a loose Greedo figure is eight pounds sixty-seven. And the highest pay for one is £26, according to the Star Wars tracker. I've chosen the wrong focus. <laughs> exactly, you're going to have a cheap well, one. Well, higher then, Jess, because your loose figure seemed to be astronomical. Exactly, and nonsense. <laughs> I, did, I, I, I did have a look we at... We don't think it's not about 10 is isn't it? Yeah, exactly, so... That's kind of that's kind of about right, then, really, what, what, what we're used to. That it's, it's £8.67. So, Rich, finally, R5-D4. Now, seeing as you've recently come into this focus, are you going to go for the highest or are you going to go for the average? I would suggest you go for the highest because it's interesting. Well, because I live on the edge, I wasn't going to follow those two anyway. Um, so I'm going to go for the highest. Good man, good man. So it's going to be mintiest mint sticker and it's going to have a nice clicking head. Ooh, I'm going to I'm going to shock you here. It Ooh. wouldn't surprise me if one has sold for £55. Oh, interesting. Okay, Jez. Higher or lower? <laughs> lower. Okay. Stu? Much lower, yeah. I can't, I can't see that. Well, you're all wrong. And, Rich, you're so way out. And I, I've got to have a look at the stats for this. It's ridiculous. The highest pay for a loose R5-D4 um, was £310. These could be like the Uze or... You, you don't know, could you? I mean, this might be one which was poorly listed... And then, actually, a few people spotted it. Maybe it was outed on an alt, um, on a forum or something or other. Um, give us the date again of that auction, Pete. 29th of April. This year? Yeah. Was that not the one that Walkie bought and he almost got backdoored on and it, it ended up being the, the Uzai one? There's only one that went for £310. That might have actually been the first thing I got right in the last 15 minutes. <laughs> I mean that one that Walkie put on. Um, remember, I got outed on the on the forum um, because people were saying, you know, look at this strange R five D four. What's so special about it? And uh, Walkie was trying to sort out a deal for that one. I think the date sounded about right for that. The the average for this, for that figure uh, was eight pound fifty one. The lowest price paid for an R five D four. Ninety nine p. Fifty four p. Something that came up on Star Wars Form UK was one of our friends, Mark Walsh, and he had a revenge proof sale. And this appears to be, well, one of the most expensive auctions I think we've had on, or I've seen on um, Star Wars Forum. And I think there's about 
uh, just over 50, I think. And um, I think if he sells them all, it'd get around about probably somewhere between forty to fifty thousand pounds, which I believe may or may not be going to a wedding. Now there was a few few items there that would meet people's focuses. So, Jez, I noticed the Luke X-wing had been traded. The Luke X-wing has been traded. <laughs> Can you reveal more information, or are you missing a kidney? You know that I'm going to have to have an operation soon, but it's nothing to do with that. Um, I did have a proof. I still have a proof. Oh. But on Saturday at Father's Trump, or rather on Sunday at Father's Trump, a transaction will be made. Oh, my goodness. Involving a straight swap exchange. We are going to have to have pictures of this. You do realise this. And we're going to cover it live, I think. Live. <laughs> using Periscope. Rich... I did also notice that the R5 was sold. It's not sold, it's on hold. It's on hold, is it? It's on hold, yep. But for all intents and purposes, it is sold because I've got a deal together with uh, Mark. So all all 50 proof cards up for sale, all going down to Father's Farm. Anybody who's there, you know, take a photograph because it is going to be a sight to behold, but the R5D4 is spoken for. um, and, And cheers, Mark, for that deal. Amazing. So, Stu, where's your £750 going to come from? What body part are you selling? I've been I'm in an iron about it, but uh, <laughs> I haven't made a decision. But I'll go for it. I, I know that there's always a couple of other Greedo-focused people down there, so it may not well be. But 750 quid, uh, Stu, it's nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> you spend that at Father's From on Curry. <laughs> Possibly, but uh, I'll have a bit with me, so we'll see. But Stu, you just need to plan on selling £200 of crap from your garage every month and then all you do, and then all you're doing is you're trading it for a greed or revenge proof that is true that is true <laughs> silly Jedi silly Jedi there are a few auctions over the last month that's been worth mentioning there was an auction at Aston's Auctioneers in Dudley on the 23rd of July um, I actually won some modern stuff on this, but you don't want to hear about that. Um, but there were a few uh, vintage items on there, and the prices actually were pretty good. There were some boxed ships, some palatoy ones, a couple of play sets. None went for daft money, most of them around under the £100 mark, probably just over £100. There was also an incomplete, or what appeared to be an incomplete, uh, palatoy Death Star, and that went for just £260, which I thought was a reasonable bargain considering the ones that have been going at Vectus recently. There was an auction down in Thatcham by a company called Special Auction Services, and I noticed it because there were a large amount of cardbacks. Now, they weren't the kind of the quality they used to at Vectus. They were a little bit beaten, probably a lot of shelfware on them, but it was a really interesting and sort of large collection. There were some 12-backs in there, and 20-backs, and there was also a few Empire Strikes Back cards in there as well. Now, Rich... Did you have a go at that R5-D4? Well, I would have gone for it if it was going to go for a silly price, but I've, I've actually already got one of those cards. Um, I think it's quite interesting that the last four Star Wars 20-backs I've seen for R5-D4, all in the last six weeks, have all been on the G card. Everyone. Yeah, and this was actually a graded one as well. Actually, it was actually a sealed one. Um, and he only, only went for 190 How much did you pay for yours? I paid 110 for mine, which was ungraded, and it had a partially lifted bubble. But as I said in the last podcast, I'm more than happy with that. Um, and it was the grading that was putting us off, the one that uh, came up on the SEX auction. Yeah, I mean, there's, there, there was quite a lot of um, 
well, there's quite a lot of thing, <laughs> graded items which weren't particularly graded brilliantly. There was nothing like in the 90s or 85s, I don't think. It was mostly... There's a lot of sort of seventies and stuff, so it was a bit odd. I know, Jez, you were you were tempted by the Luke X-wing, weren't you? Which I think in the end only went for a hundred pounds. Yeah, as you know, I was at work today, and there was absolutely no way I could um, look at it, monitor what was going on. So I was relying on you guys to possibly bid on my behalf. I, I think I gave you a list of about six or seven that took me interest. The Luke X-wing was the least of which, just because the bubble was cracked, and I I already had that twenty back. Um, but it's yeah. So that one didn't really float my boat. There was a Leah Organa, there was a Han Hoth, and there was the Leah Bespin. I think the Leah Bespin went at a cracking price, didn't it? Yeah, I'm mean, to go back on the the um, Leah Organa one. I mean, that went for 160 quid, although it was it was again an oddly graded thing. Um, it was C50 B85 F80, so it wasn't amazing. For Leah. that money, I would have ripped that out of the acrylic case. That, <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Was... There's there's almost no point in having it there because that that kind of grading standard. Um, the Bespin gown one, which I think was pretty much in good condition, there was a little bit of damage on the label. It says you know sort of like sticky remains. Who were maybe that was you just getting excited again, and that only went for awesome. eighty eighty five pounds. I mean, surely that's a one hundred and fifty pound ish figure. Mm, hundred hundred. 115 I would say but but yeah that it, it was good obviously you have to add the um the fees and the VAT on top of that the VAT to the fees but I think it was the Han Hoth which was probably one of the better deals well I think if that had been on Vectors or some of these would have been on Vectors you would have got bigger price I don't think that would have gone for 85 on Vectors with I think that probably goes to demonstrate and I, I mean I want to bring this auction up really because it was interesting that that we didn't talk about anywhere. I don't know whether that helped or didn't help, but I didn't want to mention it too much because I wanted to see what what the market with without using uh, vectors actually is. And I think this is a good example. This this is not a particularly massively well known auction place. I think they've only started up reasonably re- recently. Uh, they're down in Thatcham, um, and I think it, I think it goes to show without that huge huge publicity that vectors does get with their massive high end figures, you are going to get. You know, relative bargains. Because I think if you put all this up there, I mean, there was like an Ugnaught for 65. Um, there was also the, uh, Luke Skywalker and the Rebel Commander together for 120 quid. Now, I'm sure that would go for at least three times that amount if that had been on a Vectors auction. Interesting to, to note that I think that maybe we've seen, as as we kind of talked about the last time, we maybe seen a little bit of a, a peak on some of these uh, some of these carded figures. And there's so many coming to auction now that the prices dare I say it, are starting to level off. Not come down, level off. I, th- I think we're seeing more collectors being fussy with the items that they can purchase. Because you said right at the start, this, these weren't the best conditioned items. No. Um, if I think most people who have bought these would view them as being placeholders. And they've got them at a price that's reasonable. I don't know. It's it, it's hard to say. I, I, I think a lot of people just like to have a card of figures. I mean, maybe the the yeah. You know, there's well, we know there's different types of collectors out there. Not everyone wants the mint mint as mint can be. And some people do like that sort of like slightly used off the shelf ones. And, and that auction was definitely one of them. Okay, on August twelfth there was another Vectus auction. There's another one coming up later on at the end of August. But this was full of a lot of uh, Return of Jedi cards and Tri Logo cards uh, mostly. And one that sort of caught the eye was a Tri-Logo Rebel Commander. And that went for a staggering 1,100. Guys, has anybody can give me any more information on why that went for such an enormous amount of money? Didn't you say it was something about the footwear? 
Yep, it's it's the dark brown boots variant, isn't it? And there's a, a suggestion that it's either POC or PBB, and it's a very, very rare variant, which I think a lot of people have missed. So mm. that's the reason why that went sky high. How much did it go for, Pete? £1,100. For a tri-logo... Rebel Commander, Commander. yeah. yeah. Ho- the reason Commander. it went so high is because more than one person wanted to buy it. <laughs> yeah, really, Jez. That's, that's how auctions work. There, yeah. <laughs> and now, Jez, with auction news. <laughs> My God, he's just got some form of scientist. <laughs> um, another thing that caught the eye. I, I, again, I'm not big on hybrids, but um, I kind of noticed it at the corner of my eye. Thinking, oh, that's gone for quite a lot. Uh, cloud car hybrid. Um, oh, oh, oh. Can you remember last month's quiz? Uh, no. Yes. No. It's yes. Try logos. Try logos. I remember the Family Fortunes one. Yes. Rebel Commander wasn't in it, was it? Rebel Commander, no, not with the brown boots he wasn't. Um, Attack Driver. Can well, you remember, yeah, except for the Attack Driver, which is number one, rarest Tri logo, what was, um, Car Car Pilot was like four fifth, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah. Sixth. Six. That, know, that went for £800. And that was a hybrid version, so I thought, oh, that's quite a lot. Um, another thing which caught the eye, which was the Death Stars, and I've been following these because they've been every auction, another. Another Palatoy Death Star, you know, mint comes out. This had a was listed as a small kind of uh, wave in the middle, but it still looked like it'd been produced, you know, last week. And the first one went for five thousand plus. This last second one went for four thousand eight hundred, and this one went for one thousand five hundred. So okay, fair enough. It's, it puts it puts the Palatoy Death Stars up to around about the sort of like you know <laughs> twelve grand mark, but that is a huge, huge drop. In Palatoy Death Starness. It, it is quite a big drop, but I think that's what Jez said before. That the first person who wanted one paid 5000 The second person who wanted one uh, after the first guy went, he paid 4000 And then the third guy in line paid one for 1500 Rich, are you a mathematician? <laughs> hey, if you were that first guy who paid five grand, yeah, you'd right. feel like you'd been shot right in a thermal exhaust port after <laughs> that had just gone for 1500 Oh, man. And I think yeah, that, I think exactly. that's something that Ed off the forum actually uh, mentioned that um, it's going to be interesting to see those being sold where the price is going. It's been proven that you're sitting there with five grand thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I think there's two more to go. So that's going to be very interesting. I mean, I wonder if that might actually get more people along to buy others because suddenly people go, oh, it's cheap or yeah. cheaper, and then suddenly we'll get you know a hoiking price, but very interesting. The problem is, of course, is that the people who are wanting the 12 back palatoys, you know, it's like what you said last month or the month before, where you, you went through the Vedas and things, the, the prices are coming down because the top five, six, seven people who wanted them, they've got them now. So we're now down to the eighth, the ninth, and the tenth. And if you're that tenth person and there's only nine palatoy Vedas, and I, I don't know if Vectors are announcing exactly how many of each they've got left, it, it is a, a bit of a do I bite the bullet now or do I wait until the next auction? There were still some tasty prices though on the Palatoy stuff, but funny enough, you mentioned the Darth Vader, uh, Rich, because one sold again for eight hundred and fifty, which meets into that into that sort of line of of those sort of figures coming down and easing, because that meets in line with the one sold um, earlier this year. Uh, so it's gone gone one thousand hundred, one four hundred, nine fifty, eight hundred, and then today eight fifty. So it has kind of levelled off and it's kind of you know sitting there. But I think there was a Yoda. Empire Strikes Back card, Palatoy that went for, I think it's just around about three thousand. So yeah, there's still some massive prices. But again, it just seems to be quite consistent across the board with with the twelve and twenty bucks. 
Now, I have a small apology to make. Last month, I declared that invaluable.co.uk was actually showing the bids from the Vectis website. It actually doesn't. We found that there are separate bids. So if you bid for an item on Vectis auction on their website, it doesn't tally with what someone has bid for on the Vectis website. So just be careful there. That was uh, duff information that I gave out. Yeah, very honest of you, Pete. Well done. I know. That's kind of guy I am. The power of the Force is still growing. Today, there are more Star Wars fans than ever before. And they are all Kenner customers. To keep up with their excitement, blockbusting plans are already being made for this year and many more to come. Because Star Wars is forever. Right, so I want to welcome back Matt George for this month's Rapid Fire. Welcome back, Matt. Hello, You ready for this? I am. Favourite Star Wars movie? Empire Strikes Back. Favourite Star Wars scene? The Vader-Luke fight in the control room in Bespin. Your favourite thing about the prequels? Uh, The end of part three when we didn't have to wait for any other ones. (laughs) Your favourite on-screen character? Darth Vader. Who would you most like to see a standalone movie of? Han Solo, and it sounds like we're about to get our wish. Uh, Which actor or crew member would you most like to meet? Carrie Fisher, circa 1983. Favourite lightsaber duel? Oh, the Vader and Luke fight at the end of Empire. Padme or Leia? Leia. Favourite figure as a child? Jawa. Favourite figure now? Han Bespin. Which character do you wish they'd made a figure of? Tarkin. Your favourite toy vehicle or playset? Sandcrawler. Vehicle or playset you wish they'd made? The Tant of Four from the beginning of the New Hope. Favourite vintage Ewok toy? Ewok Village. Which is the best Death Star, Kenner or Palatoy? Palatoy, by far. Your favourite cardback photo? FX7. What was your first Star Wars toy when getting back into collecting? I bought a Darth Vader 12 back about a year and a half ago. Uh, What was the last vintage Star Wars toy you purchased? I bought the Ben and Vader double telescoping sabers from the the Dewey Shoemade auctions. I don't think I've ever had such a great answer for that question. (laughs) Uh, You grading is? Abysmal. And finally, what is your holy grail item? Well, I just got them both. Um... I guess now I'm still waiting on a men-on-card vinyl cape Jawa. Well, Matt, thank you ever so much for that. No problem. Enjoyed it. then lads so the rapid fire question for this month is what playset or vehicle do you wish they'd made and let's start with jeremiah that's you jess great answer jess i'll go yeah, first right. i'll go first if you can't think of it probably the princess leah powder puff dispenser just <laughs> <laughs> going for it oh <laughs> uh, that's um quite funny actually he, he is quite funny for someone who taps on a desk to help him count um <laughs> <laughs> Stu go on I'll go first go on. Yeah. Pete what have you got I always wanted the carbon freezing chamber you know a proper real quality cool one I know they did a modern one but I really wanted one of those when I was a kid and I used to make it out of all sorts of bits and pieces 
and then use the uh, the carbon freeze from um, Slave One. Oh, it's just such a thing that they should have done. I could have done like Mr. Frosty, so you could have like made one out of ice and Grant. Ah, oh, easy for me, mate. Jabba's sail barge. You know, maybe with a sarlacc in there as well. You know, epic playset, USS flag, GI Joe scale, ultimate. Jez, Endor bunker. When you think about it, skatewalker, catapult, yeah, glider, speeder bikes, Endor bunker, and it's got to be able to blow up. Well, bunker probably comes with a set of uh, chief shippers as well, doesn't it, Jez? <laughs> yeah, uh, chief shipper twins. And Rich? Um, probably a Star Destroyer. Um, something bigger than the Millennium Falcon, where you could actually lift the top off, just like what you can with the Falcon. Again, say, not that crappy wedge shear thing that we've got, a, a real Star Destroyer. I'll actually look like a one from the outside. Ah, like a Rebel Transporter sort of thing. Bigger. Yeah. Bigger. Compensating for something, Rich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, great answers, lads. What about you? Yeah. I was going to go for the Sarlacc when I originally thought about this, but Grant has just said it. I think I'm going to go for the um, the throne room um, where you can have that final lightsaber duel. Would have been I thought nice. you would have called, like, what about, what about Luke Skywalker's bedroom in Echo Base? Then you could utilise the 2-1-B figure then. Right there. Right. So, Rich, have we had much feedback from the last show? Have we had much feedback? I don't know what's been going on the last couple of weeks. We've had a feedback explosion this month, and thankfully no reports of any iTunes issue. Thank you, iTunes. Although seeing that some listeners are now subscribed through Podbean app and reporting that the sound is far superior than through iTunes, so it's cer- certainly something that we're going to have to check out because I've never subscribed through the Podbean app. So if anybody else is having problems with iTunes, perhaps download the Podbean app and try it through there. The new format of embracing the Facebook threads has clearly been popular, with much more feedback from new listeners discussing the humour, banter, informative discussions we've had. I guess I must have missed those debates because I haven't uh, heard any of those. A few comments saying that it's great that we'll cover the low-end items as well as the high-end items. It's certainly something that Jez has been trying to include in the podcast, just to show that we really are an inclusive podcast. Uh, so thanks for noticing that. The Family Fortunes quiz went very well. Um, and interestingly, a tri-logo Boba Fett appeared on eBay the very next day when somebody claimed that you never see them for sale, as if to prove a point. Um, Dan Birch has sent me a link to some tri-logo mock, but I forgot what it was. A lot of people are seeing that we're getting slicker, very slick. Uh, addition of sound effects and movie clips seem to be very popular, so it's nice to know that the hours of editing uh, and re-editing and re-editing are certainly appreciated. And finally, Enhanced Podcast has been brought up yet again. Now, we've looked at Enhanced Podcast many times. It is a lot of work for us, uh, and we haven't had that many people ask about Enhanced Podcasts. So if you're really passionate about Enhanced Podcasts, then send us an email or contact us through Facebook, and we'll certainly discuss it again. Um, They're very difficult to do for the size of the podcast that we roll out, um, and they do have the cons. But, you know, if you guys want it, we'll certainly look at it. Now, you four have all been down to Father's Farm, and I'm pretty sure that you would have discussed our podcast with guys down there. So, any feedback that you guys want to share? Uh, there was a chap there who, I think, I spoke to him for about an hour, actually, called Peter Lee, who had come down. He's a, a long-term listener. Um, he signed up to the forum. He's not really a poster yet, and he's not on Facebook, but he'd come down on the, off the back of our show. He's given me his details. He was a lovely bloke, a big-time collector. He's been collecting since the 90s, so... Certainly someone I would uh, consider getting on the podcast. 
Um, when you guys were way down for this from, I got PM'd um, from Mark Hockley, owner of Starways, who picked up one of the CDs that Stu had uh, and was given out. Stu, were those CDs were popular and did you get any feedback from them? Well, I'd, I'd burnt 40 plus and they'd all gone. I think there was about 10 left at the end of the day, but I think Grant was walking around the hall shoving it in people's hands, <laughs> insisting they take it. But yeah, yeah, they seem to go down popular. Um, I made some key rings up, they were popular. Yeah, so, it's good yeah. ideas, those were still really good ideas. Yeah, the book seemed popular as well, wasn't it? Lots of yeah. people came and had a look through, so hopefully a couple and more listeners. Yep, and certainly the CD has worked. Um, for those who weren't aware, the CD had, um, was it one or two episodes you got per CD, Stu? <laughs> Our length, mate. It was, di- it was difficult to squeeze one on. Uh, <laughs> difficult to squeeze one on a CD. Yeah. Yeah. Was. So um, the reason why I mentioned Mark is because he actually popped our CD for the first time, I think, on the way home, and and give us some uh, great feedback as well. So cheers, Mark, and hopefully we'll have you on a future show. But keep your feedback coming in, guys. Um, let us know what you like about our podcast, what you don't like about our podcast. We are always evolving, um, except for Jess, who's evolved as far as you can get. Uh, our email address is swtvrpodcast at gmail.com or you can contact us on Facebook. Right, now then, lads, last month we started the Vintage Rebellion Knowledge Trophy. And uh, Grant and Richard got off at a great start, both picking up three points. Jez picked up one, and Pete is yet to score. Now, this month, lads, I'm going to play each of you a short clip. So whoever's turn it is, make sure you're listening really careful. And then straight away afterwards, you will get five questions, which you will get a point for each correct. Very, very quick. Right, so, Pete, as you're last at the moment, would you like... Would you like clip one, two, three, or four? Two. Number two, right. So, everyone quiet then. Pete, have a little listen, okay? Go on, go on. Yeah. <laughs> Force is strong in my family. Father has it. I have it. My sister has it. Yes. It's you, then. So, Pete, <laughs> five questions on what you've just heard. What was the Star Wars movie you just heard? Uh, Return of Jedi. Correct. What is the name of the track from the movie you heard? I don't know. Uh, Pray to the Ewoks. That is correct. What? Pete, now you heard a, a bit of dialogue from Luke Skywalker throughout that bit. Yeah. Can you tell me what the next line is that Leia says? That's the start. Pete, I know. <laughs> uh, I've got when it ended. Uh, uh, oh, I can't remember. Uh, Luke went away or whatever it is. It's incorrect. It is, I know, somehow, I've always known. <sighs> At the start of the clip, we heard Nine Numb. But which actor played the character? Oh, I've no idea. Whoa, hang on a minute, because the voice is different to the actor mind. Okay, go on, Grant. Mike Quinn is the... Uh, voice uh, or the actor that played the character the actor died last year so I can't remember it's Richard <laughs> Bonehead 
That's it. Ah. And finally, Pete, we had at the end of the clip, we heard two laughs. Who did they belong to? I need both of them. Jabber. Yep. And what what, it was? It's all gone. It's all gone already. Uh, That was so easy. I know, but I wasn't listening to that bit. You got the advantage now. You know what's coming. Well, I tell you what, Pete. I'll give you a half as you got Jabber. The other laugh was the Emperor's. So Pete, you scored two and a half points. You're up and running. Jez, one, three, or four. Three. Okay, are you ready? Here comes your clip. Yeah. Relax. I'll talk to Lando, see what I can find out. I don't trust Lando. (laughs) Okay, Jez. What is the name of that movie? The Empire Strikes Back. Well done. And uh, same with you. What was the name of the track you heard during the clip? Probably the hardest of the tracks in all four of these. Ah, I don't know. There was elements of Leah's theme in there, but it was... um, uh, I don't know. um, Bespin Requiem. (laughs) (laughs) It was Han Solo and the Princess. Princess Leah, that's got to be at least a quarter of a fraction of a point. At the start, you heard a firing. From which vehicle was the firing? AT-AT. That is correct. You heard during that clip dialogue between Leia and Han, but what is the next line delivered by Han? I know, Jez. I can't remember. The pressure. I don't trust him either. Yeah, can you... That is correct, Jez. Can you, I have got the next four letters, four words after that as well, but do you know them? Yeah, I am interested. Go on, Jez. But he is my friend. Yeah. Yes, well done, Jez. And at the end of the clip, you heard Han shooting at Vader, but what yeah. hand does Han hold his gun when aiming at the Dark Lord? I would have thought it would have been a straight draw, quickest hand to it, without crossing over, and his holster's on his right leg, I think, so right hand. That is correct, Jez. You scored four this month. Well done. Right, Richard, one or four? Oh, you see, what one of them is going to be a new hope, the other one's going to be prequels, isn't it? I'm going to go... I'm going to go four. (laughs) Caravan of Courage, yeah, that'd be my luck. You're going for Okay, you ready? Let's listen to the clip. Right, Rich, name the film. The film was The Phantom Menace. I knew I'd get the prequel one. That's correct. And what was the title of the track you could hear? Was that Jewel of the Fates? It was. What was the name of the ship you heard the sound of at the beginning of the clip? It was the, um, what do you call that? It's that thing that goes through the water, isn't it? Um, Yep. I didn't have any of the episode one vehicles at all. Um... I can't remember the name of the boat. I'm so embarrassed to say I know. Go on, Jez, what do you think it is? I've got a grant, you know what, is it? Is it the Bongo? Bongo! Bongo, yes. Right, 
Rich, at the end of the clip, you heard Boss Nass, but who was he voiced by? He was voiced by... Oh, God, his name's just gone. The big guy from Blackadder. If we told you... Brian Blessed. Well done. Just came back. And finally, Rich, finally, which character delivers the opening line of dialogue in the movie? I'm going to say Qui-Gon Jinn. That is correct. No, it's not. On four points. No, it's not. No, it's not. He says something to the... um, he says something oh, to flying a ship, and a bloke who's yeah. flying a ship answers him. No, it's a woman who flies a ship. Oh, whoever, but that's the second line. Yep. Oh, I don't know about that. You need to love Star Wars more, Grant. Trust me, mate, I watched it when I was doing it. He definitely says the first thing, and then the, um, the pilot comes back. Right, Grant, that means you've got number one. Okay. okay. Are you ready? Yeah. And now to business. You will be delighted to hear that we are on schedule. 200,000 units are ready, with a million more well on the way. Master Windu! You have fought gallantly. Worthy of recognition in the archives of the Jedi Order. Now, it is finished. Surrender. And your lives will be spared. Grant, name the movie. Attack the Clones. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is the name of the song that was playing? Across the Stars. What is the name of the Camino Prime Minister that you heard speaking at the start of the clip? Lama Su. Well done. And on which planet did Count Dooku deliver that speech? Genosis. <laughs> and what colour is Dooku's lightsaber when he fights Yoda? Red. Five out of five. <laughs> right, that leaves the score after the second round then. Grant, you lead on eight. Richard is on seven. Jez on five. And Pete, you're on two and a half. Boo. Right, next month, you're going to have questions relating to your sections on the podcast. Things that you have said in the past. Let's see how well you've remembered what you've learned. Stu, you're right about the Phantom Menace. The first words are Captain. Thank you. Captain. <laughs> I can't believe you're sitting there checking it. No, I was. I swear, I swear, because I thought the original first words were going to be Obi-Wan saying, I have a bad feeling about this, but obviously when they realised that Jar Jar was a... They went, oh, we'll put a new shot in where it says Captain, yes, sir. Right. Well, lads, that is us done for another month. Don't forget you can subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or listen to us at SWTVRpodcast.com podbean.com both of these outlets have all of our previous episodes so if you haven't listened to them go back and have a gander uh, huge thanks this month to Matt George Bill Harvard, Ross Barr Jared Cope and Craig Stevens for coming on the show and discussing the various topics and that brings the show to an end so it is good night from Richard later guys goodbye from Grant thank you for listening good night from Jezebel goodbye my lovelies and ninety night from Peedy Weedy Oh, get off me, you strange man! Stop touching me there! And it's good night from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. 
All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual copyrights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? There's still something about Jakku, which I'm not sure about. Just say it, Jez. Let's have it out now. It's Tatooine, don't you? No, I, I, I want I want to tell you whilst we're possibly recorded, and I want you to say, oh. Come or, on, Jez, just spill it, spill it out. Well, it. when the whole Jakku thing first got spoken about, and they were talking about it, everyone was like, oh, it's Tatooine, that's Tatooine. And I was thinking, hmm, I wonder, you know, is it a red heron, is it a red heron? And then I just thought, Jakku, J-A-K-K-U. I just thought... J.J. Abrams, Kathleen Kennedy's universe. And I just thought, that would be put together. That just came to my head, and I was just like, is it? Is it J.J. Abrams, Kathleen Kennedy's universe, and they're just having a little bit of fun with us? And is is that how the planet was named, or is it just a pseudonym? So there you go. Put that in your pocket. It's not a bad one, Jez. I like that. I like that as well, Jezebel. Where do you steal that from, Jez? (laughs) It was, I, I commute a lot and, you know, I'm alone with my thoughts. It turns out I don't have that many thoughts. Um, so I was just in the car and I was listening to another podcast. This is months ago. What? And, um, and they were, yeah, I just, well, we haven't spoken about it Force Awakens. Another podcast? Yeah, you know. What? I want to know who got a silver medal. Aye. 